Coming up on this episode of the podcast Under the Stairs, we see the return of my special guest, Baz. How's it going, Baz? I'm back. <laughs> and we're doing Rob Zombie it's movies. so long. <laughs> this Point. show is so long. <laughs> we're doing Rob Zombie movies, and FYI, there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, he's on for hours. Oh, Baz, there's so much... There's so much, there's references to Police Academy, there's talk of Nazi midget effeminate Mexicans, there's what the fuck is that at the top of the stairs and Lords of Self, there's just so much good shit in this show. There, there is a lot, it is, it is nonsense, do yourself a favour, turn off now. <laughs> but for those that stick around, remember this is year four motherfuckers and do you know what that means? This time it's war. Warning. The podcast under the stairs is not safe for work. We'll feature movie spoilers and language which most listeners may find offensive. Brought to you in conjunction with Legion Podcast Network. Welcome to the podcast under the stairs. and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is the very special end of year assessment. This is Baz v. Rob Zombie. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. Coming up on this episode we will be tackling the five movies we have not covered on this show directed by Rob Zombie. So we will be looking at House of a Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects, The Haunted World of El Superbisto, Lords of Salem and Rob Zombie's 31. Joining me, making his long-awaited return. I mean, this this feels like he's not been on the show for fucking years. And if one more person asks me when the bad show is about to drop, I'm looking at you, Myron. I'm looking at you. I will fucking travel over there and lay a big teary kiss on your face. Oh, I can't get something. That's horrible. But not as horrible as my guest, who will say things much worse than what I've said, and make it in such a way that you will actually feel like they're normal, and you can speak to people like that. Never speak like the bass speaks to me in public, ever. It is, of course, my very special guest, my friend, my buddy, my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, the bass. Howdy, y'all, sexy southern bitches! <laughs> Kapow! <laughs> Oh, I done, a wee, I done a wee drum roll in my tits there, Duncan. I think I've hurt myself. Oh. Never drum roll your tits. No. Never. That was Dr- a... Drum roll a woman's tits, but never do them on yourself. Oh, it was a rookie move. I tell you, a rookie, <laughs> rookie move. <laughs> anyway, Baz is back, bitches! The Baz is back under the stairs. I am so excited. Maybe not necessarily for all the movies we're going to talk about, um, but I am so excited. I don't know how... I'll be honest. I don't know how long this show is going to go on for... I get a feeling this might be a long one. Listeners, you will have already checked the time code and this might be more than a one sir. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, begging. <laughs> right, this, Baz. This let... get girth. 
<laughs> we know that we have so much to talk about on this episode. Tons and tons and tons of Rob Zombie goodness and less than goodness <laughs> and maybe potential awfulness. Um, but it feels great to have you back. And this is this is a show that has been planned for a while. And we'll get into more detail in the 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 reviews about why we chose Rob Zombie and stuff like that. But at the beginning of this journey, how excited are you to finally tick another, I could say, pretty hefty box off your horror viewing list? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one, Duncan, I've got to say. Um, as I say, we have done a couple of his movies as part of the Baz V. Uh, Michael Myers segment that we done last year. Um, yeah, his films were ones that I was vaguely kind of familiar with. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of psyched, I don't have to trawl through the old movies. You know, it, it, it's all, all kind of modern stuff. Um, I'm not sure when the first one came out, but it, it's not that old. It's not as if we're dipping back into the 80s or 90s with any of this kind of stuff. So um, it's a new kind of fresh take, I think, on the Baz V Horror one, I've got to say. With the possible exceptions, maybe like Paranormal Activity was a similar kind of thing. You know, in terms of not that old as a franchise. Uh, but it was a much narrower kind of section of stuff that we're looking at. I think the, there's a... A wide and varied smorgasbord um, <laughs> coming out of Mr. Zombie's pantry. Oh. Um, Crazy Ralph's in that pantry. I'm about, I'm about to get right mucky with it. Oh, no. I, sorry, you just mentioned... Anytime anyone says pantry, I think Crazy Ralph. That's where he is. That's where he's hiding. Watch out for him. In the sky. He's a fucking menace. <laughs> <laughs> right, before we go into how much we love Crazy Ralph, rest in peace Crazy Ralph um, I, I, like I said, this is this is likely to be a long one listeners so uh, please, please be warned uh, there is potential anarchy coming up because I have no idea where you're going to land with any of these fucking movies and knowing some of our previous recordings we could come on completely different sides of the, the the fence here. We could be like literally staring at each other, going, "I can't believe you like this fucking movie. It's an abomination." <laughs> You're a liar. Uh, <laughs> the Baz lies. He lies. Evil Dead Three Army Darkness is fucking awesome. <laughs> it's like the, the dreams can be shattered on this show. So I think this is an appropriate time to say that we are going to take our first break. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for our very first movie. Ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, we are kicking off this motherfucker. This journey is going to begin with a little movie called House of a Thousand Corpses. Myself and the Baz coming right back right after this. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. They try to kill us. You ungodly warlock. But we just won't stay dead. What's the matter? You can't hold your liquor, huh? The Midnight Horror Show. The internet's goriest and raunchiest horror podcast since 2008. Now live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at TMHSRadio.com. Listen on your mobile device with the TuneIn app. Search TMHS Radio or download us at iTunes, Podomatic, or the TMHS Radio page. Mom, all the of cannibalism. It was a scene of COVID slaughter. Examiner says 
way out here. We stopped for gas. It turned into this whole big thing. The boogeyman is real. And you found him. Welcome back. So, this is movie number one in what is going to be an absolutely epic, long, long <laughs> podcast. Um, we are, like I said at the start, at the top of the hour, we are going to be working ourselves through um, a little uh, Rob Zombie retrospective here for Bazzi's end of year assessment. And like I also touched upon it in that intro there um, the original plan was to do it very similar to Evil Dead, have special mentors on uh, but things have been kind of manic over on our side uh, and we really want to get this show out and we really want to make sure it's as concise as possible because there's about five movie reviews coming up um, so as a result we've opted no guests no mentor comments at all this is just a raw bareback buzz an unfiltered big man. Oh, no. <laughs> Not a scrap of latex in sight, my friends. <laughs> Let's fuck <stop> this bitch. <laughs> so you just heard the trailer for the first one. It's, this is Rob Zombie's debut movie. This is House of a Thousand Corpses um, from 2003. That's when it was released. I think it was made a couple of years before that. This one was infamously in um, distribution hell. Uh, like it was made for like a large studio who saw the movie and did not want to put this one out and then it just basically bounced about the place I think Rob Zombie eventually re-bought it and then sold it to Lionsgate I think um, so it did come out sometime after it was made uh, it was written and directed by Rob Zombie the movie stars a plethora of uh, fantastic genre actors and actresses we have Sid Haig we have William Bassett, Karen Black, Ern Daniels, Joe Dobbs III, Judith Drake, Dennis Fimple, Greg Gibbs, Wal- Walton Goggins, uh, Chris Hardwick, Ken Johnson, Jennifer Jocelyn, Irwin Keyes, Matthew McGorry, Jake McKinnon. That's all that is letting me see on this first page of IMDb, but I know there is lots more in there Bill Mosley etc all, all, all the way through big man only two mistakes well done what, what ones did I fuck up Jennifer Justin not Jocelyn and Matthew McGrory not McGorry it's McGorry or, or was was that a little play on words it was a play on words and you ruined it by correcting it Baz <laughs> thank you very much it wasn't a play on words at all I read it wrong uh, <clears throat> the synopsis for this one is listed on the IMDb's is two teenage couples travelling across the backwoods of Texas searching for urban legends of murder end up as prisoners of a bizarre and sadistic backwater family of serial killers. Oh, yep, this is Rob Zombie Fair. This is Rob Zombie 101. Like, see, every little Rob Zombie trait that we're going to see in every single movie can all be date right back to this movie here, House of a Thousand Corpses. Now, Baz... Uh, yes, we, we we should we should probably just take a few seconds here before we go headlong into House of a Thousand Corpses and remind ourselves why it is we chose well why I chose why did I choose Rob Zombie for you? 
Oh, your mind's a mystery to me, McLeish. No, was it not off the back of the Halloween remakes? Exactly. Um, exactly. We did the two films there, um, and I really quite enjoyed the first one. Wasn't quite so struck on the second one, because it's just weird as fuck, let's be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, and I also, I think, I may have mentioned at one point that I've never even heard a Rob Zombie song. This is true. This is yeah. also true. Um, yeah. Sacrilege. Sacrilege, Baz. White Zombie? Any White Zombie songs? Nope. Surely they must have been about. I mean, you've hit, like they were about around the time of Pantera and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, but see, Pantera. I get into Pantera much later on. All um, oh, right. Like, Milky was heavy into Pantera and that, but during that kind of time period, I'd moved away quite a lot from heavy music and was listening to more kind of indie stuff, Pixies and Jesus and Mary Chain and these mm. kind of bands. All I right. was kind of heavy into that, so I wasn't listening to an awful lot of heavy music at that point in my life when these bands were coming through there was the whole dixie chicks slack slip uh, slash slipknot fiasco <laughs> was from a similar time period um i don't so know yeah, if we've ever told that story on this show and i don't think we should ever ever do that, no, no, that, that that's for a very very drunken anniversary show that one but yeah like a lot of these bands i i went back to them you know over a decade later you know bands like pantera and that was well over 10, 15 years after something like a Vulgar Display of Power came out before I started listening to it, do you know what I mean? Um, and I don't know why, but Rob Zombie's just never piqued my interest. I, I, I maybe unfairly lump him in with Marilyn Manson. I don't mean that in a bad way, it's just I've heard some of Marilyn's stuff. It's all right, it doesn't really grab me. Yeah. Um, and I've, I kind of think lumped Rob Zombie in with that, so I've never really bothered, you know, investigating any of his music, which is maybe a failing on my part. Well, he he went from doing music and cartoons. He did a lot of the artwork for things like Beavis and Butthead and stuff. Did all his artwork for his album covers, and he went from that and he started directing his own music videos, which ultimately led him to directing a horror movie, which is this one here, House of a Thousand Corpses. Like I said, it finally got released in two thousand and three. I remember this one as if it was yesterday. Um, I was desperate to see this movie. Desperate to see this movie. Uh, we'll get into my thoughts on this one at the end, but the most important part of the podcast is this bit here, Baz. You sat down, you've watched this movie, um, you watched it over two nights, because you now have a small child, um, yes. so it's not easy to sit down late o'clock and sit and rattle through a movie. Um, so please, please tell us, and the listeners out there, what did you make of the first outing in uh, cinematic terms of Rob Zombie? You, know, you just turn that key and unleash me, Duncan. <laughs> Let me out my cage. Here we go, folks. Saddle up. Yeah, you're, you're quite right in what you say, Duncan. I did, I did split the movie, but actually on the second day, I rewatched the first half and just carried on into the second. So I actually saw the first half of the movie twice, if that makes any difference to anybody. It really shouldn't. Um, this movie review is sponsored by the good people at Campo Viejo Rioja. Ooh, uh, which nice. is actually my wife's bottle of red wine that I've opened because things are tight in the Baz household and I have no whiskey <laughs> and I have, I have no bottles of whiskey I'm willing to pour green ginger wine into um, <laughs> I've got my bottle of Crown and my bottle of Seagram's but I'm saving that for you and me's next black tooth party oh I can't wait um, for the next black tooth party <laughs> and, uh, and all my other malts are set aside for special occasions so I've, I've just basically stolen my wife's wine <laughs> anywho folk don't want to hear about that House of a Thousand Corpses, um, a film I was familiar with the name of. 
And, and you don't know this, at one point I, I mistakenly thought I might have been in possession of a copy of it. Oh, right. Um, very quickly, many years ago when my wife and I first met, she was renting a flat in uh, Shawlands in Glasgow, in the south side of Glasgow. She worked in a bar down there. Um, and there was a big group of friends that all drank in the pub kind of thing. And quite often they would all end up when they were steaming, the various ones would crash at Colette and her flatmate's place kind of thing. And one of them was our pal Ship Dave, uh, who is called that because he's a merchant seaman and he works on ships. See where it comes from now? Ship Dave. Um, and Dave's a bit of a big... He's one of these guys, he's away at sea for six months and then he's home for like three mm. with six months' wages to spend kind of oh, thing. Dream job, dream job. Yeah, aye. So there's a lot of drinking goes on and a lot of just buying whatever crosses his path kind of thing and he'd come back to Colette's this time with like, it was three videos, three DVDs for 20 quid or something like that, you know, one of these deals you get in, in like HMV. And uh, there was The Da Vinci Code and another film and then an, another one that I thought was A House of a Thousand Corpses and I they sat in my DVD box for years. Mm-hmm. He, he, he basically got drunk and left them at Colette's flat and never came back for them. Um, and I, so I began to think, I think I had that, but it wasn't it actually... The image of this film crossed my eyes about a fortnight ago, and it was a film called 2001 Maniacs or something yeah, yeah, like that, Robert complete, England. Yeah, completely different movie. Right, yeah. So, uh, I've never owned House of a Thousand Corpses, <laughs> and I, I definitely haven't seen it. Um, I, but I was familiar with it, and, and in recent times, through my involvement with the show, uh, and, you know, I, I do a lot of reading about horror now, you know, I'm always looking up horror movies online and stuff like that and I'm on websites to do it and stuff I became familiar with the character of Captain Spaulding mm-hmm. or well, or, or his image you know the, the visual of him kind of thing uh, I think it's Johnny Krug quite often wears a t-shirt with Captain Spaulding on it when you see it in the Facebook yep. and his Instagram and stuff like that I think he's one of these Captain Spaulding for president t-shirts kind of thing um, and I think I might have done one of these stupid BuzzFeed quizzes about horror villains and Captain Spaulding was the only one I'd got wrong. So that I then went and looked him up and said, all right, he's in Rob Zombie's movies. So b- beyond that, I really didn't know anything about the film at all. So I settled down to watch the copy that you very generously gave me, Duncan. Yeah, I've got rid of all my DVDs. I've like cleared out the whole fucking lot. And a goodly portion of them are now residing in my house, much to my wife's delight. Yes, I, I, I felt the need to share the love, Baz. Share the love. And it just yeah. so happens that I had quite a few of Rob Zombie's movies uh, lying about on DVD, so I have uh, furnished you with a, a couple um, you have for indeed. this retro, and they are now yours. And uh, yeah, So this is your copy now, Baz. It's your copy. Yeah. My wife actually made a comment, because basically... Uh, Duncan had contacted me to say he had these movies and I happened to be out walking my, my infant son at the time. He said, I'll swing by the house. Duncan says, oh, I'm, I'm recording, but the wife will pass them out to you. So the next thing I come home with the wife, to the wife with the baby in the pram and basically underneath the pram there's just, it's just littered with DVDs. <laughs> so you went out for a fucking walk with the baby. How did this happen? Anyway, I, I still don't think she believes it. I think she thinks I went to Asda and just bought myself a load. <laughs> Every time you come in, it's like that. Did you get that loaf of bread? I got that loaf of bread, but also, also picked up this week off of Panzer. Yep, I know. 
which we'll, we're going to talk about at some point in the near future. Um, right, anyway, enough of this pish. House of a Thousand Corpses settled down to watch it the other night. Um, it starts off with an advert, a very kind of old 50s-style TV advert in black and white for Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Mad Men. Um, and we'll get the, the character of Captain Spaulding dressed as a clown kind of thing ranting away and cackling away and, and it becomes apparent after the advert and in the next couple of scenes that he runs one of these kind of roadside museum attractions mm. that doubles as a gas station and also kind of weirdly as a fried chicken shop um and, and that that whole that that kind of theme becomes prevalent as, as the film goes on as you say but um, it's not something we ever had in this country we had little chefs <laughs> which were basically shite little greasy spoon cafes that charged exorbitant amounts, you know. In America, you can go to see like this, you know, the murder museum with a little fucking horror tunnel thing out the back, and you could go and see like the world's biggest ball of belly button fluff or something, <laughs> do you know what I mean? In the middle of fucking Indiana somewhere. Here we had little chefs. They were very unpleasant. But that aside... The good Captain Spaulding runs one of these bad boys. Mm-hmm. It then comes up on the screen and it tells us we're in 1977, which is right back in my heyday. <laughs> <laughs> well, not quite. I was about, I was four at the time, as I was. Um, and we then see Captain Spaulding. So this is a few years. I think this old advert must be like running all the time because it was clearly a very old advert. Um, he's talking to this old geezer in, in his gas station. Um, who's cackling away about some guy shoving a Planet of the Apes action figure up his ass, which is quite funny, it's got to be said. Mm-hmm. Um, the old guy goes for a shit. Captain Spaulding will not give him toilet roll. He instead gives him a, a wooden finger to scrape the feces from his rectum. <laughs> oh, it really starts off as it means to go on this movie, <laughs> doesn't it? It doesn't ease you in in any kind of way. I've got to say, the visuals of Captain Spaulding are brilliant. Yeah, yeah, like, it's a, a great character. It's very comedic, but horribly unsettling to look at as well. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine these people that have got like, clown phobias must just piss themselves when he comes <laughs> on the screen, do you know what I mean? Um so while crazy old uh, wooden finger geezer is having his crap, two masked men basically break in or, or burst into the shop to hold them up kind of thing. Um, Captain Spaulding's not very pleased about this at all. You know, there's no hands in the air. He, he's really quite irate about the whole experience from the word go. I would even use the term belligerent. Um, <laughs> That's fair. And then... The wee crazy old guy comes out the toilet and he recognises one of them and starts singing a song about him, about his tiny pee-pee or something like that. <laughs> it's, it's quite weird. <laughs> um, and then this crazy-ass mask-wearing motherfucker basically bursts in and fucks the first guy on the head with something. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Spaulding then produces a gun for somewhere, hurdles the counter and shoots the bastards. Um, the crazy mask wearing guy is his like, I don't know, sidekick or kind of shop boy or something. I'm not quite yeah, sure. Yeah, kind of like a janitor cleaner yeah, shop sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know what you call them. Slash child rapist because he looks, <laughs> looks a bit wrong. Do you know what I mean? 
Anyway, and that's the end of those robbers. So that'll teach you to try and rob Cap and Spalding. Mm-hmm. Um, we then get uh, the, the credits then roll. Uh, and there, I've got to say, there's some bitching music over the credits, and I've written here, it sounds like Marilyn Manson, but it's probably Rob Zombie. <laughs> Am I right? Is it a Rob Zombie song? I think it is, if memory serves. If memory serves, I'm sure Sure, Rob Zombie may have used this as a vehicle to, to do a bit of music as well. That sounds plausible. The, and I've written here already, so this this is basically just after the kind of intro. Um, I've written here that the whole thing has a very heavy kind of 50s B-movie, like the cramps type mm. nice aesthetic you know the band the cramps that kind of aesthetic about it kind of thing um, and that plays out right through this film um, and I'll talk about it more later on but even at this point with the titles and that it's all kind of go-go girls and all this kind of stuff do you mm-hmm. know what I mean um, and I quite dig that I was a huge cramps fan when I was younger massive cramps fan um, <laughs> to the point that I attended a record fair in my hometown at one of the hotels one time and I basically walked out with like seven cramps like seven inches and twelve inches and stuff like that. And when I was up paying with the guys like you really like the cramps, mate, don't you? Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Aye, mate, it's the noon. And our local Woolworths doesn't stop very much of this stuff. If you don't mind just shutting the fuck up and taking my money, I'm gonna go home and listen to my new cramps records. Thank you. Anyway, God, that really took me back there. I did not like that guy. Anyway. <laughs> Then basically a car pulls up at uh, Spalding's gas station and two guys get out. Fucking lo and behold, man, one of them is Dwight from The Office. Mm-hmm. Tickled me no end, I've got to say. Um, so in, I know he's not playing the part, but in my head he's just left his weird Amish farm thing. Yeah. <laughs> he's on that, is it Springer Rockin' or whatever it is that they call it when the Amish win. Springer. Aye, that thing. Yeah, so in my mind, it's still Dwight from The Office, but he's younger, and he's doing that weird Amish spring break thing that they do. Yeah, so this is like like a really early role for Rain Wilson in that must like, have movie been, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 2003 yeah. when it was released, I think 2001 when it was shot. Yeah. Actually, you know, funny, I meant to mention this right at the start, sorry. Um, when I'd said on Twitter I was going to watch the film, I think it was Big Dean Martin, but certainly one of our listeners... If it wasn't Dean, I'm sorry for whoever it is that I'm giving Dean the credit for. But um, they were saying, I think the film was made in like something like 2000 or something like that. Yeah, 2000, 2001-ish, yeah. yeah. Like I say, it was in, essentially, it, it played to the studio execs. Rob Zombie played it to the studio execs and they they basically told them no. That was the word that came out, they were like, that. we cannot put this movie out. And then they just sat in it, so, as you do, and then... He tried to get someone else to buy it, and another another big studio bought it, and they were like, actually, no. Um, and then he had to eventually pay for it and then sell it. So Jesus. Just me- just absolutely mental. You know, like Even at that, at that point. And when you look yeah. at it now, it's I can maybe see why. Oh, I, I can absolutely see why. Um, and again, I'll, I'll talk about that at the end, uh, my feelings on this film mm-hmm. kind of thing. But... Um, yeah, right, so, so where was I? Sorry, there was the annoying guy that I bought the cramps albums off for. Oh, aye, and then Dwight for the office rocks up. Um, there's also, there's two girls in the back of the car, so basically it's, it's two couples that are kicking about in this car. Inside the gas station, Spalding's mopping up the blood. 
Um, and it turns out that these kids are uh, they're writing a book about these roadside attractions. Mm-hmm. We're in the late seventies by now, and I think a lot of these roadside attractions were kind of relics of the fifties. And I'd imagine by that time there was kind of very few of them left, and they were going round sort of documenting them for this book, if you like, which sounds like quite a fucking cool wee road trip, I've got to say. Um, where are we? Yes, Spalding kind of keeps pranking them, basically winding them up that he's this crazed backwoods redneck kind of thing and then laughing and all that, and they're, they're all quite uh, nervous about this. They then go in the murder ride, which is out the back of the gas station, which is like one of the... What is it? The ghost, a ghost train type thing? Yeah, it's like a yeah, ghost experience, ghost train thing. I was going to call it the Tunnel of Love. It's not like that at all. <laughs> not like that at all. Right to the office, we tried to finger his girlfriend during it, but it's not like the Tunnel of Love at all. Um, yeah, basically, it, it's like in a makeshift version of one of them because you've basically got the crazed mask-wearing little motherfucker pushing this trolley with four people in it. And Spalding's kind of hanging off the front, dressed up like a weird Uncle Sam. Uh, and he's telling them about all of these let's let waxworks, if you like, they're going by. And it's all kind of famous serial killers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they mentioned Lizzie Borden. Ed Gein gets a mention. Now, I know both of them were real. Yes. Um, and then they talk about a local one called Dr. Satan. Yes. Who had been a... I think a surgeon or something like that, and had killed all these people. And Spalding tells them that he was eventually kind of hung from a tree, a nearby tree, like sort of vigilante justice. The, the townsfolk hung him. Um, one of the girls, I think it's uh, Dwight's Mrs. Dwight's not his name in this, by the way, but <laughs> it's me that's reviewing the film, folks. So it's Dwight for the office. Uh, she calls her dad at home. Which becomes important later on. It sounds like a shite plot twist, but it gets kind of important. It, it basically, it's Halloween back where they are. Or fat everywhere. It's Halloween <laughs> all across America. Um, but you see that it's Halloween. There's kids running about trick or treating and that. And there's also there's a news report about missing cheerleaders. Well, it wouldn't be an American horror film if some fucking cheerleader wasn't getting her spleen raped to it. Oh, Baz. So, um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> the, the other. Uh, the other male in the party who I have called Hat Boy at this point, but um, I find out his name is a Jerry. He asks Spalding for directions to the hanging tree. Mm-hmm. They all set off for that. On the way, they pick up a lonesome hitchhiker, and it is the delectable Sherry Moon Zombie. Yeah. Uh, this uh, Jerry, by the way, played by Chris Hardwick. Who's Chris Hardwick again? That name means something to me. Uh, I think. Do you watch The Talking Dead? You, know, the show no. that re- you don't watch oh, that. Is it the presenter guy? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I thought that was him at a Breaking Bad. No, 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 no. He looks very similar, actually. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. done. He's done a shitload of like. He's done a shitload of things. His career, both him and Rain Wilson, their careers kind of exploded. Nothing to do with House of Thousand Corpses, but it turns out that the kind of popular futures moving forward and like Rob Zombie's really good at picking a cast, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also nailing his cast because you know he ended up married to that Sherry Moon, did he know? He was married to her before the movie. Oh, that's just fucking nepotism. <laughs> he's like he's been mm. he's been with her since like '96 or something. So, well, fair play to him. At least he's not <laughs> like a Robert. 
<laughs> she is she is rather rather delicious in this she, movie. she's quite fetching yes. she's quite a fetching young lady um, although her morals leave something to be desired in this <laughs> uh, she's hitchhiking for one now that's just dangerous and irresponsible Duncan um, I mean what would her mother think well we'll find out um, yeah so basically she's out hitchhiking and the, the scene she gets in and, and she's a bit manic her character is very manic in this film um, the scene where the car is kind of spliced with other footage of her kind of acting like, a bit like a kind of Manson disciple type idea I think maybe that's there, there's a kind of heavy Manson, Manson influence in parts of this yes. but again this idea of the you know cutting away to almost like a musical interlude and the character's kind of go-go dancing mm-hmm. that real kitschy kind of 50s vibe to it um, and the, the, the film's absolutely dripping in that zombie clearly has a fucking massive hard on for that kind of either. Do what she used to do during Rob Zombie acts. That's how she started off. She was a, a dancer in Rob Zombie stage show. Oh well, hot damn! <laughs> so she did. She did all that go go dancing. One of his backing dancers. Kinda, yeah. Kinda. Hat to you, Rob. You hairy bastard. Uh, the, uh, as the rumor goes, he was romantically linked to um, the female bass player in White Zombie and started seeing her on the side and then that's why White Zombie doesn't really exist anymore is because that was kind of like a messy, messy breakup. And then he started seeing Cherry Moon Zombie um, and then they, they, she danced like quite a lot. She didn't like most of his music videos as well, mostly dancing in all of them as well. So yeah, but I see all the, the treasure trove of filth you've just kind of just you've forbidden yourself from seeing by not listening to Rob Zombie what are you doing yeah it's true well in fairness you know when I did go back to that kind of era I, I spent most of my time masturbating to that fucking tainted love video <laughs> of Manson's with the wee, the wee blonde chick <laughs> for my name is Errol <laughs> yeah, anyway that, that's by the by that has no bearing in the plot at all I thought you were going to say you spent most of your time masturbating to Marilyn Manson I was like you know that's a it's a dude but as you know it's a dude I, sh- I should really do. well he does look a bit dubious in some of his album covers <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying I've never cracked one off to that animal or whatever it was you know <laughs> mechanical um, animals yeah mechanical animals anyway, I should really have just said I spent most of that period masturbating full stop <laughs> <laughs> Um, where are we? Where are we? I'm right off my stride now, don't um, Yeah. So they're basically driving her. She says, oh, I'm just heading home. It's not far from here. And on the way, I'd initially written here they blow a tyre. On my second watching of the first half of this film, I realised that another character that we've become familiar with shortly actually shoots their tyre out. Mm-hmm. And we find out it, it, it's... Uh, I'm going to call her Sherry. Her name, her name's Baby in the in the uh, in the movie, and and not to be confused with that bird food dirty dancing the big nose. It's a very different baby, yeah, and a very different tone as well. Yeah, well, yes. Um, <laughs> so basically, it's Baby's brother RG, who appears to be wearing a fox on his head, which is kind of odd, but kind of cool. Um, so yeah, so they think they're blowing the tire. It was actually Mad RG in the woods with a gun. Um, uh, Dwight for the office and Cherry Moon Zombie then basically have to walk to her house to phone for help she says no my brother's uh, he'll be able to fix your car he's got a tow truck and all that well he was the psycho wearing a fox on his head that just shot the tyre out so you know things aren't going to go too well here 
Um, just as they're getting to the house, we see a crazy long-haired dude who we'll come to know as Otis. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically has these missing cheerleaders tied up. Um, and I, I think things are going to get a little bit fingery fairly shortly. Oh, no. you, you can see he's, he's building himself up into a bit of a frenzy. He's got a glint and in his it, eye. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, his his badly manicured big toe has gone up somebody's ass oh, in bad. the next couple of minutes. Jesus. Um, I'm assuming that's in the deleted scenes in the Blu-ray version or something like that. It's certainly not in my copy, unfortunately. Um, Dwight and uh, Jeremy and Zombie get to the house. The brother RJ goes to pick the rest of them up in his tow truck. Um, he freaks them all out when he gets there because obviously he's wearing this fox on his head. He looks mental. Um, there's more scene splicing at this point and, and it's it's Sherry Moon Zombie rolling about with a corpse that is strikingly reminiscent of Necromantic mm-hmm. so Mike Thunder if you're listening to this you have ruined a lot of good films for me because <laughs> <laughs> that fucking thing just really stuck in my head now I'm actually um, I, was, I was pulling up the Wikipedia page on House of a Thousand Corpses earlier and um it was just so I had cast lists and stuff like that. But a line happened to catch me and it talked about controversial scenes involving masturbation and necrophilia. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming the necrophilia is we Sherry Moon Zombie rolling about with a dead body at a necromantic. Kinda. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so now basically everybody's back at the house. The mother appears. She's not what you would call a great mother. <laughs> um, she clearly loves her children a lot, but sh- she needs to rule them with a, a stronger hand, Duncan, if you mm-hmm. ask. Um, I-, I think her name, I think she's referred to as Mother Firefly, but yeah. I don't get it. I don't think you really get that name in the film. I think it's she's just the mother of them all, kind of thing. She, remind, she reminds me of Stifler's mom a little bit. Well, she's played by Karen Black, who is like one of the definitive like genre actresses of the 70s and 80s and she does have a particular look which kind of fits in with this one um, which kind of makes she she plays that kind of because she was a bit older like Zombie got a lot of his a lot of his casting is like people that were in movies that he grew up watching so he got a chance he picked people like Sid Haig <clears throat> an actor that he grew up watching genre stuff and she um, did the first one I want to say she she didn't pass away until recently but she was recast in The the, the Devil's Rejects one of the only yeah I was, I was going to mention I'll, I'll, I'll mention that when we get The Devil's Rejects yeah, actually because I want to speak about that a little bit yeah um, basically what you get with <clears throat> what you get with her in this one is just this like overtly sexual so over the top but amazingly weird and twisted performance by her. I think I think Karen Black's a tremendous actress, and she she's is, very good in this. I've got to see. I'm not familiar with her at all, but she's very good in this. She just she plays the part perfect. Like you know, as the kind of the the matriarch of the family, she's spot on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's all very weird, as you say. She has this kind of 
sexual overtone mm-hmm. that she plays out on the, the males that have arrived, yet it's her family that are all sitting around her and all that kind of thing. There's no phones in the place. You just know it isn't going to go too well for this hapless crowd at the car kind of thing. Um, the family, as I'm referring to them, uh, so like Baby and, and the mother and, and all that, and Otis and that, um, they're very heavy into Halloween in a big way. So it's a bit like McLeish's house. Um, <laughs> My daughter's still watching Halloween movies on the iPad. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like really, she she went out to she went out to nursery today wearing a top which has like Count Dracula, a skeleton, and a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> parenting, pa- parenting done well or done poorly? You decide, listener. You decide. <laughs> Uh, well, I basically bought my kid one of the uh, Baz V Horror t-shirts so that we both have the exact same t-shirt now. Yeah. Um, first, I meant to get a picture of the two of us together, but she was away home before I remembered. But that will come. <laughs> so basically, yeah, I'm dressing my 14-year-old daughter the same as me now, which is <laughs> kind of weird. I don't my know who that photo. says more about, do you know what I mean? <laughs> my favourite photo, just as a quick aside, is the black flag, cat flag. <laughs> combo like, that's one of my favourite yeah. photos ever like I just think that's just a great photo yeah I do like that with myself actually um, yeah so they're obsessed with Halloween it's a big deal to them they insist that the kids stay for dinner uh, a huge guy like a giant in a weird mask turns up he's ironically called Tiny um, and it turns out he's deaf um, and we then find out that he was um he was badly disfigured and deafened um, by his father, who tried to burn the house down. And Tiny happened to be kind of at the epicentre of this when he tried to torch the place. Yeah. And he was very badly hurt. Um, which is why he wears this kind of bandage mask thing. Um, the mother tells him to go and get the grandpa, who is fucking nuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, going by, sorry. I meant to say this earlier on as well, Don. When you read out the intro of the film, two teenage couples travelling across the backwoods of Texas searching for urban legends of murder end up in a prisoner's biza- as prisoners of a bizarre and sadistic backwater family of serial killers. Mm-hmm. Right. Change one word in that. Right. Two teenage couples travelling across the backwoods of Dunoon searching for urban legends of murder end up as prisoners of a bizarre and sadistic backwater family of serial killers. That could have been me, Duncan. <laughs> And there was there was guys used to drink the pub I worked in there with a spitting image of grandpa. Yeah, he's 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 uh, like uh, eccentric is maybe like an understatement to how yeah, yeah. he's been on the moonshine, I, mean, I think. The, the old guys that used to come out of my pub talked a lot less about Cunnilingus. <laughs> oh god. And um <laughs> old grandpa does, he loves it. Yep. He loves it. he loves getting down there and working it, you know what I mean? Um you all know the word I'm skirting around here, I'm not gonna say <laughs> Um, yeah, but then we then basically see that the cheerleaders are basically held prisoner in the house. It also looks like one of them is already dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Otis comes down to join the dinner. He's a bit of a dick. <laughs> uh, well, for one, he's carrying a jar with a dead fetus in it, mm-hmm. which is uncool. <laughs> really quite uncool. Um, and. He's played in a very... It's hard to describe the way he's played in this film, but I'm going to talk about that more in the second film, Mm -hmm. 
right? But he has a very kind of creepy, seedy kind of malevolence about him in this film. You know he's absolutely bad to the bone, right for the word go. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but there's a kind of nauseating kind of vibe going on, really seedy kind of slant. He's not straight out stone cold killer evil. He's got this horrible side to him as well. It, it, Brilliantly played, I've got to say. A very, very unpleasant character to watch all the way through this film. Um, and that that's even without the, the, the baby in a jar. Um, which was really disconcerting, I've got to say. Yeah, that, that baby thing was really not cool at all. <laughs> um, Jerry asks about... So Hatboy asks about Dr. Satan. Uh, there's all sorts of looks around the table, you know, and then uh, Otis kind of mocks him about it a wee bit. Um, then on the stroke of midnight, as we go into the day of Halloween itself, the family put on a show, which is fucking batshit crazy, <laughs> has to be said. Um, basically get baby all decked up. She doesn't even look remotely like her doing that um, boop-boop-be-doo song. Um, I don't know what the fucking name of it is, but uh, she does that. Uh, is it wrong that I got slightly aroused when you did that? <laughs> did you like that? Yeah, I, I did. I had my hands and I was bent over just oh, shut, shut up. Ruined it. Ruined it. Shut up. That's right in the wank bank, that one. Um, things get a little bit fraught. A baby comes off the stage and she's kind of flirting with the guys. One of the girlfriends takes great offence to this. Pushes her down and she's basically like, come on then, bitch type thing. Right, love. Have a wee look about and feel the fucking tone in this house. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you really want to square up to the baby of the family? Do you know what I mean? Because every other single member of her family looks like they will literally eat your face off your skull. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Shut up and sit down. If she wants to try and give fucking Dwight for the office a semi-boner, leave her to it. It's not worth getting fucked up over. <laughs> um, sure enough, baby whips out a knife and things are about to go go to stabby town. Um, but the, the maw seems to manage to calm everybody down and tells them to get the fuck out, basically, so they have to go. They drive off, um, but they've basically got to stop to open the gates to get out of the kind of farm complex. Dwight for the office gets out and then gets attacked by Otis and Tiny, who are brilliantly disguised as scarecrows yep. at the side of the road. It's, it's quite creepy, man. It's, uh, there are some real... It, it's not a scary film, this, in the sense of like, the way I found something like Paranormal Activity scary, or like the yep. scary, you know, it's not like that. But there's some fucking jarring mechanisms in this film, mm-hmm. you know, are used. Uh, and, and for some reason, the scarecrow bit really got to me. Um, so the, 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 the two of them get done off the... They're almost kind of crucified up there like, as, as if they're scarecrows and they, they get down and they, they kick the shit out of uh, Dwight for the office. Um, yeah, I think I, I think uh, Jerry tries to go out the car to help him or something. He gets kicked in as well. And then they basically smash their way into the car to get the girls. And the scene... And this is about the halfway mark. This is actually where I stopped on the first night. 
you're left just with one of the girls in the backseat just screaming kind of thing um, as Otis is on top of the car giving it the kind of Willem Dafoe scene out of Platoon for some reason. <laughs> I don't know if I would even make it, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so, uh, so that's that. A very effective scene, I've got to say. The way that they're taken down was really good. Yeah, the next morning, so morning has broken, uh, to paraphrase the old famous hymn for my church. I don't know why I've gone doing that, really. I don't know either. Um, <laughs> RJ's basically towing the kid's car away. Um, Denise's dad, who she called earlier, um, he's a bit concerned because she's not turned up, so he phones the cops. He turns out to be an ex-cop himself. Uh we then see one of the girls, I think it's Mary, is tied up in the room with Otis. So, uh, that's going to end badly. Um, she asks for Dwight for the office. Um, and then we get a, kind of one of these spliced-in flashback scenes. And it's basically Otis and Baby torturing Dwight. Mm. Um, and then Otis... <laughs> this is where... Uh, this scene, I'm just like, oh fuck, yeah, right. This, we're gone now. We're not in fucking Kansas anymore. Do you know what I mean? There's a quote from another film I struggled to watch. Um, <laughs> she basically pulls back this curtain to reveal Fish Boy. Fish Boy, yeah. She's basically Dwight for the Office's upper torso and head brilliantly fused <laughs> to the bottom end of a fish. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's taking the dead corpse and tried to turn it into some kind of mermaid type creature kind of thing it's really disturbing to look at mm-hmm. really disturbing to look at um, not to mention uh, an amazing feat of plastic surgery because you can't <laughs> see in that at all uh, you know on a complete fucking tangent and this is the Ryoka starting to kick in there's a film turned up on Netflix uh, about a murderous mermaid. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we need to watch that. That looks shit. Oh, there's a. I can go one step further for you. I can tell you of a, mu- a movie that's coming out this year that could very well be on the the upper spectrum of your best movies this year, which is a Polish mermaid movie, which is basically like a musical, but all the songs are punk rock. I don't even know where to start with that. Don't it me. sounds fucking amazing. It's apparently like some sort of horror musical hybrid. Um, but the the two Polish women um, are mermaids. It's, wow. It's been getting amazing reviews uh, and it's one that I want to do in this show and I, I could not think of anyone I'd rather spend the time dissecting that movie with oh, the, yeah. yourself. Yeah, well, we're double featuring that son of a bitch with the, yeah. the, that thing that's on Netflix because that looks shite. <laughs> shite. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> right, wait, wait, right. so, that, so that's Fishboy, right? Obviously, young Mary is quite upset at Fishboy. It's yeah. not really how you want to see... I can't remember if it's her boyfriend or if it's her pal's boyfriend. Either way, you don't really want to see him like that. Um, the cops basically Denise's old man's put the cops on they, they head in to see Spalding um, 
ask about the missing kids, and lo and behold, one of the cops is Walt and fucking Goggins. Yep. Yes! <laughs> I love Walt and Goggins. Oh, I do love Walt and Goggins. One of the biggest surprises for me was when watching back this this movie for, for the show was realising that he was in this. Like, even back then, Walton Goggins is just one of these actors that's just... It just appears everywhere. I mean, he's obviously yeah. become, like, very much the... He's very much in favour just now with, with, with a lot of different directors and a lot of really, really good roles. But back in the day, he was just... He was in, I'm sure he's in, I'm sure he's in Joyride, which is also a... Uh, which is also a horror movie from about the same time playing a cop. Well, it'd be rude about this time as well that The Shield was out. Was he on The Shield? Well, yeah, was The Shield not after 2001, is it? I don't know. He's, he's in that, yeah, actually. He's in that. He was in Justified, which was later. That was what I actually really got to know. Ah, he was in the Shield's Justified, 2002 to 2008, so yeah, yeah. about the oh. same time, cop again. Boom! As dropping the knowledge bomb. <laughs> um, yeah, Walton Goggins is in it. I just, I love the subversive, effeminate slant that he puts on the most psychotic characters. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Fucking utter genius. Anyway, Walton fucking Goggins is in this. So he rocks in as a cop. He's, he's not counting up quite so much in it, but he's, he's got that southern drawl thing going on. He's just fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, where are we? Where are we? Yeah, um, Denise... She's tied to the bed in the basement, dressed as a schoolgirl type thing, which is a bit weird, I've got to say. Um, Tiny comes down to feed her. She manages to convince Tiny to free her. He's a bit kind of challenged. Um, and she manages to convince him to free her as he's eating his dinner at a dog bowl with Tiny written on it. Yeah. Um, but Otis catches her and throws her in a cage. And we see that there's other people in the cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, who don't appear to be in a very good way because I think they basically try and eat her at one point um, so yeah so you now see it there's not just these kids for the car that are here there are other people that have been held prisoner there already kind of thing uh, the cops find the kids abandoned car which is leading them in a wild goose chase um, ah boy he's tied up in a room um, baby comes in and starts kind of tormenting him a wee bit starts asking him questions and uh, basically gets one of them wrong and she fucking scalps him. Mm-hmm. Which was a bit harsh, I've got to say. <laughs> um... <laughs> Why can I not keep track of where I'm here, right? Yeah, right, then the cops, back at the car, the cops open the boot, dead cheerleaders in the boot. Um... The two cops are Walton Goggins and the side... Well, Walton is the kind of sidekick in it. Walton Goggins and his boss guy basically then go to pick up Denise's father who's turned up to help because he's an ex-cop. Um, they head over to the family's house. I can't remember how. So something leads them there um, to look for the kids kind of thing. The main cop goes in the front door. The mother lets him in. Walton Goggins and Denise's dad, they go in the back... And they basically go into this barn thing and find all these girls strung up. Uh-huh. This scene, the, the cinematography, you know what I'm like, cinematography is not something I go for. Camera yep. work is not really something that fucking floats my boat, but this is done brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Um, you see Goggins frantically trying to radio through to the other guy, like his boss guy, 
who is in with the mum. You know, she's pattering them up. Everything's going fine. She just whips out a gun and shoots them right through the neck. Um, Otis then basically appears round the back and kills the other two. Kills Denise's dad and Walton Goggins kind of thing. It, the whole thing is done in slow motion. Yep. There's this very kind of old-fashioned kind of country music that is just the polar opposite of what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. The music is in complete juxtaposition to what you're seeing on screen. To me, this is a really heavy David Lynch kind of vibe, this scene. Yeah, there's there's something very unsettling about the way the cinematography plays off. It's like you say, it's it, this to me is like, like Rob Zombie is a very frustrating director to me because there are moments that I consider as almost auteur kind of style of filmmaking. I think he, he can sometimes do things that leave me sitting there going, this is this single shot is just yeah, pure horror genius. Yeah. And then two seconds later, someone will talk about chicken fucking. Um, yeah. And you're just like, oh, for fuck's sake. And it's like he, he can't, it's like he has an inability to tow like a straight line through a movie, and this scene's amazing. Like I, this is probably one of my favourite scenes in the, in the entire movie. Yeah, 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 it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, I've written here very effective scene kind of thing. Um, I, I don't often make notes on things like that. Yeah. Um, I, I just thought the way it was done, the tone of it, the feel, the way it made you feel watching it was it was just spot on. Really, really good. Um. All right, I, I, I was dreading this scene. <laughs> Baby and RJ go out to buy booze. Oh no! At the red hot P word liquor shop. <laughs> I obviously the name of the shop is quite a clever pun. Just say it, Duncan. Say it once, please. Uh, pussy. Say the name of the shop. It's the red hot pussy liquor club. <laughs> yep. I, I, I put a space in there because I didn't want people to hear me say pussy liquor <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it, is, it is quite funny I just think I was going to fucking have a nightmare try to talk about it <laughs> um, basically they, they go on a booze run so they're doing a bit of killing a bit of raping let's get the beer in uh, the head down there young Sherry's fucking ass is hanging right out of her jeans mm. which isn't that unpleasant to watch I've got to say um, <laughs> there's, there's a scene the guy in the shop's quite funny as well that, that's quite a, the scene with him I've not really got any notes in that but I do remember chuckling at that scene yep. um, back at the house though things aren't quite as jovial um, <laughs> Otis has basically skinned Denise's dad and is now wearing it as a costume a la that weird guy in Silence of the Lambs. Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Um, the kids are all hung up for meat hooks dressed as bunnies, because it's Halloween, obviously. Um, and the Otis slash Denise's dad hybrid <laughs> uh, basically says, I'm going to take you meet Dr. Satan. They walk out into the fields... There's like an old kind of mine or a well or something. Like we're kind of mechanism for lowering things up and down into it. Um, they pull up this coffin type thing. Um, put Jerry in it. Uh, one of the girls runs off um, and ends up in this kind of makeshift looking graveyard. This is obviously a lot of their victims. 
Yeah. Um, but Baby catches up with and kills her. The other girl gets put in the coffin with Jerry and they get lowered down into this mine thing. They get down to the bottom, there's water. There are kind of creatures in the water that basically pull the coffin apart and take Jerry away. It's written here that early on when Spaulding is telling him about the character of Dr. Satan, he says something about he was trying to create a race of like superhumans mm-hmm. by experimenting on the people in the asylum that he worked in or something like that. And I think these creatures are supposed to be like that. They are products of Dr. Satan. Is that right? Yep. I'm on the right kind of path there, yeah. Because they don't appear to be particularly human. Um, Yeah, Denise tries to escape through the... There's all sorts of tunnels off this mine thing that they're in. Um, Denise tries to escape. Family are burying the bodies in the graveyard. Otis, for some reason, is now dressed like Papa Emeritus from Ghost. (laughs) Kind of odd. Um... Yeah, Denise, she then ends up in like an underground corridor that's lined with corpses and it leads into a kind of church like kind of room that's made of bones and skulls and stuff. Very effective visuals. Obviously, this is the house of the thousand corpses. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's not just what was going on in the house, there's a whole kind of underground section to it and there's just bodies everywhere, basically. Um, And we then see. Dr. Satan. The, the, this reminded me of a Marilyn Manson video, I've got to say. <laughs> um, Dr. Satan is kind of like half man, half robot now almost, like kept alive by machinery. Kind of like a steampunk Darth Vader almost. <laughs> but he, he's, his arms are worked by pulleys and things. And he's basically operating on Jerry. It, it's not gone well, the operation has to be said. Um... Denise gets chased through a tunnel by one of the monsters um, but she appears to manage to escape when the monster brings the tunnel down on itself, the roof on on itself Um, she climbs out the next morning gets picked up by Spaulding but Otis is hiding in the backseat of the car jumps up, goes to kill her but then she appears to wake up still in Dr. Satan's lab like Uh it was all a dream so the ending is quite kind of there's a dubiety about the ending mm-hmm. as to what actually happened there kind of thing. Um, and that's where the film ends. Um, that it, it's not what I was expecting at all. In what way? In that the only Rob Zombie stuff I'd seen before were the Halloween remakes, right? Let's put that fucking second one aside. Let's just focus on the first <laughs> Halloween Right. Right. Uh, it paid a lot of homage to the original and was a fairly straightforward film. Mm-hmm. House of a Thousand Corps, it, it, it's a very abstract film. Yeah. There's a real, this really kitschy 50s B-movie vibe all the way through. I kept thinking like the cramps all the way through this film. Mm-hmm. Um some of the techniques used in it didn't work for me. Some of the kind of the splicing in of other footage yeah. 
started to kind of annoy me. And more so, there are ones where the, the footage you're seeing is almost like a negative. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of bugging me. But in fa- to be fair to Rob Zombie, I can see what he was trying to do. Yeah. And for your first film, this was really bold, really brave. Do you know? I mean, this is not a straight up slasher movie. Or I know, I noticed like on the IMDb and that um, it talks about it used. He said it was heavily based around Texas Chainsaw Massacre and that Hills of Eyes thing. Yeah, so, yeah, like, movies are... I think I saw the Hills of Eyes remake years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, This movie, like, it owes a lot to 70s exploitation. It's, like, huge. Like, the the techniques used in the movies are... You're spot on 100%. It's kind of 50s B-movie... Um, kind of genre fair in terms of its techniques, but the story um, and the way the plot unfolds is straight. Really it's straight okay. from the 1970s. It's like honestly, it is. There's a reason he's set in the 70s, and it is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It is Last House on the Left. It is House of Eyes. It is. Um, there's a bit of Fun House in there. Toe Pooper's Fun House. There's a bit of Deranged in there. You know, there's all these films that are known necromantic for sure. Um, there's all these movies that were, were, you know, seen as dangerous, dark, twisted, malevolent pieces of cinema in the 1970s, and that's his genre. That's what his favorite stuff is. So. I, I can see exactly what you mean. If you if you'd only ever seen Halloween, like uh-huh. forget about that second one. Even if you had seen that second one, if those were the only two Rob Zombie's movies you'd ever seen, and then you watched The Devil's Rejects, you could be forgiven for thinking it is a different. Out of a thousand corpses. Yeah, sorry. You you could be forgiven for thinking it is a completely yes. different director because it's yeah. j- just st- stylistically. I mean, like the opening scene in Halloween. With the kind of redneck family is very much, you know, it's not. It's just a more refined, polished version of, you know, like the kind of family yeah. aesthetic you're getting in House of a Thousand Corpses. Is one uh-huh. of the reasons I'm, I'm not particularly fond about the, the the family in Halloween. But that's that's his. All oh, right. Yes. You see, I really liked that. But then again, that was the first thing I'd ever seen. Yes. Yeah, so like you. And I, I liked that start of it. That to me, it was like, oh, this is like, like I see, this movie is the the Rosetta Stone almost of a lot of how Rob Zombie's material, his filmmaking, his styles, his dialogue all originate here. So this is like the the blueprint template to to understanding how Rob Zombie makes films because this was the I genuinely think he thought this was maybe going to be the only movie he was going to get a chance to do so yeah. he, he swung for the fences with this one he really made it yeah. the most over the top outrageous you know insane love letter to to 70s exploitation as possible yeah. see that that's what I wanted to say about it I, I just I think what he did here was really brave um, because I, I could understand why movie companies were like no mate that's not what we were looking for do you yeah. know what I mean I, I think they'd have been looking for a kind of you know a slasher you know a, a much more mainstream version of you know maybe these these films that you've mentioned or a kind of slasher you know it's Rob Zombie give us a slasher film Rob do you know what I mean yeah. give us a new fucking character you know Captain Spaulding let's make him this crazy serial killer do you know mm-hmm. and he's not done that at all and, and it's very artistic at points I'm not saying I loved this film I didn't 
I'm the same as you. It's, uh, I appreciate the shit out of this film. Uh I really do. Things like I'm talking about that, that scene where he kills Goggins and the, the girl's dad and that, fucking brilliant. But just overall, as a film, I'm not saying I dislike it, because I don't. It's really good. There's a lot of good stuff in here. But just as a whole, I wasn't totally like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. But I kept thinking, that took some fucking balls to make this. Your first, your first movie out, do you know what I mean? Because you must have known you weren't making an easy watch. Oh, do no. you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I, I definitely. I, I, I kind of... There are certain things about the movie that I do respect. For the most part, it, it doesn't really work for me, and it's, it's for some of the reasons that you've touched on. I find the, the movie is wildly inconsistent throughout most of it. I don't particularly like the dialogue. If I'm, I know, I know he's aiming for that. This is how dialogue was written in the nineteen seventies, and I understand that argument to an extent. But I don't. I I hate that being used as an excuse to pardon bad dialogue. You, I mean, you can do a movie which is influenced by the 1970s with great dialogue. I mean, if you look at a movie like um, The Exorcist, or you look at a movie like Jaws, yeah. which have fantastic dialogue. So the, the horror movies, you can have that 70s exploitation aesthetic, but do like really good script writing. And I think he's, he, I think in this movie, the, the seams start to show the story's not great either. R- really. It, it kind of, it kind of flip flops. And I see he has all these great ideas of what a character should look like or how we should be introduced to them. And some of the single shot, like I said, single shot set pieces, the introduction of Dr. Satan, the introduction of Otis, uh, Otis later on when he looks like you said, the ghost singer or, mm. um, you know, Cherry Moon zombie doing the go-go dancing or, you know, he has these these great one shots, but then we get a lot of like plodding about the place in between. I don't think it works like all that well as a like as, as a seamless movie. And furthermore, I think my biggest gripe, and I know a lot of people have used this, and sometimes it's it's easy to throw this out. It feels like an elongated version of a Rob Zombie music video. And if you've seen Rob Zombie music videos, that might make sense. But right, okay. um, to me, it just feels it feels like a longer version of a Rob Zombie music video. Um, with dialogue over the top mm. of it and I, I, once again not to take anything like you say if you were given if I was given my one shot at making a movie I would maybe play it a bit more safe because yeah. I'd want to make another movie and he does not do that he he really wants to go for it and after this movie there was already talk about Rob Zombie is a future master of horror just because it was unlike anything else Mm. that come out there was nothing like A House of a Thousand Corpses when it came out in like the early 2000s nothing even remotely like it it was like a, a, a huge soapy hand job to, to all those movies so, that like proper genre fans so uh, how, how did you feel when you first saw it then because you were saying that you were like beyond psych to go and see this kind of thing um, so what was what was your initial reactions to this movie then like when I first saw it I I liked it more than I like it now, and I think... But then the first time I saw Halloween, I liked it more than I like it now. I think my problem with Rob Zombie movies is I don't think they hold up, like, at all. I've never thought they've held up. I think that when I watch them more, I start to notice the seams, like... And the the worst thing for Rob Zombie for me is I think Rob Zombie genuinely thinks he's like he's he was like the horror equivalent of Tarantino so Tarantino's taking all these influences from like uh, you know all these 
ultra-violent revenge films from the 60s and 70s or, you know, westerns from the, the from the 70s and, you know, and he was making movies out of them, but Tarantino's shit-hot at writing a story and dialogue. Like, yeah. that's his bread and butter. And Rob Zombie's not. So Rob Zombie ca- catches a lot of the aesthetics and a lot of the kind of character design, but he can't write, he really can't write dialogue worth a fuck. Um, mm. And that's why every character is motherfuck or fucking motherfuck or fuck that you know like, and it's all like like a, a grandpa who constantly talks about, you know, yeah. licking the pee, um, or you know like 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 Captain Spaulding's character is so weirdly awesome, but at the same time, like the reason it works really well for him is you like Sid Haig is is meant to play that character it's perfect but there's dialogue at other characters mouths which I'm just like that you can write something right I understand they're inbred hicks right but they don't not every character in this movie needs to kind of speak like that and yeah. it's, it's lazy to me uh, but the first time I saw it I was I genuinely sat with my jaw on the floor because I'd never seen a modern movie do half of what this movie did and cover like so many movies that I'd grown up watching Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I mean I, I totally I'm, I, I'm over the moon that you watched this movie and you were like this is a really brave movie and you you know you, you, you liked like aesthetical choices or you liked certain things out I totally understand the opinion where you're like that I respect it but I wouldn't say I love it yeah yeah I, I, I'm impressed by the film <laughs> but I wouldn't say you know, I wouldn't watch over and over again. It's not like, God, I can't wait to watch that again. Do you know what I mean? Not like that at all. But I'm impressed by the film. And like I say, I'm, I just want to applaud Rob Zombie for having the fucking stones to do that. Like, as you say, it's just go for broke. This is what I want to do. That's the film I'm going to make. And I can only imagine what he must have been like trying to tout that around these places. And we're like, no, mate, we don't want that. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Well, no, fuck you. That's the film. You know, and give him his due. He didn't go back and turn it into a serial killer film. Yes. Do you know what I mean? He could have done, and you know, and whoever would have put it out for him. But he, he's obviously stuck to his guns. No, this is the film I want to put out. You know, and I've got to respect the guy for that because there's not enough of that these days, to be honest. No, it's like the movie industry is a plate safe industry now. Mm-hmm. So the fact that exactly. you have that is uh, is commendable. Right, um, what we're going to do in terms of... I'm going to obviously give you your grading, but what we're going to do is we're going to hold off our... Like, obviously, we're going to rank them all at the end like we did with Evil Dead. So we're going to hold off on any other comments. I will say for you on this review, fucking loved it, Baz. Nailed it as always. I can't give you anything less than an A+. Nice! But we need to move on and do another movie review there's so many movies to talk about in this episode and this one is a sequel of sorts um, to this one couldn't be any different if it tried Um, completely different vibe completely different idea characters are played differently Um, stylistically completely different movie Um, so it'll be interesting to see coming from House of a Thousand Corpses, what you make of our next movie. So we're going to take a very short break just now. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear a trailer for movie number two on this end-of-year assessment, Baz Takes on Rob Zombie. Up next, from 2005, The Devil's Rejects. Myself and the Baz coming right back right after this. 
Hello, I'm Gore Blimey and I'm your host on the Trilogy of Terror podcast. Each month I'll look at one director and talk about three of their horror movies. Kicking things off in episode one with Lamberto Bava, the man who brought us demons. Now, the horror films might not always be scary or even good, but well, if that happens, what movie and pizza night isn't all the better for a bit of extra cheese? Come and check out the show at gentlemansgrindhouserecords.com or find it on iTunes and Stitcher. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies. Welcome back. So this is the second movie review. Up next, 2005's The Devil's Rejects, written and directed by Rob Zombie. Um, this movie stars a lot of the same characters from before. So Sid Haig, Bill Mosley, Sherman Zombie, William Forsyth, Ken Free, Matthew McGrory, uh, see what I did there? Leslie Easterbrook, uh, Jeffrey Lewis, uh, Priscilla Barnes, Dave Sheridan, Kate Norby. Lou Temple, Danny Trejo, Diamond Dallas motherfucking page, Brian Posson. Uh, did I make a mistake anywhere? I don't know, I wasn't actually following you this time. I will say that I got a 100% right then, Baz. The Rioja has kicked in, no doubt. <laughs> so I could say anything I want. Past even caring about your fucking pronunciations. <laughs> Synopsis for this one on IMDb. The murderous backward Firefly family take to the road to escape a vengeful police force which is not afraid of being as ruthless as their target. So yeah, this one comes out two years after the official release of um, The House of a Thousand Copsies. Once again, Rob Zombie tied this one into an album release. Even had a song, I believe, called The Devil's Rejects on that album. And on the previous album, had a song called House of a Thousand Corpses. Do you see what he did there? Um, I do. You do. You do indeed. Um, so yeah, so this one is a sequel of sorts, a kind of timeline of how things are really set out. It's not expressly kind of laid out, really, I think. So it's not like five minutes later after the previous movie. This one's kind of set out slightly differently. Um, however, it does carry on certain events from the previous movie. But like I said before we jumped into this one, aesthetically this is a completely different... This is still very much a 70s movie, but it's in a completely different world from the... Uh, long gone are the neon lights. Um, so yeah, th this could be quite interesting because I think even tonally this movie is a bit different. Um, and certain characters play, 
play themselves differently in this movie. Um, and we have a bit of recasting, like we mentioned earlier on, with uh, Leslie Easterbrook replacing Karen Black as Mother Firefly. Right, Baz, um, all right, we need to get into this. We have so many movies to talk about. I need to know uh, what you made of what some people would argue is Rob Zombie's best movie ever, The Devil's Rejects. Go for it. Right, I'm not going to fucking hang about, don't because as you see, we've got another three films to get through after this. Yes, just a bit. Um, yeah, The Devil's Reject, as you see, kind of follow-up to House of a Thousand Corpses, certainly contains many of the same characters. Um, opens with a news report of a police raid on a farmhouse, um, during which they find journals detailing about 75 murders, um, and the family that have done it are now known as The Devil's Reject. It's... It's like you say, it's not a direct follow-on, but it kind of references what happened in the previous film. Mm-hmm. But there's certain changes, do you know what I mean? Um, but it's set in 1978, which is a year after the date that we saw in the first film. Yes. So, yeah, it's it's taken a bit of artistic license, I think, <laughs> it's kind of continuity in that. Mm-hmm. And... After having what, seen what I saw in House of a Thousand Corpses, fuck it. I, <laughs> do, you know what I mean? Do what you want. If that's how you want to make the film, that's fine. I don't have a problem. He's clearly not a guy for sticking to rules when it comes to his filmmaking, and I, I kind of dug that in the first film. So I, I do, I, normally, continuity things drive me fucking insane. You know, my OCD will kick in and that. No, that's wrong. <laughs> that didn't happen. Um... <laughs> Due to the nature of the first film, I've been able to sort of let that go a little bit, um, thankfully. Um, We see a woman's body being dragged through the woods. Lo and behold, it's Tiny uh, that's dragging her through the woods, who we're very familiar with. The police then arrive at the farm, so I think that this kind of opening scene is set just before the news report we've just heard. This is the police raid that we've just heard about. Um, The police turn up at the the farm, the family are all asleep. Well, there's baby, uh, Shane Zombie. The mother's there, and I noticed straight away, I was like, that's not the same mother. And obviously, I'm watching these films kind of days apart, so it's not like I saw the first one at the cinema and the second one two years later. So straight away, I was like, that's not the mum. Um, we have Otis. And I actually thought it was somebody else playing Otis. Yeah, he does look... He looks very different. He's grown a beard. Mm-hmm. Right. But, I mean, I've grown a beard. You can still <laughs> tell it's fucking me, do you know what I mean? He's I rocking really the Manson it. look here. The, man he is. the Charles Manson look here. Um, so I had written here, the mother's definitely different. I think Otis does too. And I actually put in here, and I know this is wrong, but I left it in my notes because I thought, it gives you a chance to mock. <laughs> I do enjoy mocking. I put, I think Rob Zombie's playing Otis in this one. <laughs> Baz, I will mercilessly mock. If you'd watched, let's see if you'd listened to it, well, no, in fairness, I think Rob Zombie looked like that about this time, so I will let you off. But I do feel the need to that. I, I, I imagine our listeners are mocking you. <laughs> I'm sure they will be. I'm Good. sure they will be. Okay. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it's the family, but so we've got Baby, who's Baby. We've got Otis, who is still Otis, but looks different. The mother who's played with somebody else. You know who that is, though? No. Oh, come on. Leslie Easterbrook. No. 
Baz, you're breaking, my, you're breaking my heart here. I, I suspect this is going to be one of, the, one of these ones I've never seen. No, this was an at- entire series of movies which was beloved, beloved in the 80s and early 90s. Right, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> this is Callahan from Police Academy. Was that the big busty one? Yeah, the big busty blonde. Oh, this... right! Yeah, that's up there. Oh, God, no, I'd have never got that. I'd have never got that. I, I will admit to having a bit of a crush on Callahan when I was a youngin. Fair play. Fair play. Something was, about I... the, the discipline and the strictness, Baz. You know what I mean? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, in a, in a similar vein, I had the horn for high tower. So, <laughs> that goes. <laughs> I so badly, like, ladies and gentlemen, I want a T-shirt that says "I had the horn for high tower." <laughs> Listen, if we're going to keep putting quotes of mine on T-shirts, we'll need to release a new T-shirt about every fortnight, don't we? Okay. Hey, we've got something in the pipeline, Baz. There's a plan. There's, there's plans that there's plans of fit for summer. That's there's, all I'm saying. There's always a fucking plan. There's always a plan. Um, I don't sleep. So. Right, listen, I'm, I'm frantically trying to get through this one paragraph. Right, we've got baby. We've got Otis, who's the same but looks different. We've got the mother, who's different. Uh, we've seen Tiny running about. He's the same, but he's not actually inside the house. And we have RJ. I'm not sure if it's the same guy or not. And he gets killed very quickly. Yes, uh, it does. I don't think it uh, is, actually. But I might be wrong. Like, Grandpa's no there. No. So it's this is what I was saying, you know, it's it is a follow-on. It does clearly point at the things that happened in the first one, but things have changed. You know, and then just because he wanted it to change, not because, you know, this obviously happened in the intervening time. Do you know it's not done like that, it's just like this is how I'm setting this film up and that's how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And again, I am kinda of okay with that, surprisingly. Um yeah, so they're all in the house, they're all asleep when the police turn up, uh, the cops kind of call them out with a megaphone kind of thing. Um, then there's this fucking huge gunfight. The family are all wearing these Ned Kelly type kind of masks, like made of iron, like down over their faces. You know Ned Kelly, the Australian outlaw guy? I do indeed. Yeah, and he wore this metal suit thing that he made, kind of thing, like a shite Iron Man. So uh, <laughs> they've clearly ripped him off. He clearly ripped Stan Lee off. It's the circle of life, Duncan. I couldn't have my tata. Um, RJ gets killed in the, the, the gunfight. Uh, basically, the cops storm into the house. The gunfight's fucking amazing. It's got to be said, the gunfight's really good. It's a great action scene. Um, the cops storm the house with tear gas and all that. They get in, the family are hiding. They start shooting at them. And the, the bullets are pinging off their metal and all that. Really well done. Um, RJ gets killed. The mother gets captured. Um, but she tries to kill. She's basically crying over RJ's body when the cops bust in. She pulls this gun and puts it to her head. They're trying to talk her down. She pulls the trigger, but there's no bullets left, so she gets captured. Um, Otis and Baby escape, like through the basement. And again, like they're running through the basement tunnels and that, and there's people in cages trying to grab at them. So they've still got people held in the place, you know, it's not like what happened in that first film was a one-off. Yeah. Um, they then kind of escape out into the swamps around them kind of thing. Um, and I think they kind of kill an off-duty nurse and take her car. And then the credits kind of play over this road trip type scene with the two of them in this car. 
I'd written here, I think it was Creedence Clearwater Revival, but I think it was actually Leonard Skinner that they used. Um, certainly used Skinner at the end of the film. There's a lot of Southern rock in this movie. Yeah, it's like, once again, totally fits the aesthetic of the movie, though. Yeah, it works brilliantly. Yeah, it works brilliantly. Things like that. And I can see now that you're telling me that he used to do his own music videos and that. Mm-hmm. His credit scenes are done like a music video and they're brilliant. Yeah. All of them are. All of them. Opening and end credits in both these films are fucking spot on. But they are essentially movie video, eh, music videos, you know? Mm-hmm. Which obviously I wasn't aware of when I was watching them that he'd done that kind of stuff. But uh, really well done. Um, the cops search the house. And in it, they find a photo of Spaulding with one of the victims. Mm-hmm. Now, that is, this is in complete contradiction to the first film. Because in the first film, they can't stand Spaulding. You know, he's just... He, he, Spaulding in the first film is just another character that they've segued in, because obviously Rob Zombie had this idea for this kind of cool character that's a bit of a clown. Um, it doesn't really feature heavily in the film itself. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a bit where they talk, somebody in the house says about Spaulding and it's like, oh, that'll prick or something like that, do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's, he's loosely associated with the family, but he's not a prominent character. Yes, uh-huh. That's very different in this film, and, and that is one of the jumps that's made in this film. So we see this photo of him with one of the victims, so basically they're saying, right, I and Spaulding was killing them as well, it wasn't just his family kind of thing, you know? Um, I mean, no, he's a killer anyway, we saw him killing the previous Yeah, movie, but, but we just never saw him do killed that. some guy that broke into his place. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, you know what these Americans are like, don't you? set foot. <laughs> Set foot in their lawn, they're dragging you off the street and pistol whipping you. It's in their constitution. It's in their constitution. (laughs) It's in their constitution. (laughs) The right to bear arms and the right to pistol whip you with them. Yep, the right to pistol whip motherfuckers on my lawn. (laughs) Um, It then cuts to Spaulding, who is giving the dick to this foxy wee prostitute looking chick. (laughs) I love this bit. Good style. And, oh, they're going in at fucking hammer and tongs. Mm-hmm. I remember the day when the bands used to be able to do shit like that. Don't you? <laughs> you know I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that fucking child of mine was born. <laughs> yeah, they're too tired to wank. <laughs> um, oh, it seems like the, the worst 70s movie ever. Baz, too tired to wank. <laughs> <laughs> Part 14, too tired to wank. <laughs> Just sits on the internet with his pal. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking cheap Spanish rock. Yeah, Baz is went from... That's not even Spanish rock, it's for California. <laughs> Baz, too tired to wank, now spends his time chatting to his friend who is a wanker. <laughs> Actually, I'm sorry, it's not for California. It says Calificada. It's a completely different word, That's which you. I think is in Spanish. As you're just no. drunk. I've made a fool of everything. <laughs> anyway. Um, Redeem yourself here. Yeah, so uh, Spalding is going to the hammer and tongs with this wee chick. They finish good style. Mm-hmm. And um, she then basically gets very annoyed when he refers to her as a whore, basically. And he's not very nice to her. And so she shoots him in the face. And then he wakes up. And he's in bed. And do you know what? 
I, I was in a rush when I was doing this. I've written something offensive here, and I'm not going to say it. But he is in bed with a larger lady. <laughs> and in my defence, those that know the Baz, know the Baz likes a larger lady. You do indeed. Yep, the Baz does not want to make love to somebody that feels like a 12-year-old boy. <laughs> Baz likes a few curves. Baz likes a extra curves, if you know what I mean. Anyway, right, this has gone weird. <laughs> this has gone really weird now. Hey, I'm never drinking that stuff again. Cause it can't be okay. No wonder the Spanish are a bunch of randy bastards. Oh, neighbor. oh you know what I like with the Spanish. I do. You? I'm surprised you keep drinking their alcohol. Bad-tempered bastards. Anyway. Um, yeah, so he wakes up with somebody who's the polar opposite of who he was dreaming about, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's a very, very randy young lady, it yeah. has to be said. Um, she's absolutely crying out for some more of the Spalding D. Um, but he's not going to give it to her, because as he says, my dick's still sore from the last time. Mm-hmm. Words to that effect. Anyway, during this extramarital argument thing that he's having with this, this woman, um, baby calls him and says the cops are on their way, and she calls him daddy. Right. I will put my hands up here and say I wasn't sure if she meant my biological father or daddy in a weird sex way. I think, to be honest, having seen the rest of the films, a weird hybrid of the two, (laughs) you do find out what it is later on. But at that point, I was like that. Spalding banging Sherry Moon Zombie. Because that's a push. Do you know what I mean? That even with the take the makeup off and your tiny little top hat, it's still a bit of a push that he's putting the dick to that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, turns out he's not. But we'll talk about that shortly. Um, anyway, she basically says, "Listen, the cops are on their way." He goes hearing off in his car, calls this whorehouse, um, and basically says, "I'm coming down there to hang out." It's this black fella, Charlie, owns it. Yep, Kesri. I did not recognise him. I thought I recognised his hooker friend Candy, but I looked it up. I don't no, know. No, you recognised Ken for He was in Halloween. He was the Elvis trucker who was taking a shit. Who fights Michael Myers? Same actor. What? I don't remember that scene. <laughs> Michael Myers gets overalls. Remember, goes goes in and there's a, a trucker taking a oh, dump. Oh yeah. That's Ken Free. All right, well, come on, he's in that film for about 80 seconds. Come yeah, some I, I told you before, Rob movie. Zombie likes to use regulars. He likes to use people in his movies that he, he really has a great time with or he grew up watching in movies and he, there are spillovers of all different characters. And Like William Forsyth, the sheriff in this one, is the dad in Halloween. All right, I hadn't picked on that either. Yeah, so you know what I mean. So like that you you have seen him before. I will grant I will grant you amnesty here, Baz, by saying yes, he is in that movie literally ninety seconds, and he does have an Elvis haircut. So I'll let you off. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, right. So so he's uh, heading for this whole house to hang out, kind of thing, to lay low. He's arranged to meet Baby and Otis at this motel. I think they obviously this previously set up plan if shit goes down. Mm-hmm. Baby and Otis get there first. There is a group of people hanging out there. I couldn't quite figure out their deal at first, but they turned out to be some kind of band, like a country and western band. Mm-hmm. 
quite a few familiar faces in that. Roy, the band leader, I recognise. He's an older guy. I don't know where from, but I know his face. Jeffrey Lewis, yeah, he's been in shitloads. Yeah. The girls I didn't know, the roadie guy um, was in... He was in a couple episodes of The Big Bang Theory, I think. He was in the Aziz Ansari's Masters of None show that he did on Netflix. Yep. This is that Brian Pawson, I think is how you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, he's kind of simple kind of guy. He's a comedian. He does watch yeah. over stuff and yeah. you know, that sort of stuff. There's a few kind of familiar faces there. Um, they, they just happened to be at this motel when Otis and uh, Baby Rock up. Um... Baby starts flirting with the old guy, Roy. Um, basically leads him to a bedroom. I've got to say, I would have been fucking crawling on all fours behind her on a dog leash. Um, and, and, I mean, I know I'm a bit older than, than you, don't than most of the folk that listen to this fucking show, but I'm not quite as old-looking as Roy. Even if I had been, I'd have been convinced she actually did fancy me. And I was kind of halfway to mounting my laptop when I was watching it, you know what I mean? Uh, she plays a part well, does her Sherry. Got <laughs> um, me daddy hen. Got me daddy anytime, love. Oh, no. Oh, I just creep myself out, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so she's flirting away with him, and then Otis comes up behind him and sticks a knife to his throat. They basically go in and take the rest of the band hostage, and the big simple roadie guy gets killed. Yes. He's not in it for very long. Um. Spalding steals a car off a woman and her kid. And in it, there's a line that I've heard you say before about don't you like clowns? <laughs> don't you like clowns? Don't we make you laugh? Aren't we fucking funny? Yeah, that. That's the line, yeah. Better than the film. Um, <laughs> Fuck you. So this, uh, he basically steals the car. It's kind of a gratuitous scene. It doesn't really lend anything to the fucking film. Uh, the next bit is very uncomfortable. Basically, they're now Otis and Baby are in the room with the, the band. Um, Otis makes Roy's wife strip. Now she is an older lady. Mm-hmm. You know, hats off to her. She's kept her shit together over the years. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Considering her age. Um, I've written here as like a very unsettling kind of rape scene. I don't think she's actually well. Right, I'm just I'm going to step away from this before I get this wrong. She's does, she's sexually molested. They have intercourse, yeah, aye, yeah. Rape is rape, do you know what I mean? But he doesn't have full on intercourse where, but there's some very unsettling scenes. He's got a gun in the front of her pants and all this kind of stuff, and it's in front of her husband, obviously, and the other two in the band who are married, and I don't know if one of them is maybe their daughter or something. It, it, it's really uncomfortable, and at this point. I think it was round about now that I actually looked up the character of Otis on IMDb and realised it is the same actor. Yeah. The character's completely different. Mm-hmm. It's complete. That whole seediness thing that I was talking about, this kind of weird, kind of nauseous kind of vibe that he's got going on in that first one was not there. He's this mental, badass, redneck, murdering rapist. Yeah, it's, he's you know the... He's the kind of glamorised version of Charles Manson. That's yeah. exactly what he is. In fact, he has a line just coming up, which is basically what one of Manson's disciples said uh, when they did the, the Tate murders. Um, I am the devil and I'm here to do the devil's work. So, I mean... Oh, is that for the, is that for yes, the Manson? Yes, that's actually, yeah, that's actually one of the Manson disciples said that uh, during the Tate murders. 
Um, so yeah, like he's like Rob Zombie has a hard on for Charles Manson and the uh, the family and stuff like that. So yeah, it doesn't surprise yeah, see, me that he'll go down the road. Yeah, then that's all fair enough. But it's just so weird he didn't play him like that in the first film. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's very really... very different to the point that I genuinely thought it was a different guy. Hats off to the actor. He's completely yeah. turned around. I don't even think it was the same person. I get, I get the vibe that like Bill, Bill Mosley's known for, and we're going to get into this in quite a bit of detail. You're going to see Bill Mosley almost steal the show completely when we watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. And he plays a character called Chop Top in that one, and I get the feeling, and you might agree with me once we've seen that movie, that like Rob Zombie is a huge fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, and rightly so. It's fucking amazing, um, but. I mean, I say amazing, it's, it's an acquired taste, but if you like that taste, it's amazing. Um, and Chop Top is a very eccentric, weird, comical, very seedy character. And I get the feeling that he basically wrote Otis as a kind of a slightly skeevier sort of Chop Top right. for House of a Thousand Corpses, and then decided that when he was making this movie, no, I want him to be more like a kind of Charles Manson-esque yeah, character. So as a result, you get two completely different performances by Bill Mosley. And credit to him, I mean, he makes a character far more sinister in this movie. It's actually, oh, yeah. like, to the point where I think he pretty much steals the show in this movie. I think Otis is terrifying. He does. He's, he's terrified in this film. And I found him very kind of scary in the first film, mm-hmm. but just in such a different way. Um, and it was this rape scene, I think, that really kind of thought, no, that's very, very different. And it was at that point. I mean, I'm just looking at that. The, it's the Wikipedia page actually up in front of me. And there's one of the posters. It's the three of them walking down like the wood together. Yeah. Spalding's in the middle with a gun. And just the whole thing is a different vibe. It's this swaggering kind of, you know what I mean, being through the mill. Yeah. Badass killers type vibe kind of thing, you know. That's not there in that first movie at all, you know. Um, but again, fair play him. He's, he's messing about. He's changed things up. I'm not denouncing him for it. I just found it quite strange. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. Um. So is that very unsettling kind of rape scene? That that was wasn't easy to watch. I've got to say, I did not like that at all. Um. The sheriff. Uh, White Sheriff Wydell that you mentioned earlier on, he's interrogating the mother because they captured her. Um, they've got scrapbooks from the farm, and to wind him up, she shows him photographs that are in it of his brother, yeah. which who he'd mentioned earlier on, who was also a cop. Um, this sort of provokes him into attacking her, kind of thing. Um, Otis and Roy and Ginger Guy. Who's the other? Who in my notes is the other male in the band? Otis makes the two of them drive him out to this kind of old deserted town to dig up guns that he'd buried. Mm-hmm. Um, they attack Otis while they're there, but he fights them off basically and fucking takes the two of them out. Ginger gets shot in the neck, and he beats Otis. Uh, but he beats Roy to death with a branch, basically. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it's like you say at that point, it's that kind of unstoppable fucking killing machine type idea that's come in. Do you know what I mean? Like, you had him bang your rights and he still fucking killed the two. You just, you just can't beat him, type mm-hmm. thing. Um, right, I'm going to... You can maybe explain this to me. I'm sure one of our listeners will if you can. Um, the next bit, 
cops find a link between Spaulding and a character in a Marx Brother movie. Basically, yeah. the name Captain Spaulding has come from a Marx Brother movie. They have a kind of uh, movie expert guy, in, and basically, it looks like all of the names that have been used come from Marx Brothers films. Is that yeah. right? That's correct. Yeah. So the the Firefly um, and Spaulding. Yeah, and Otis and, and all that. They, they, they're all linked back to, essentially, names of March Brothers characters yeah. from movies. I mean, it doesn't really play out to be anything other than I think Rob Zombie maybe is a huge fan of the Marx Brothers and maybe when he was coming up with names, he's put that yeah. in there. And to as a result, this, he's explained it. Yeah, to me, though, this reveal... I think maybe led to something else that was cut from the final movie or something. Possibly, yeah. They never really elaborate on all, all that yeah. much. It, it kind of is a throwaway day. sort of thing in this movie. End of the day, I couldn't give a fuck about it. Yeah. And the reason <laughs> being, the Mark the Marx Brothers were never a thing in Britain. They were no. We, I, I remember growing up be. with them, mind you. My granddad was a big fan of the Marx Brothers, but um, yeah, I, yeah, I find that funny because to be honest, I'm only aware of the Marx Brothers through other American television referencing oh, right. them. Oh, no, I remember, uh, like, uh, what was it, like, uh, uh, Night of the Opera and stuff like that. I remember my, my granddad used to be really into the Marx Brothers. Um, he watched a lot of a shit. Queen album, Duncan. What? That was a Queen album. Your grandfather was into Queen. <laughs> he was actually also into Queen, so... <laughs> so that's what again. I'm saying. You've got this badly wrong, Duncan. I, I'm anyway, sure the movie's a Night of the Opera. I'm sure it is. That's not who you're... Fucking grandfather was into. Listen to Baz. Baz knows. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's a throwaway thing. One of the things that we should mention is that you, when you were talking about Sheriff Wydell and the Chomis brother, his brother was the deputy in the previous movie. That's one of the. Do you know? I did wonder. Yeah. But I didn't recognise him because you see him later on in the film. Yeah. And I thought, right, it's probably not because obviously he it, it does take artistic license a few times in this film oh yeah and i thought he'd done that with him it did go through my head is he the cop from previous movie but i thought no he's not and i've obviously got that one wrong so fair enough thank you for informing me Duncan. that's not a problem and by the way a night at the opera 1935 march brothers movie get off wikipedia <laughs> imdb imdb <laughs> um yeah back at the motel um Obviously, uh, old Roy's wife and Ginger Bloke's wife are still back at the hotel. Otis turns up, basically wearing Ginger Guy's face as a mask. Yeah. Well, I've seen him do this before. <laughs> it's, his, it's his fucking... Signature. It's his signature move. <laughs> um, but it's very unsettling. It's done much very, better in this movie. Yeah, done much yeah, better in this movie. Um the next day kind of thing the maid finds all the bodies in the morning um, but Ginger's wife is basically hung up on the back of the door with her husband's face like strapped on her that it was one of those scenes that really hit me I don't know why I could just see something like how that would feel if it was my wife and it happened to me yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It really, really got under my skin. It's well done. So that is like once again, that's the sort of thing. You think she's dead, and then she kind of comes flopping off the door and grabs the maid, obviously looking for help, and the maid's obviously fucking terrified. Yeah. Runs outside, and then 
Ginger's wife runs out and she just try to get away from what she's just seen kind of thing and runs onto a motorway and gets knocked down kind of thing. But the yeah. thing with the face mask thing on really, really got to me. I've got to say it really unsettled me quite badly, which was surprising. Because um, I didn't get like that in the first film at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that scene did. I've got to say I did not like it at all. Um, Sheriff Wydell calls in some bounty hunters, basically help on the case. Lo and behold, one of them, Big Danny Trejo. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other one's Diamond Dallas Page, who was a professional wrestler in uh, WCW. I don't day. like the wrestling, don't I? I know you don't like the wrestling, but and I just I feel the need that when you mention one actor, wrestling I have to mention the other one. Wrestling and movies. <laughs> just stop. You're not a movie actor, you're a wrestler. Stick it where you're not even good at just <laughs> you know. Right. I don't even want to talk about this new. Um this is Danny Trio turns up basically. The sheriff then is this kind of hallucination thing of his dead brother, as mm. we mentioned earlier on there. Um, Trey has managed to track down Spalding's old partner, who's the black guy that runs the whorehouse. So they set off in hot pursuit of that. Um, the sheriff, though, before they go, he relieves the guard that's watching Mother. Uh-huh. And then he basically goes into the thing and there's this protracted scene that basically guts her. He takes a knife in and fucking guts her. Um, which was quite well done. It was quite an effective scene, I've got to say. Um, Fucking Spalding and the gang turn up at Charlie's whorehouse. Um, and at which point he introduces Baby as his daughter. Mm-hmm. So at that point... Now, I'm sure they talk about the dad yeah. in the first film. The dad is the one that burnt Tiny. Yes. But that's not Spalding. No. You know, so like we say, he's used a bit of artistic license. He's, he's kind of changed the background in this film. And I don't I know why... Matter. Either that it's or normally, he's just the father of baby. Well, that's true, actually. That's true. That's how I think, took it. Things like that are normally what would make me put a gun in my mouth and kill myself. <laughs> but for some reason, in this film, I was kind of alright with it. Um, so he introduces her as, as his daughter. Charlie kind of pranks them when they arrive, which is quite funny, but then they go to a little party with all the hookers. Oh, that's amazing. Um, the sheriff's kind of losing his grip a wee bit by this point. He's yeah. kind of starting to lose his shit. Um, weird scene for Charlie and his wee fucking sidekick. Now, what was his sidekick in? Hey. I keep going to say Uncle Fester, and it's not Uncle Fester. Was he in the Goonies or something like that? He was in quite a lot of 80s films, the guy, but he always played yeah. like an odd-looking fucker, because, to be honest, he's odd-looking. Hey, it's um, what do you call it? It's a, uh, um, it's Michael Berryman. Right. What was it? What's he been in? Um, he was in Weird Science. I'm trying to think of movies you will have seen. He's in the original Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, uh, it's maybe that actually. Uh, I don't know if it, I can't memory is a bit hazy whether or not he was actually. What is thing up here actually? And uh, the other one, but he's, he's been in loads of things, but mostly because he's a very odd-looking ha- man. Yes, he has a particular look about him, which which allows him to. He's, like he's been, he's been in. He, like he is like one of these definitive genre actors that has been in fucking everything. Yeah, you know? do you know he was in an American horror film in two thousand and six called Penny Dreadful? 
Yes, it is not a good movie. Avoid it. Is it right? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> no, I just thought like he was not Penny Dreadful. No, I saw that. And then next he's got gas station worker. Right, there wasn't petrol attendants in Penny Dreadful. Right, so there was, I didn't know there was a film called that. Yeah, it's, uh, it was part of the like a collection of films that came out for a festival. Yeah, good no, not a good one. The only reason I know that is because I, I recently watched it for the first time for Midnight Horror Shows. But I think you probably recognise him from something like Weird Weird Science. It's one of the bigger movies from the 80s he was in. Aye. Aye, it's, it's one of those things. Anyway, like, regardless, it was him. Him and Charlie go to buy some chickens. Mm-hmm. My guy who has a stall at the side of the road selling chickens. And yeah. It was a, ch- a conversation about fucking chickens. This is Rob Zombie through and through. This is like... To me, it's like what you said earlier, it's like an attempt at that Tarantino-esque type scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the... Like the Royale with cheese fucking thing. <laughs> this is, this is Rob Zombie's make, Royale with cheese. I go, we'll make it fucking chickens. This is amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's not, I don't really care that you have mayonnaise with your chips. I want to stick my cock down a severed chicken's neck. Yeah. Or, you know, fucking anyway. So it's all a bit weird. But at the end of it, the sheriff catches them and basically Charlie fucking rats the rest of them out kind of thing. The bounties hunters turn up at the whorehouse um, and Candy and the other whore in the place, they get killed. Mm-hmm. Otis and Baby get captured. The sheriff goes after Spalding and shoots him. What kind of gut shots him? Yeah. Gut shots, gut shoots, but it shoots him in the stomach. <laughs> um, the basically, basically, they're all captured. Um, but the, the sheriff takes them back to the farm, mm-hmm. and we get this kind of soliloquy bit where he basically says he's from a long line of kind of vigilante lawmakers, like going back to the Wild West and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's, there's a great fucking line, actually, very early in the film, before they go into the farm, at the start for the gunfight, mm-hmm. and he's like that, or, or as my brother used to say, it's a good old-fashioned Alabama ass-kicking or yeah. something like that. The way he delivers it was fucking great. Mm-hmm. It really was. He's a great actor. He I, is. I think he's a brilliant yeah, actor. I really liked him in this, actually. Um, yeah, and then he starts stapling photographs of the victims to the Otis and Baby and that. Mm-hmm. Like, did you kill her? I right, fuck it, big industrial stapler. Right on your tits. <laughs> So there's a wee bit of a break here where I masturbated for a while, right, and then finished. Came back. Oh, Jesus. If only that was a joke. Um... Uh, and he, he then takes this cattle, electric cattle prod to Spalding and beats him with it. So you're going to half electrocute him and then just start smashing him in the fucking head with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he shows uh, he shows baby pictures of her dead mum as well. Yep. And then he nails Otis's hands to the chair, like with big like Jesus nails. Yeah. You know, the ones that put big JC up in the crossbow and all that. And actually there was a bit earlier on in the film, um there's a reference to Jesus Christ earlier on in the film. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure it's something to do with Otis, and I thought this was a kind of nod to that, because he almost... It's, it's the crucifixion, it's through his hands, but he's in a chair, so his hands get nailed onto the chair arms kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I've got to say, when the sheriff goes to town on... 
it, it's like up there with anything they were doing to people. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it really goes to fucking town on them. Which is kind of the the, the the kind of the message of the movie in some it, respects is you know that. But see, the funny thing about this in the previous film is you don't you don't feel any empathy with the victims. Yeah. There's no final girl or anything. Mm-hmm. You know the. The, well, the killer's always the star, but the killer's actually who you side with in these films. And they're not nice people. They're Even really Baby. Not. Yeah, they're really, that, really that not. that psychotic edge to her that she's just awful when, you know, when she turns. She can be really nice, but when she goes, she goes, you know, and she's as bad as the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, quite weird that way kind of thing. Um, but the sheriff kind of turns the tables on them, and you do feel like a, an empathy towards them when the sheriff's doing this to them. Yeah, because you, you're still it's a human bizarre. being, but you don't want to yeah. see people tortured. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, like, even if they are killers, you don't want to see them tortured. Yeah, yeah definitely. Which is the 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 right the, it's the right attitude to have. Plus, you start to realise that this guy here is not upholding the law. At all, yeah, no, he's, he's, off, he's oh, just as go. bad as them. If anything, he's slightly worse because he can hide behind a badge and do it. So yeah, yeah. Um, he basically releases baby, and lets her kind of run off because he's going to hunt her down. Type idea. Sets fire to the other two, or well, sets fire to what's around them. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, getting burned. Uh, and he goes after baby with an axe. She runs into a barn. Charlie for the brothels there to help her, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, he gets fucking killed by the sheriff. Um, she tries to run off. Sheriff shoots her in the leg. Starts flogging her with this kind of belt thing. And then as he's trying to choke her to death, fucking lo and behold, Tiny appears. And actually, I was waiting for it all through because Tiny disappears at the start. He's in it at the very beginning and he gets sent away. And I thought, oh, Tiny will turn up. Um, he kills the sheriff, snaps his neck. Um, and then he goes in, pulls the other two at the fire. They all drive off without Tiny, who seems to be wanting to stay at home at the farm to try and save it or something, I don't know. And then we get this road trip montage to Freebird, the yeah. Leonard Skinner. Um, and again, it's great, and again, it's like a fucking really great Leonard Skinner music video. <laughs> um, and then they basically pull up because there's a roadblock down the road, and you get this kind of Thelma and Louise almost type fucking ending where they're staring at the cops and they're staring back at them and again they lapse into slow motion and they just kind of arm up and they charge the roadblock kind of all guns blazing and they go out in a hail of gunfire kind of thing. But I did notice you don't actually see any of them die. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if he was leaving that open for something that comes later. I've no idea. And the, the film basically ends there. I thought it was a great ending. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a really good ending. Um. It's not as, I'm not going to use the word artistic, it's not as a, a stylistic movie as House of a Thousand Corpses. Mm-hmm. It's more mainstream feeling. You know, um, I think a newbie to horror could sit down and watch this quite happily. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think if you sat them down in front of House of a Thousand Corpses, they'd be a bit like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I was a bit like that, and I, I like to think I've seen quite a lot of horror now. Whereas this film is much more mainstream. The bad guys are bad guys. <sighs> the the one thing that annoyed me was the Spalding 
right. I kind of liked the fact in the first film that he wasn't an out-and-out bad guy in it. Uh-huh. And in this one, they kind of did. But one of the few complaints I had about the first film was he wasn't in it enough. So yeah. they changed him to bring him <laughs> in because he obviously, I'm assuming, he was the breakaway hit from the first movie. You know, it, God, one of the iconic things. Everybody loves Captain Spaulding. Let's get more of him in this film. Mm-hmm. The obviously, that is obviously one of the reasons he's juggled with the kind of continuity of it in it to bring him in. Yeah, but I don't know, it just kind of annoyed me a little bit. Um, so, yeah, very different tone. It's far less experimental or, or maybe less, maybe more, adventurous in what he tried to do but you know movie to movie it's a better movie to watch it's an easier movie to watch yeah um, and I think having only seen each of them once I think I would probably say I prefer Devil's Rejects yeah um, it's more of a trad feel to it um I would almost suggest that if you were going to watch these films, I would maybe watch this one first. Mm-hmm. You know, and then go and look at House of a Thousand Corpses, you know what I mean? Because I think, as an entry point, I think you'd probably get a kick out of this movie. Yeah. Or certainly, you know, maybe the first Halloween remake or something, but as House of a Thousand Corpses, I can see if you were a kind of vanilla horror fan, you might be left scratching your head a wee bit at that one. Whereas this has more of a familiar feel to it kind of thing, you know. There's still some great... There's great performances in it, and there's still some fairly fucking visceral scenes when you're like, fuck me, the the face on the wife was awful to watch. Really, well, I found it awful to watch. An amazing scene, but one that really left me very uncomfortable feeling at the end of it kind of thing, you know. And that doesn't happen to me an awful lot now. Mm -hmm. Um... But that did, that, I don't know, it just kind of found a wee weakness in me and kind of exploited it a bit kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, a much more mainstream film. Um, some very different performances. Baby. Spaulding plays it as Spaulding, but the, the script changes with him, so you actually see him as a bad guy in it. To me, Baby was the one constant in this movie yeah she, she's exactly the same I'm, i don't mean that i'm not mean that in the disparaging way against the girl i think she quite often plays familiar i think she plays that kind of hooker with a heart of gold but she's actually a serial killer t- type character in mm-hmm. all the movies because she's very similar in halloween when she's playing michael's mum um but she's the constant in it the others are, are quite different uh spalding to a lesser extent but um but yeah, a, a, a very good film, Devil's Rejects. I did thoroughly enjoy it. The boy that plays the sheriff is excellent. Yeah, William Precise. Yeah, yeah, he, he was really good. Um, and yeah, all in all, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I really liked the ending. I really hope that none of the other films follow on from it because I think yeah, it was obviously left with that little bit of dubiety, but I think if you were actually to make them all live, I would have a problem with that. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I am. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, like, like I said before, I think arguably this is his best movie. Um, and we'll get into my thoughts on obvious other ones as the show goes on. Um, this one to me is the one where he proves himself like, a, like 
like a horror director that can make a theatrical movie. I mean, there's a reason he's given Halloween after Devil's Rejects. Yeah, th- this is much closer to the feel of Halloween yeah. than House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah. Was. Like, no one was giving them Halloween after House of a Thousand Corpses. Devil's yeah. Rejects comes out and people are like, oh, right, this guy can this guy can make like a, a genre movie for the cinema. Yeah. Um, can make it accessible. Yeah. And I think it, it's still a difficult watch, um, but it's, it's short. It, it has a, a particular style, which, like I said before, kind of is reminiscent of 70s cinema. It looks like, and it's just the way it's shot, and like a lot of the scenery and stuff like that, it feels like one of those exploitation 70s movies. Um, but in the case of this one, I think the story's much better. It's not as all over the place as the previous one. That's not to say that I don't have gripes with Tootie fucking Fruity. You know, like, lines like that. Dude, just... that was annoying as fuck. Yeah, it's like, what? And it's Rob Zombie. This is like, I keep coming back to it. He, he, I don't know what it is. It's almost as if he's scared to be too serious in his movies that he feels the need and I mean the argument could be put forward that movies like Last House on the Left have goofy character, goofy police in that one with the bumbling music in the background and all the rest against horrific rape you know, it's, it's a stylistically weird choice and a lot of 70s movies have that but I once again come back with the argument I didn't make this in the 1970s, he made it in 2005 so that yeah. just doesn't hold water for me um, the, that, that particular ice cream scene yes I think you can see it almost starting out to try and create a schism in the group between Baby and her dad yep. and Otis, who we're not quite sure if it's a brother or whatever the fuck he's meant to be kind of things. I don't think it's ever actually explicitly stated. Yeah. But it then get lost somewhere in the edit and you just end up with a stupid fucking scene where they go for ice cream. Yeah, fuck off. I just, uh, yes. The, this... Go into the ice cream shop and kill somebody and steal yeah. the ice cream. <laughs> if you really, really want to do it, do you know what I mean? It's, but, a, nah, it's just it's... the repetitiveness of the line and then uh, like a, like almost a two minute dialogue about chicken fucking that I just, I don't, don't understand the purpose of it in the movie at all it, it frustrates me it really frustrates me out with that i think for the most part the the movie is pretty much flawless actually i think um the casting's great i think for the most part the dialogue is like a million times better than what it is in house of a thousand corpses i think the story's fantastic it has that kind of like we said that kind of renegade kind of road movie yeah. feel about it which is is perfect and I, I think Rob Zombie is actually great at delivering that on the screen um, I think the soundtrack to this one's better than the soundtrack to House of a Thousand Corpses um, yeah the, the, the southern rock thing is much more approachable but again he, he, he's great at doing this dichotomy yeah. of what you're seeing on the screen and what you're hearing yeah which it, is a Tarantino thing as well yeah I mean, yeah, I mean it doesn't fit at all yeah yeah totally, Reservoir Dogs totally. like it's stuck in the middle with you Exactly, as they're, as they're cutting somebody's fucking ear off, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's great though, it, it just works so well, it really does. Yeah, I think I think it, it does, I think, um, I, I, I would slightly disagree with you on, I actually really like Captain Spaulding in this movie. Um, I, I'm not saying I didn't like him, I, I didn't dislike him by the way. Oh right, right. Like, it, it was just, I don't you know... I think they should 
I would have preferred it if there had been a little hint more darkness in Spalding in the first film. Right, I've got you. Got you. You know what I mean? The way he goes in this one's great, and he is a great character. And I griped that he wasn't in the first one enough. Yeah. But I didn't pick up. I, I just thought if if you could have linked him somewhere in some way to them in that first film, even yeah. kind of offhandedly. I would have settled better with it kind of thing. Do you know I, what I mean? Well, but I, I think, I'm not saying I don't like the yeah. character Spalding in this film. I think he's brilliant. I think it's implied, uh, although uh, this is me like retconning things, I think it is implied that he is involved with them with the fact that Otis is in the back of his car. I don't know if you picked up on that. At the, like, end. At, the, at the end of House of the Thousand Corpses, he's driving it's Otis back. I thought that was a dream, though. Uh, is it? That is Hell. a dream. Sorry, I thought he jumped up and stabbed her and then she wakes up. You're right. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, man, that's, that's the way I took it. You've just blown my mind, Baz. You've blown my mind. That's why you pay me the top dollar. That's why you get a dollar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well done. Uh, yeah, for, it's like I say, for the most part, I think William Forsyth is. safe this month. <laughs> I think William Forsyth is amazing in this movie. And between him and Bill Mosley, they really steal the show for me. I think Otis is terrifying in this movie. And I think Sheriff Wydell is equally terrifying. Um, and I think that's what this movie has is two characters on opposite sides of the law that. The, the lines are so blurred for them that they are both equally as evil um, I think the movie yeah. does that fantastically it, it to me is the, the high kind of benchmark for zombie movies in my opinion and like I say we'll get into other ones as we move on the next one we're doing couldn't be any different to Devil's Rejects if it tried the next one we're doing is the, the El Super Bisto anime <laughs> so we're doing a cartoon um this is a first, folks. I don't uh, think... Am I right, Dunk? We've never done animated movies before, have we? Uh, you haven't done... I've only ever done one on this show in its entire run, and I did it this year as well, so we're only just breaking into this one. And this one tonally couldn't be any different from the one that I just covered a couple of weeks ago when I did uh, uh, Pure, uh, Perfect Blue. This one is... Um, this one is Rob Zombie humour through and through. Um for the entire movie. Once again, Sherman Zombie makes an appearance with some voice acting. Um, a lot of genre voice actors, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I actually think in terms of what we're doing here, having this one in the middle as it is perfectly breaks up the change because um, the the last, well, the next movie after that, Lords of Salem, is certainly nothing like any of the two before. So it feels like, it's a nice wee, so a nice wee intermission, so to speak, Baz. Yeah. All right. Sure. Right. So, in terms of your grade, once again, A plus. Is there anything the bass can't do at the moment? Even pushed. <laughs> He's nailing it, nailing it to the wall. Nice. Um, so we're going to take another break just now on this epic, epic end of year assessment. When we return, it's time to take a little look at some Elsa Barbisto uh, by Rob Zombie. But first, you're going to hear promos for shows that I love and the trailer for the movie. Myself and the bass coming right back right after this. Broadcasting from the Cursed Earth, the Psycho-Semanticast. Let us face, without panic, the reality of our time. The fact that atom bombs may someday be dropped on our cities. And let us prepare for survival by understanding the weapon that threatens us. To have a, uh, an ignorant, uh, thin-skinned megalomaniac 
uh, who sends off uh, you know, Twitters at 3 a.m. if somebody angered him. The neo-Nazis turning up in Washington, D.C. to have a rally saying, Heil Trump. We talk about politics. I knew I couldn't trust you corporate greaseballs. We talk about movies. You can't come down here and arrest people just because of what they look like. Are you crazy? But that's police harassment. We talk about political movies. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. They're all around us and we never knew it. You can only see them with these special glasses. The Psycho Semanticast. How do you do? Mr. Rob Zombie feels it would be unkind to present this without warning. Ah! How fast do you think I can saw the finger of a corpse? In the face of evil. It's Dr. Satan! How does that name make my panties cringe? Dr. Satan? I mean, if I wore panties. You need a team that can fight ugly. Are charming. Now, to save the world. Where are you, my future queen of evil? Miss Velvet Von Blair. You must fetch her for me, and I will gain all the sexy powers of hell. Take your stinking paws off her, you damn dirty ape. Now that's a little derivative, don't you think? There are two superheroes about to throw a monkey wrench in my master plan! Wait with the charade. Nobody's buying it. Discipline him! Are we on the same page? They'll resort to gratuitous violence. All kinds of kinky sexual content. Plus a blatant disregard for every decent and indecent living creature. Hold the short bus. Tell me that was good for focus. El Super Bisto. At least it's all for a good cause. Admit it, this was always about P-U-S-S. Did you say something? Featuring the voices of Tom Papa. <laughs> you like that? Sherry Moon Zombie. Listen up, man. You're crushing my Rosario Dawson. Now that's what I'm talking about. Paul Giamatti. What's the big stinkeroo? Brian Posey. You go, girl. You know what you're talking about. Rob Zombie presents The Haunted World of El Super Bisto. When evil rises up, he stands erect. Well, we warned you. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for this third movie review of this epic Five round Rob Zombie end of year assessment for the Baz on this Baz v Rob Zombie. That trailer was The Haunted World of El Super Bisto from 2012. But before we get into that, Baz, yes, you, you cheeky sneaky bugger, try to get extra merit and extra credit by doing homework on your own. That's it. I brought a big sexy apple for teacher. Oh, I love it. It's shiny. Um, As <laughs> it popped out my anus. Oh, it's not so shiny now. Um, it's, like, it's like the worst Thai ping pong ball show I've ever been to. It's like Baz shooting apples at his ass. Um, That's it. <laughs> I don't know why we got there so quickly. Uh, but you were just telling me just off air that you were doing a wee bit of research on the interwebs like you do. Uh, I'm assuming it was originally looking for porn and you ended up on something else. Yeah, um, yeah. basically, um, unbeknownst to myself and even you, 
the um, the copy of the Haunted World of El Super Bisto that you very generously gave me free of charge was in fact a Region One, which would make sense. So, I had a Region One DVD player, so that that doesn't surprise me. I think I bought my copy. I think I bought my copy from the Rob Zombie website when it came out because that's how much of a fan I was back in two thousand and nine. See, you're, you, you're even more of a suck-cock fanboy than I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway. Um, yeah, so I ended up having to watch this on a laptop because obviously it's much easier to switch your DVD player on the laptop kind of thing over to Region 1. And um, so while I had the laptop fired out, I ended up, after having watched it, I ended up on YouTube. Um, and I checked out um, Werewolf Women of the SS. Is that correct? Yes, Werewolf Women of the SS. So uh, the little trailer that Rob Zombie did, um, which was included in that Grindhouse double feature thing that Tarantino and some other character did. Robert yeah, so I watched, I watched um, well, I actually watched the full extended version of it, which is about five minutes long kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, that was a lot of fun, I've got to say. Yeah, it's a kind of play on the Nazi exploitation movies of the 1970s, uh, but yeah, obviously with Rob Zombie's I, twist on it. Yeah, and I, I've never seen any of them. They intrigue me greatly. Really? Uh, yeah, <laughs> just because I, I think they look horny as fuck, and I know they won't be. No, they so are. How <laughs> are they? Oh, they're just oh, shagging. It's just, like, honestly, it's, yeah. from, it's like, if, if you want to do a Nazi exploitation show, I will happily break out Love Camp 7 and uh, Ilsa... Uh, and, and all the rest if you want to do that I will do it I've been through a lot of them Maz if you want to go through them again I will I will happily go through them again there is a lot in there to titillate um, they're terrible movies but if you want if that's what you want man we, we can fix it up probably not this year but or maybe oh, as a bonus episode that. somewhere down the line yeah I can oh, do that I'm doing that so the rustling noise you hear there is me removing my pants <laughs> um <laughs> No, I've not actually seen any of them, but I get the idea, and I'm kind of familiar enough with a lot of this low-budget stuff nowadays, um, so I kind of got where Rob Zombie was going with it. Um, it was just a bit fucking bonkers. Got to say, we shared he was looking damn fine, uh-huh. um, and, and her roles in it. Um, had to have a chuckle at Big Nick Cage turning up at the end as Fu Manchu. Yeah, that's probably one of the greatest things that's ever happened. Yeah, and, and he is he's he's gone full fucking wicker man with his acting in hell has to be said. In fairness, he's always like he's always been that way. I think sometimes people forget. Like, see if you see a a, a montage of Nicolas Cage performances throughout his entire career, he's always been kinda of bonkers and he's always done awful accents. I mean Captain Corelli's mandolin is one of the greatest critics. like that movie's borderline racist to Italians. Yeah, and was it not is it not? Like one of the most romantic books ever written. Yes, Carelli's Mandolin. Yeah, they and they stuck old big Nicky Cage in there. Yeah. He's walking around the place going, "If I do this in a concert hall, it would be absolutely tragic." You're like, you sound like a vampire. Why did the Count from Sesame Street come onto this? What the fuck are you doing, Nicholas? The real question that I need you to answer is, how many bitches does he slap up in it? Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> I'd imagine he's taking the roller cap and Carelli twinned it with his fucking role uh, in The Wicker Man and is just slapping bitches now all left, right and centre. Twinsies. Uh, <laughs> most, most likely. Most likely. The, the chronology is really interesting about Rob Zombie because he obviously did House of a Thousand Corpses, which we've done. Devil's Rejects came a few years after, although if we're going by release date in cinemas or on 
DVD or whatever. Uh, House of a Thousand Corpses 2003, Devil's Rejects 2005, uh, Werewolf Woman of the SS is 2007 for Grindhouse, which is the same year he puts out Halloween. Um, then 2009 is when he puts out Halloween 2, which we both covered those as part of our Halloween retrospective, but in the same year he releases The Haunted World of El Superbisto. So that comes out same year as Halloween 2. So, that shit crazy. Yeah, so he's just like, he's like, and in between this he's doing albums, so he's, he's, he's very busy at this point, you know, putting out stuff. Not all of it is great. Um, like, sometimes less is more. That's all I'm saying, Rob. Sometimes yeah, yeah, we'd be able to live your life by, Rob. <laughs> um, just to, in finishing off on the old uh, werewolf women of the SS or whatever it was called, um, I, I will say the one thing that I quite liked was the, the little werewolf Nazi soldier that's in it mm-hmm. was just so much better than we, uh, Wolf Cop, you know, in, in terms of actually looking like a werewolf and he was dressed like a Nazi. I think it's Udo Kier. Udo Kier's in this, isn't he? Yeah, he plays one of the league Nazis in it. Yes, so in favour, take over the world! That's uncanny. Well, I fucking but love yeah, no, I personally thought the trailer was great fun, I've got to say. And um, <laughs> the one thing I will say for Zombie, he clearly has a deep, deep knowledge and love of all genres of horror, uh-huh. particularly on the kind of exploitation side of things. We yeah. saw that in A Thousand Corpses. Yep. and Devil's Reject um, and it, it's absolutely dripping out of this but as I say I am only vaguely familiar with the Nazi exploitation kind of genre I've never yep. seen any of them and I got where he was going with this yeah. which I think that, that shows a real amount of talent to be able to kind of convey what you're trying to get across to somebody who doesn't actually they're not actually familiar with the films so hats off to you Rob Zombie and just well done for making your wife dress like that <laughs> Oh, well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up on a future, I think a bonus episode. I don't think we can commit a full... Or maybe we can commit a full show to it. I don't know. If you guys want it, we'll do it somewhere down the line. I think it should be the theme for this year's Baz v Halloween. I'm not kidding. No, Baz v just, sexy Nazi sluts. You'll just, like... Halloween. Oh, well, I'll tell you what. Every time you touch <laughs> your penis, I win. Right? I'll be a fucking landslide, a tsunami. Every time, every time I touch my penis, you take a shot. <laughs> I think the world's we'll ha- deadly drinking game. <laughs> the world will be gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> Shears and Crabbies will go through the fucking roof. Um, yes. Crabbies tonight. Huh? Not on the Crabbies tonight. You're on the crab. So let, let's oh, see. I'm not on it. I'm You're on not? something else. Oh, oh. I've got a box of Merlot. What has happened to you? Uh, well, my wife went on a hen do. Yes, she did. I remember speaking to her. And basically came home with this box of Merlot. I think somebody had like one glass out it and left it and my wife clocked it at the end of the day. I'm having that barrel drink that. And uh, I've nearly finished it. Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get the stuff at the bottom with the little silver bag, but I'm thinking of just sticking a big straw in it like a massive Capri Sun. <laughs> <laughs> If you happen to hear something that sounds like me urinating on my laptop, it's not. I'm just pouring my Merlot out the wee tap. Oh, fucking hell, Baz. You never, you never cease to amaze me, sir. You never cease to amaze me. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> we're both women of the SS. Baz was a fan. So yes, it, I was. As it currently stands, everything you've seen of Rob Zombies thus far, you are a fan of. With the exception of Halloween 2. Oh, yeah, oh, right, yeah, if we're going chronologically... Yeah. Halloween 2 is the first blip. Yeah, it was pretty barking. 
Yeah. I liked I liked the first Halloween. I kind of dug what he tried to do there, but the second one was haunting. <laughs> right. So let's turn our attention to to a first for you on podcast under the stairs. This is the first uh, cartoon review. Yeah. Uh, oh dear. Um, so is, uh, <laughs> your tone is speaking volumes. Uh, this is the haunted world of El Superbisto from two thousand nine. Directed by Rob Zombie, um, based on uh, Rob Zombie stuff uh, with a lot of other additional writing, etc. Um, this cartoon stars, and this is where we go all over the place. This has got a who, once again, a who's who of fucking genre stuff is in this. It's like ridiculous. I don't know. I, I believe I once heard a story where Rob Zombie explained that the the voices for this was just basically him calling up people in the film industry saying, do you have, you know, are you in the area? Do you have five minutes? Do you want to record a voice for this? And just like almost everyone was like, yeah. So this is yeah. like, honestly, it's the most stacked cast um, I can think for any cartoon ever. So uh, Joe Alaski, Ken Free, Sherry Moon Zombie, Tom Papa, Rosario Dawson, April Winchell, Tom Kenny D. Wallace, Lorraine Newman, Cassandra Peterson, Jess Harnell, Harlan Williams, <laughs> Rob Paulson, uh, Deborah Wilson, Tom Klein. That it goes off the list into uh, like a list of epic proportions. Uh, we should probably mention Paul Giamatti, should we not? Paul, I love Paul Giamatti. He is quite famous. <laughs> yes, but this is this is what IMDb does. IMDb just says, you know what, we'll do them in the order that the characters appear and fuck you. Uh, so Jeffrey Lewis, Paul Giamatti, who plays Dr. Satan, uh, D. Bradley Baker, Brian uh, Potion, uh, Danny Trejo, Bill Mosley, Sid Haig, uh, yeah, the cast of pretty much anything Rob Zombie has done before and everything that Rob Zombie will do is all in this fucking movie. Uh, synopsis for this one. Uh, a washed up luchador and a super spy investigate Nazi zombies, a nefarious scientist and a stripper with a satanic birthmark. Baz. Um, yeah, I'll just say up for, I bought this one from the Rob Zombie website. I watched it and I, I did not like the cartoon. I thought it was I thought it was funny in a juvenile sort of way, but I thought the humour got real old real fucking fast. And then what are you left with? Um I love the only thing I love about this movie is the ridiculous nods to other horror movies, of which there are so many you will lose count. Um it is like unbelievable the nods to characters from other Rob Zombie movies, but just horror in general. That being said, um to me, there wasn't much else in here that that really made an impact. It was very forgettable, and I watched it again for the run through two nights ago, and I struggled to finish it, <laughs> which surprised me. I thought I'd because it's short as well. It's not even an hour and twenty long. I thought I would fly through it, and it felt like it was on for three days. Um, <laughs> but it's not me that's reviewing this, Baz. This is this is your world now. Um, welcome to prime time, bitch, as Freddy Krueger would say. Baz, <laughs> you sat down to watch The Haunted World of El Super Visto. How the fuck did you get on with this one? Not very well done. <laughs> 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 no, um, I, I didn't know what to make of this. I mean, I, 
<laughs> it's funny when when you and I like, a month or so ago when we were talking round how we were going to pull this episode off kind of thing, I'd said to you, right, what what are the films I need to track down here? Uh-huh. And you rhymed them all off and I'd heard of all of them, even thirty one, just because there was folk talking about it on the the Facebook group when yep. it came out kind of thing, you know, so oh no, that's his new one. And I'd heard of all the other ones. And then you threw in this one in the middle, uh, which was the haunted world of El Super Bisto. And you can offhandedly went, yeah, this is a cartoon thing. And I remember at the time it kind of registered, but then it must have slipped out my head. And it wasn't until I was round at your house picking up a load of DVDs mm-hmm. and you were giving me a few of the Rob Zombie ones. And as I scanned through them when I got home, I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> oh, God, that's right. There's this cartoon thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I am, in general, I am not a huge animated movie fan. Right, or indeed animated TV. I, I find it difficult to view them as an adult. Like, right. I know, I know yeah, a lot of adults still love The Simpsons and all that. It bores me to tears. Uh, same with South Park. I lost the interest in South Park after about the fifth episode kind of thing. I just... And all these Disney ones, see all the, you know, and folks say, yeah, but you know, you can go with your kids and there's humour in it for you and that. Oh, no, I'm just watching a kid's movie. I'm just watching a kid's movie. And I don't care if there's a thickly veiled dick joke in there somewhere. It's a kid's fucking movie. So I'm not... The only one actually I've really enjoyed recently was uh, Rick and Morty, which you turned me on to. I fucking love Rick and Morty. And I didn't like that at the start, but for some reason I persevered and as we get... Towards the end of the first season into second season, I started finding it really genuinely funny. Mm. But as a rule, the Baz don't like cartoons much. So I just didn't know where this was going to go because, you know, the films of zombies that I've seen are pretty brutal affairs. Mm-hmm. It's fair to say, you know, that he pushes the boundaries and he's all about the gore. Yeah. Um, and I was like, it's a fucking cartoon, man. Anyway, I sat down to watch it. Um, my notes are not, I wouldn't say they're, they're hardly encyclopedic. My notes here, right? I kind of fluctuated wildly between being interested in taking notes and just losing the fucking will completely. It, it starts off with a black and white kind of opening of this butler looking fucker giving you a kind of content warning. Um... I'm sure that the voice of that butler guy would mean something to people that are heavy into film. It meant nothing to me, but I'm sure it's somebody kind of famous <laughs> from the history of film. I also noticed at this point that it's based on a comic book that Rob Zombie wrote. Yeah, it's not... Yeah, it's, it's something that's... Yeah, it's based on a comic book that Rob Zombie wrote. Um, I'm, there's a fucking... What do you call it? What is a Rob Zombie album? Which has... Uh, what's the White Zombie album... Which has, I'm sure there's a track called El Super Beast or something. I can't, my, my, my memory is so vague just now. Um, but there's, it's something that's been incorporated into the Rob Zombie persona or world or oeuvre for, for decades. You know, this isn't, I, I think this is just something that he's, you know, he finally found himself in a position where he could do something with it and flesh it out but it's always been there if you know what I mean I think there's maybe some comics that came after it as well fair play and uh, and then this week's award for wank of the week goes to Duncan McLeish for his use of the word oeuvre I see listen Baz I... shut up <laughs> 
<laughs> Shut up and think about what you did, McLeish. Anyway, another thing I don't like in general is this Mexican wrestling. Right? I don't like the wrestling. You know this. Right? Former co-host Graham Humphrey hardly talks to me over my ridiculing of the wrestling. Yeah, he still doesn't want to live in a world where you don't like the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Fan of the show, Big Davey Buchanan, gets irate when I refer to the UFC as the wrestling. Yeah, he doesn't doesn't know how to take that comment. It's all the same, it's all shite. But (laughs) the Mexican stuff where they wear the wee mask and the capes, I get even fucking less. The Lucha Libre stuff, you don't like that? Yeah, well, I've never... uh I don't like wrestling. I don't get why they're dressed up like idiots. (laughs) The Mexican thing. Just weird. Yeah, has... you like, like, yeah, like you like superhero movies. Wonders yeah, will never cease. When one of these fat ass Mexican wrestlers can like fly and shoot laser beams out his cock, <laughs> then I'll take an interest. Right? <laughs> but it's really just two fat sweaty guys in you know shite S and M masks trying to catch each other as they roll about on the floor. Right, it's not for the bars. This is like the best thing ever already. It's bested in the shite wrestling stakes only by the abomination that is Greco-Roman wrestling or whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. You know that stuff they do in American high schools. And the reason that creeps me out so much is I found out that my boss used to do that in Scotland. It was at school, which was weird. I don't ever remember having to do wrestling at school. Mm. I was too busy with these fucking upcountry sheep shaggers trying to beat me to death with a hockey stick because they played shinty. <laughs> right. So I don't like the me- Mexican wrestling either. Right, I'm just going to dive straight in here. Basically, El Super Visto is casting a movie at the start. Um, it- it's a low-grade porno film. Mm-hmm. He's focused entirely on hot chicks. He just wants to employ hot chicks. You get a lot of people going by, like through his casting couch, as it were, and a lot of them are based on real people. That, there's Liza Minnelli, Jane Ann Garofalo, loads more. Uh, they were the only two that I scribbled down in my notes, kind of thing. Um, he basically ends up nailing them all. There is a revolting toe sucking scene far too early in this film. <laughs> then he gets attacked by werewolves and Medusa. Right, it makes no sense. Right, it makes no sense at all. He's then, he then decides he can only cheer himself up by going to a titty bar. Fairly right, okay, it could be looking up here. We get the opening credits. I will say his theme song is quite funny. Mm-hmm. Can't remember the ins and outs of it. There's a bit about demolishing some's bub, some female's vagina, which I thought was quite amusing. Um, gets to the bar. And this is where I started noticing that. So obviously, you had the little parade of like famous people at the casting at the start. When he goes into the bar, he says hello to Leatherface, mm-hmm. the Fly, like Jeff Goldblum or the old classic black is at the bar. Jack, there's a line um, from The Shining used. Jack Nicholson comes in because I'm a motherfucker or something like that. Cuts the Fly's face off with an axe. See, there's there's loads of horror references even in that first five minutes. It's littered with them everywhere. I had started trying to take note to show off my knowledge, as it were. You know, <laughs> found knowledge. I fu- I stopped after this. I just couldn't be fucked anymore. And we're only five minutes into the film, but I was like, it's just riddled with them. I'm not. I'll be here two days trying to note doing all of this. Mm-hmm. Safe to say, I did get a few of them. 
Um, we then cut to a completely different scene where there's a one-eyed blonde chick fighting some Nazi werewolves. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it, her name is Susie X, I found out later, and I found out even later that it's El Superbisto's sister. Yep. Although she is not Mexican at all. In fact, she looks like an Aryan poster girl. <laughs> it looks like something Hitler had on his inside his bathroom door. <laughs> for his wank bank. <laughs> um, man, the, the Nazis are getting praised to high heavens today in this show, aren't they? Yeah, this is... Yeah, this... About Hitler wank. How, how did we end up here, Duncan? It's the Merlot. <laughs> My big aluminium sack of Merlot. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, Susie X here is, is uh, fighting the Nazi werewolves, basically an attempt to get at Hitler's head, which is preserved in a jar, mm-hmm. which reminded me of something that's been in something as well. Uh, I think Futurama or something like Futurama, that. Futurama, yeah, that. Aha! Uh-huh. Nixon's head's in a jar in Futurama. Yep. That's oh, I'm not a crook. Yep. There's a, there is a little bit to do with the head well, there's a Charlie Chaplin joke in there as well which I picked up on I gave myself a little smug pat on the back for that one <laughs> Susie X phone Super Beast but he bails on her um, and I've said here she appears to be some kind of secret agent and, and my next line bear in mind we're about 10 minutes in is losing the will to take notes <laughs> um, my over overriding memory of that particular scene was that would have been fucking amazing if it had been live action mm-hmm. you know slash low grade porno Um, then Super Beasto beats up a rabbit I don't know why mm-hmm. the, de- the devil takes a shit turns out it's not the actual devil it's Dr. Satan mm-hmm. who's a lot less scary in this film than he was in House of a Thousand Corpses I've got to say he's yep. just a little lab coat wearing mad scientist with the devil's face um, so the, the, obviously that is the nod to a thousand corpses you mm-hmm. know the, the character apparently he now needs to find a girl with a 666 birthmark on her arse banger and then he will become Satan incarnate which is his plan for world domination Um. Big Super Beasto is at the strip joint and falls for a stripper called Velvet Von Black. Yeah, Rosario Dawson. Voices. Yes, who I found out after it is the kind of Latin American nurse in all of the Netflix Marvel shows. Mm-hmm. Devil and Luke Cage and all yep. of these. She's in them all. Because I, I looked up because I thought the voice acting in her character was brilliant. She got that pure like, Latino, like ghetto kind of girl thing going on yeah and I'm like I don't recognise that name at all so I googled her and I was like you look vaguely familiar how do I know you and then I like I looked on Wikipedia and I was like oh god it's the girl for daredevil and all that I should have mentioned actually um, what's her face Susie X is played by Sherry Moon she is well. indeed yeah zombies um, like making another appearance every single yes. movie thus far uh-huh. And and literally the only good thing about this is some of the lines she is forced to say in this. <laughs> um, that guy got the Baz's creepy little motor running briefly. Um, yeah, so Beasto falls in love with Velvet Von Black, the stripper, but Dr. Satan is watching because apparently he has like, a hidden camera in the strip joint for some reason. Um, and apparently she's the one 
with the tattoo or the, the birthmark on her ass. So he sends his monkey sidekick to get her. He still walks in on them. He thinks they're banging or something. There's a Planet of the Apes reference about your dirty ape hands off her or some fucking thing like that. Men are so close to turning this off. (laughs) And I actually, I I do think this is probably the nearest I ever came just to not finishing a movie for this show. Really? Uh, I just, it's just because it was animated. Mm. And I'm just like, no. Even something like August Underground, I forced myself through, you know, just because it was the film. But I was just like, oh, I'm not watching a fucking cartoon. It's just idiotic, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I, I had a... By this point, my kind of frame of mind was very bad in relation to this film. Um, and I was very close to turning it off. I didn't, you'll all be pleased to know. Or, well, that's that might be borne out, but... Yeah, um, it depends whether or not people listening to this actually enjoy this, then they may yeah. wish you had. True. Sorry, I'm taking a wee jag of the mail on there. Oh, um, Susie X is now getting chased by Nazi zombies. They want Hitler's head back, obviously. Um, interestingly, she's a robot sidekick that wants to fuck her. Yeah. Um, Bisto then recruits Susie to help save Velvet, but she's like that. This better not be about the P word. <laughs> I forgot there is there is quite a lot of use of the P yeah, word in this as well. She runs through a lot of other phrases I could possibly use for it. One being the vertical bacon sandwich. Which is pretty funny. Maybe hungry as well. <laughs> um, he swears it isn't, but of course it totally is. Uh, the, the monkey. The monkey is captured. Um, Velvet Von Black by this point and takes her back to Dr. Satan's lair, where he accidentally walks in on Dr. Satan having a wank. Yep. Uh, we didn't need that either. Um, Susie bursts into the strip joint, shoots the place up. Captain Spaulding's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now obviously I haven't seen the first two films. Um, he feels her up and gets his ass, uh, his hand crushed in her ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just remember thinking at that point, Rob Zombie, you probably laughed yourself silly at this idea. <laughs> and it's puerile at best, Robert. You are better than this sometimes. Um, <laughs> at some point shortly after this super beast who gets captured and ends up in Dr. Satan's lair, um, turns out they went to college together where Dr. Satan wanted to bang Susie. She was a cheerleader. He was a wee dick with a guitar. Um... The monkey accidentally goes down on Velvet Von Black in a hot tub. I did have a chuckle at that and a little bit of wood. Uh, (laughs) Bisto then gets stuck in the dungeon with some old wrestler called, was it El Gutto or something like that? Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. Some testicles. Oh, I just seemed a bit fucking gratuitous at this point. Turns out Dr. Satan's got 23 ex-wives are all frozen in his lab. Susie faces off again with the Nazi zombies. Dr. Dr. Stan, according to my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Satan proposes to Velvet. 
She says yes because he gives her a massive ring and she's got a prenup that she'll get half of all his shit. Um, Bisto beats a big monster to death by El Gutto's massive buzz. And then I wrote, I've stopped taking notes now. So the rest of this is essentially condensed into two paragraphs and a sentence. Dr. Satan and Velvet get married. Bisto dumps blood on them like it's Carrie. It's too late though, because Dr. Satan turns into actual Satan. Then there's a, an actual Benny Hill chase scene with the music and everything. Mm-hmm. Weird. Um, Satan captures Susie. Velvet turns up. There's a cat fight, which Susie wins. Now, one of the only three occasions I smiled in this film, there is a song played over this cat fight about how it's okay to wank at cartoons, mm-hmm. because the Japanese have been doing it for years, basically. And I did think that was quite funny. There's a lot of writing in this film. There's a lot of nudity in this film as well. well albeit cartoon nudity. You even get to see Susie's vag at points. Mm-hmm. Um, and about the little grey triangle that substitutes for her, her partially shaven vagina, I think. <laughs> um... And I, I actually thought the song about it's okay to crack one out here if he's a horny boy. I thought that was quite funny. I will give him that one. Um, yeah, Satan then unfortunately stomps on Velvet to get out his prenup, which then makes him go back to normal and Super Beast gives him a wedgie. Basically. And that's pretty much the end of it. There's then some, I've written here some bollocks about a chat show. There's a weird musical performance. And then we basically find that Susie has come round to her robot sidekick's way of thinking and shags the living bejesus out of him, which weirdly consists of her spinning around on a carousel that has come out the end of his extending robot pop. But she's loving it, it's got to be said. I mean, she cannot get enough of this. Um, and back at the lair, Velvet is just getting the D something wild off that monkey. Um, Banjo and Sullivan turn up in the post-credit scenes, which mm-hmm. is the wee band from Dead Devil's Rejects, and Rob, Zom- Rob Zombie shoots them. Um, and that's the end of this film, and I'll never watch this film again, and I <laughs> didn't really want to talk about it much more. It, it's just... I don't know, it's like... I've, I've quite... Of what I've seen of Rob Zombies, and I even include Halloween 2 in this, right? I quite like what he's... He's not scared to take chances, Rob Zombie, and do... I think he does what he wants to do with his filmmaking, right? And and there needs to be a lot more of that in filmmaking. There have been some very good films that have been ass-raped by the studios. Mm-hmm. Wanting them something completely different. And... I don't know an awful lot about it, but it strikes me that Rob... I mean, you did tell me the House of Thousand Corpses was held up because he basically didn't want to change it and a lot of the big studios wanted him to change it. And he's obviously decided, you know, I'm going to do a cartoon, fuck the lot of you. It's the last thing you'd expect. And I just think he went from, I'm going to do artistically whatever the fuck I want to do, to... I'm just going to do the last thing that you think I'm going to do because I'm arty. Do you know what I mean? He went from being an artist who wasn't afraid to stick to his guns to being that sad little prick 
that just wants to keep you guessing. And I, I did lose a little bit of respect there. The humour in it is puerile, but not even in a funny way. The the the, the humour in Zach, uh, Rick and Morty, I find quite puerile, but it's genuinely funny in it. It's the little things that just get you and give you an actual belly laugh. Whereas yeah. in this, it's just like, oh, look, oh, he's shagging hundreds of folk again. Oh, look, the monkey's shagging somebody new. Oh, look, she's oiling the robot cock. Do you know what? I'm like, fuck off, Rob. Yeah, but I, I think Rick and Morty as well is benefited by the fact that every episode's like 20 minutes long. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, you can be puerile and you can run one joke with one particular sense of humour um, or, or do one particular version of a story for 20 minutes and then get out. You know, you've cracked all the jokes you possibly can at it and get out of there before it becomes wholly repetitive and essentially the same joke over and over and over and over again. Um, yeah. And it also helps that Rick and Morty is genuinely funny. I think... I think my, my issue with this is that I... And I echo a lot of what you've said... I think it's is this idea of let's make if, if Rob Zombie's going to do one of these kind of cartoon things like that, we're going to try and make it as R-rated as possible, and we're going to try and push the titillation and all the rest, and we're going to bring that that Rob Zombie idea of excess of a genre to to cartoons, and it'll be really really funny and all the rest. And I'm sure there is plenty of people out there that enjoy this. I'm sure there are loads of people out there. I do I do laugh at certain bits in this. There are certain things It's that those are... little perverts that wank off to hentai movies. <laughs> <laughs> the... I apologise to any of our listeners that like hentai movies. I am only Jason. Whatever gets you off, guys. Or girls. <laughs> Whatever fucking flows your boat. You know what I mean? It's it, my, my, my issue is that I, it, I just think it's I think it's like one joke played out uh, over an hour and 20 minutes and it just it wears me down really fucking quick like I, I, maybe not as quick as you you were five minutes into this and you were pretty much ready to switch it off I got about 20 minutes into my second viewing of this one and I was like this is you know that I've went through all this and I can't remember where it does go but I don't think tonally it's going to change and at that point, you're just like, you're just getting beaten over the head with the same joke over and over again. And oh, look, there's tits. And oh, look, they're, they're fucking. And oh, look, there's, you know, another horror reference. And oh, look, here's a lot of Rob's. It's, it is almost. It's almost on, on some level. I, I can see it being made for fans of Rob Zombie because that's why all his characters are in there. I think if you'd seen none of Rob Zombie stuff before, there is so much content in here that is going to go so far fucking over your head, it's unbelievable. Um, so then it's really only playing to a niche market, and I don't think for one second fans of House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects are going to gravitate solely to the humour and the style of the of El Super Beasto at all. Um, I, I just... I don't think it's very good. Um, I, I know this is another one of these ones that didn't really do much at all in the way of anything. I know it was kind of funded by Stars, and Stars went off and did things like uh, like the Evil Dead TV shows out in Stars in America, um, and they they kind of financed this. I, and that was brilliant. I, yeah, I just I don't I do not know 
what the purpose of this is. I know it's his characters, and I know that a lot of the... I was actually in the interim between us recording here. Rob Zombies appeared on um, the Postmortem podcast with Mick Garris, and he actually talks about Super Beasto very briefly, and he just said that he thinks that someday... He still really likes this. He still thinks that someday it'll get released in some format and there'll be an audience for it. And I'm sure there is an audience for it. Um, it's just not me. I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm not saying there's an audience for the Star Wars Holiday Special, don't But there's... See, I, I always... The one thing I always say about horror movies, regardless whether I like them or not, whether I think they're the greatest movie in the world or not the greatest movie in the world, I would hate to be a filmmaker that makes something that no one likes. Like, no one ever likes. To me, every movie out there has, you know, there's at least one person in the world that will connect with that movie, and that is, that is cool to me. I think that's the way cinema should be, and that's the way film should be, and the horror genre has so many subgenres and so much stuff that I don't like. There are whole subgenres of horror that I just don't like at all, but there are rabid fans for it, whereas there are whole genres of horror cinema. I mean, I love art house horror. I mean, I'm a fucking massive fan of that. It's such a niche market, and most people are like that. It's, you know, self-congratulatory, it's, you know, it's it's up its own arse, it's all visuals, there's no story, and all the rest. And I, I would argue, to the nail, that that's not the case. Um, and I know there's people that enjoy this cartoon, that would say to me, you just don't like it because you don't get the sense of humour. And it's not that I don't get the sense of humour, I just think it's one joke. I just think mm-hmm, it's one yeah. joke just repeated over and over. The the, the, the sense of humour in this movie never really gravitates from the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, just, no, you're it's, absolutely right. It's replicated all the way through, and you're either on board with that all the way through it, or you, you get bored of it. And I get bored of it really fucking quick. The second watch for me of this ever it's funny both both the movies were, were about to like the next movie as well I watched tonight for the first time first time since it originally came out so it's my second viewing of that um, on the off chance that I was you know in the back of my head will it change my opinion um, and you need to wait to hear if it did or not um, but th- this one didn't if anything I think less of this um, like I've said before funnily enough like I said earlier on when we're talking about House of Thousand Corpses my general theme with Rob Zombie movies is that I struggle to revisit them and when I revisit them I start to I start to seriously pick them apart um, and this is a well crafted you know um, cartoon it's very well crafted and the voice acting is spot on it just does the voice acting is very good actually yeah. I will give you that it yeah. does nothing I, for I, me maybe I should have mentioned that myself actually the voice acting is very good in it yeah it, it really really does nothing for me at all as a non-event and like you um, unless a gun is put against my head or I lose a bit I, I can't see me ever revisiting uh, the haunted world of uh, Super Beasto again yeah, no, I mean, I, I literally can't even watch this DVD in my house because I don't have a Region 1 DVD player and I could not give a fuck. This film can fuck off. <laughs> well, there you go. That was short and sweet. I did see that this would be the perfect palate cleanser uh, in between in between the, the actual cinematic uh, movies. You know, we, we went through our, our, our opening chapters, uh, which which followed, like, the, the kind of the sequels of... Uh, you know, Devil's Rejects on from House of a Thousand Corpses, and then you get this to break the pace, break the tone, and all the rest. And then we return with what 
our next movie review is Rob Zombie's apparently most personal project to date and this is the one that he wanted to show off how great a filmmaker he is. Um, so, it was a couple of years later and he returned with The Lords of Salem for 2012. Baz, in terms of reviews for this one, it, you know, it's you went above and beyond, you know, with your checking out Werewolf Formula of the SS. You get merit, A merit, A plus merit for, for the Baz there. Oh! And, yeah, that was because I thought my actual review of El Super Misto was shite. Uh, to be <laughs> honest with you, you covered it better than I would have. Uh, no. I would have done it in a lot less time and there would have been far more expletives. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, with that in mind, uh, we're going to move away from the world of cartoons, uh, maybe revisit them one day, maybe not, <laughs> now that we know that Baz uh, fucking hates them. Uh, we'll not be doing that again. Uh, note to Duncan, note to podcast listeners, do not give Baz a cartoon. Full stop. Um, right, uh, we're going to take our next break in this show. You're going to hear promos for shows that we love and you're going to hear the trailer for film number four. This is The Lords of Salem from 2012. When we return, myself and Baz will be looking at that movie right after this. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How be did a rough you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Number four. That apartment is a total dog. No one wants it. But I just saw the tenant like 10 minutes ago standing in the doorway. Oh, I hate to break it to you, but there is no person in number five. You have to understand that there is a war waging in heaven. Salem. 
possessing the souls of the Salem women, which the devil's child would inherit the earth. Welcome. God does not spare angels when they sin. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for movie number four of this end of year assessment for Baz v. Rob Zombie. This is Lords of Salem from 2012. And this is a movie, Baz. <coughs> Excuse me. This is a movie that Rob Zombie said, this is my last horror movie. This is the last right. I'm not doing another horror movie after this. I'm going off. I'm going to try and make some different movies. I'm done with horror. Um, I want to make a hockey movie. That's like know, ice but, hockey. Yep, want to make a hockey movie. Because um, if he'd done one about like fucking field hockey, that'd have been shit. Oh god, could you imagine? Uh, he was supposed to go off and do an ice hockey movie, and we'll obviously touch on what happened to that when we discuss his next movie and the final one in this this episode, which is another horror movie. Um, <laughs> the fact that we're not doing a hockey movie may, may give you a little clue that that never happened, Baz. Um, <laughs> just saying. Uh, so yeah, this is Lords of Salem from 2012, written and directed by Rob Zombie, starring Sherry Moon Zombie. Once again, this is a who's who. Uh, Bruce Davison, Jeff Daniel Phillips, Judy Gleason, Meg Floster, uh, Patricia Quinn, Ken Faree, Dee Wallace, Maria Conchita Alonso, I think I got that right. Uh, Richard Fancy, I like that, Fancy. Uh, Andrew Prine, uh, Michael Berryman, Sid Haig, Bonita Frederici, uh, Nancy Lennon Charles, and I'm going to stop reading these uh, before I completely go off the fucking rails. Um, the synopsis <laughs> for this one Heidi, a radio DG, is sent a box containing a record. A gift from the Lords. The sounds within the grooves trigger flashbacks of her Tim's violent past. Is Heidi going mad? Or are the Lords back to take revenge on Salem, Massachusetts? Dun dun dun. Right, I added the dun dun dun. That's not written in there, but it feels like very good though. Someone should have wrote that. Um yeah. So, like I say, Rob Zombie decided one more one more hurrah, and if he was gonna do one more horror movie, he wanted I like to think it was a huzzah! <laughs> One last huzzah! Um, incidentally, that's the noise I make when I ejaculate. Um, yep. every, every single time. Every single time. You don't know that because. Set your watch by it. I mute my microphone when I say huzzah on this show. Destroying myself for the baz. Um, oh god, I sometimes. Oh yeah, I'm just that last Take movie. Out. That last movie's just fucked my head, honestly, man. Uh, yeah, so this is the Lords of Salem. Like I say, last horror movie that Rob Zombie was going to do at the time. He wanted to channel some. So he's obviously done his Grindhouse. He's done his kind of seventies exploitation. Um, he's done his remake. He has done his cartoon. 
So this one was going to cover some of the kind of artistic horror movies that he grew up loving. So this is his ode to the movies of uh, Polanski, like th things like Rosemary's Baby. I know you've not seen Rosemary's Baby yet, but things like Rosemary's Baby, Kubrick's The Shining. You know, th these. This is this is his attempt to do that. So it is theatrical as fuck. The cinematography is off the motherfucking chain, or is it? Let's see, let's see, Baz. Now, you, yeah, you, you, you're so close to the end here. You're so close to the end, and as we're following the arc here, the inevitable arc of, of a lot of these things that we do on on Baz v. Horror, these arcs never tend to go up and up, upswing at the end, very seldom. I think maybe Evil Dead thus far is the only... Is it? Yeah, I think it maybe is the only... Maybe it was something like Friday the 13th where you actually enjoyed the remake. There's very few of these arcs that end on a happy note, and we're so close to the end here. So it'll be interesting to see that after the hugely disappointing El Super Beasto, if Lords of Salem can clamber back some of that street cred that Rob Zombie so desperately needs from the Baz. Um, our listeners are eager, they are waiting, they have listened to many, many hours of this podcast already. Why don't you put them <laughs> out of their misery and let them know what you made of the Lords of Salem? Well, I'll put you in your misery right now and say it's better than El Super Beasto. <laughs> <laughs> right, but that's not saying fucking much. Um, yeah, Lords of Salem. Again, another film I, I was familiar with the name of it. I was familiar with the visual, mm -hmm. uh, which I now know as Sherry Moon Zombie, uh, you know, with the dreads and the face paint and the striped jumper kind of thing. It's a very striking visual. Mm -hmm. Um and it was a film I was quite looking forward to seeing. Again, it was one of these kind of more modern horrors that I'd, I'd heard the name of and thought it would be cool to see that, you know. Is this um, our first so witchcraft movie? Out with, I mean, we saw The Witch together, but is this our first witchcraft movie? On the show? Yeah. Um, I want to say it is. Blair Witch, if you class that as witchcraft. Kind of as an offshoot, but if we're talking about purely, <clears throat> purely witchcraft satanic sort of movie is this our first no the wicked man the, mm, kind of more pagan than oh right wicked. well if I'm going to get that fucking wank <laughs> you put it either it's the first witch one don't you? yeah well right, right yeah, but wiccans are are female are they not but I, uh, mm. I'm really not going to argue this new age pish with you it's not right. new age pish it's not new no 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 you're not you're not getting away with this you're not getting away with this this is a witchcraft movie pagans do not worship satan what uh, witches witchcraft Th these witches worship satan so can we not lump it in the same satanic boat just for the fucking sake we could say sake? occult uh, occult is the the greater term but i'm just saying is in terms of uh, witchcraft is a full subgenre of horror um Maybe I feel, I feel this tangent has had far more focus than it deserves to No, no the reason I say it is because there is a whole host of really interesting witchcraft horror movies that, you know, is a potential show out there and I just wanted to make sure that we hadn't covered all, any already. Okay, I, fair play. I, I would possibly be quite interested in that. I think something like that I might find quite scary. Because there is that it's kind of satanic you a heads up there. Yeah, there is that satanic sort of vibe that kind of taps into that religious aspect, and we know that you're. In fact, no, we have actually that paranormal activity, in witchcraft, isn't it? Third movie. Well, 
Uh, yeah, it, it comes into it, but to yeah. me, that's more kind of supernatural ghost type stuff. Got you. Yeah, got you. It, it does go down that path eventually. Right. Well, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't call that a witchcraft film. Don't think right. we're stretching a bit there, mate. Right then. But what we'll do is we will. Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna just while we're on. So since we're planning out the next fucking year of the show, 2018. Um, I'm gonna chop that one in the back. Yeah. Why don't we do this in the middle of this massive episode? Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about what we're going to do you enjoyed the witch I enjoyed the witch well I liked the witch more than you enjoyed the witch but you still really enjoyed that movie yeah I thought it was a good film yeah I thought it was a very good film and I don't know why we haven't just done witchcraft movies I'm I'm just thinking out loud I'm I'm delirious Baz it's probably worth doing because I will say I think that I'm the the religious horror is losing its edge with me now yeah yeah Um, because we've done it a few times on the show um, you know, like with uh, was it Emily Rose? Yeah, 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 yeah. Emily Rose. yeah, yeah. Um, and they didn't. They don't have the impact that they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was something I carried over my pre pre teapots days. Yeah. And I think I've kind of got over that. But I don't know. I could see witchcraft maybe maybe hitting a wee nerve. Let's let's chalk it up then. Um, let's let's mark it. Let's sorry, I, I flung us all off there. I, it's because we're fucking four hours into the show or some shit like that and I've not ate or drank and mm. I'm, I'm getting delirious Baz well, put me out of my misery much like I'm much like this movie red wine, mate. Yeah, much like this movie I'm in a bit of a fever dream Baz so <laughs> so ground me bring me back to reality right okay the film itself opens with a dreadlocked Sherry Moon zombie being driven in a car that's word for word for my notes there <laughs> What a thing of beauty. Um, yeah, so she's basically getting driven about. She's, getting, she's sporting some blonde dreads this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking not bad. She's clearly put on a few years have passed, but she's still holding her shit together. Um, it then jumps back in time, I think, to around about the 1690s. Yeah. Uh, and a guy called Jonathan Hawthorne is writing in his uh, journal uh, about fighting demonic forces in Salem. So we are in Salem, Massachusetts, site of the famous Salem witch trials many moons ago. Um, and this character of Jonathan Hawthorne appears to have been there at the time. Uh, it then kind of cuts to a black mass where witches, there's a goat, so we black Philip turns up, which is quite <laughs> It's nice to see he moved on after that shenanigans in the witch. Uh, he found a new home. Um, and the witches they all get buck naked which is really uncool in this film I've got to say yeah sometimes they're, layers are better they're not high <laughs> toned supple looking young witches do you know what I mean they get shit hanging out of places I didn't think you could have stuff hanging out to be quite honest <laughs> they all look like they have the same body of Iggy Pop <laughs> <laughs> they do have a they do have a big saggy man tits Right, okay. So I was repulsed by the witch scene. And then we go into the titles. And then opens on Monday. So it's, it's, it's taking on that trope, but it's done day by day, and each day comes up as a kind of title. So Monday, we see Sherry sleeping. Mm-hmm. Fine ass is hanging out. Yeah, yeah. Good start, Rob Zombie. <laughs> um, she opens she says, thank you for showing me your wife's ass. I like that. <laughs> uh, Sherry gets up, covers her ass up, unfortunately. She goes out to get her paper, 
outside the door. There's a strange figure down the hall at apartment number five. So not number nine, which we're a big fan of, but apartment number five. <laughs> um, but the, the, the kind of figure doesn't respond to her. And then shortly after this, she's talking to her landlady who tells her there's nobody living there. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit spooky. Um, we then get a kind of very 70s style ad for a radio station. Now, I don't think this film is set in the 70s like the previous ones were. Mm, no. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, there's right. a, a heavy 70s vibe on this uh, radio ad. Uh, we find out Sherry's name is Heidi LaRock. Um, and she's a DJ, she's got a show with these two other guys, one of whom I am calling Black DJ in a rather racist way. Yeah, it's Ken Free. Yep, Black DJ. <laughs> and uh, and the other one, I could not think of anything else, so I've, I've written here, I've called him a Manson-looking fucker. So later on, I will talk about the Manson or Manson DJ. I mean this guy, okay? Um, they're interviewing this rather demented black metal singer at the start, which is quite funny, I've got to say. hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Um, then when she's leaving work, she gets handed this, uh, something that packages arrive for her. It's basically like a wooden bound LP. It's kind of like... If you wanted to package your album in a wooden version of the Necronomicon. (laughs) But but frighteningly looks a bit like that coffee table I've got. It does a wee bit, actually. That freaked me out when I realised I've got to say. It is, actually. It's the fucking... The sister of that fucking coffee table you've got. This is the baby sister. Mm. Mmm. And the, the, the album that's in this is from a band called The Lords, who we shortly find out are from Salem. Therefore, they are The Lords of Salem. That's where that name comes from, <laughs> if you hadn't. Uh, she goes back to her apartment with the Manson-looking fucker that she works with, and they try to play the record, but initially the needle keeps jumping. Something's afoot. <laughs> Please tell me you wrote that. Um, no, no, I'm a mad living that, mate. I'm mad living that. It's, it's flowing out me now. My creative juices are, are flowing. Like the Merlot. Like the, like, like the cheap box of Merlot. She's now fucking ran out because that wife Watch of mine. It. Yes, your wife. Your delightful, charming wife came in and then turned. It's not that, Duncan, but her white glasses are massive. It's like a fishbowl on a big metal column. <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> right. So the needle keeps jumping. Finally, they managed to get it to play. To play, uh, and then the the lyrics kick in, um, and it sounds a bit like a black mass type idea. And Sherry appears to have some kind of flashback. Well, at least I think it's her having a flashback. Yep. And the, there was. Ugly ass witches from earlier on are now cutting a baby out of pregnant women, mm-hmm. which is not cool. And one of these old ladies spits in the baby's face after licking it as well. Now, being the father of a tiny little baby boy, I wanted to kick the fucking telly at this point. I've got to say that did not sit well with me at all. 
So I went upstairs and sat next to my child's cot for half an hour to make sure that they witches. <laughs> <laughs> then I came back down the stairs. Sherry <laughs> um, <laughs> snaps out of it basically when the, the, the Manson dude takes the needle off the record. Take the needle off the record. Um, she goes to bed. Oh, yeah, now this bit was quite good. He, the Manson guy, fucks so I think he tries to stay. I think they've got a bit of previous history, and I think he's quite keen to put his D in her V. Um, she chases him off. She's going to bed. She passes by a door in her house, like a door into another room, which is a light on. There's a fucking witch in the background. Mm-hmm. Shot myself. <laughs> I just say, that really creeped me out. Really creeped me out. <laughs> it's been so long since I heard you say that. It's amazing. Yeah. That bit got me. Oh, do you know? I should have mentioned at the start. Uh, this film is the first film I've watched on UK Shudder. Oh, fantastic! Despite now, I'm going to whisper this because my wife's in the other room. Despite having been paying for it for two months. <laughs> yeah, I, I. If it makes you feel any better, I've watched a three-part TV show and two movies on Shudder and I have had it since October <laughs> okay, now you're, you're worse than me but we all know that don't we, yeah, we all you know, know that yeah. if, there's, if there's a gimmick if there's some quirky limited edition thing if there's a way to piss money up a wall the yeah. police will find a way yeah if there's a magic golden ticket in it that wins you a prize you'll buy two of them and give one to me <laughs> that never happened let's happen. not forget that little nugget yeah. right anyway <laughs> Right, yes, so the witch, the visual of the witch was really good. Just the way it was done, wasn't expecting it. Yeah, but I did genuinely think that was good. And it was at this point that I noticed that this film is startlingly different from the first two. The the first two movie, right? I'm not right. So let's just forget about the cartoon crap, right? We're not. We're just that never happened. Mm-hmm. Um. The House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects, yeah, they are quite different and he clearly did, he changed the style in between those two films, but there's a kind of flow between them, a kind of synergy between those two films. This film is kind of radically different. Those two films are not scary films, Mm -hmm. I don't think. They don't scare me at all. They are gory as fuck. They are great examples of particular styles of horror, but I didn't find them scary. Maybe some folk do. Some folk don't like gore, in which case it'll probably scare the shit out of you. They didn't scare me. I thought they were good in their own way, but they didn't scare me. And then I got this, I really did get a bit of a, oh, God, what's that kind of feeling? when yeah. the, And I realised, you know, it is a very different film. It, 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 like, like it or loathe it, this film it is quite creepy at points. It has to be said, which is something that was not there in the first two films at all. Mm-hmm. They were a completely different end of the scale. Um, we're then in a Tuesday. We see her at a 12-step meeting. I thought it was AA, but as the film went on, I think it was maybe Narcotics Anonymous. I think maybe she was on the old heroin at one point. Yeah, because she does drink in this movie, so... Uh, I, I always yeah. put down the heroin. Ah, so. uh-huh, yeah, so I think it was like a Narcotics Anonymous thing. So she's one of their meetings. Um, at work, they are interviewing 
an author guy who's written a book about the witch trials, mm-hmm. and he becomes kind of prevalent as the film goes on. Um, after the interview, they play that Lord's record, um, which seems to evoke this weird reaction in certain women in the town. Like you see them listening to it on the radio, and then they they all go a bit step for wives kind of thing. Um, the author. It obviously rings some kind of bell with him as well. He wants to know where she got it. He seems to know something about this record or, or what he's just heard. Um, she goes home. Uh, her landlady invites her to a party with her sisters. Uh, then she, like, she meets her landlady and then she says, oh, yeah, I'm having a party with my sisters. Why don't you come? Right, I'll pop down. She then goes up to her own apartment goes into the kitchen, switches the light on, there's a fucking witch in the corner. <laughs> Pretty sure it's the same one <gasps> cutting about in the fucking toilet. I went quiet there because I was expecting shot myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a fucking witch in the corner. <laughs> Cunt. Which <laughs> is just cutting about her house. Yeah. That one actually got me worse than the first one did because I didn't see the creepy wee bitch at first. <laughs> and it took like a split second, like, oh, there's a fucking witch in the <laughs> yeah, so if, if Rob, if you had just done 90 minutes of her walking in and out of different parts of her house with witches in the background, you'd have probably killed me. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, so there's a witch in the corner, basically. She then goes down to the party, gets her palm red, which freaks her out a bit. The sisters are all quite weird. The landlady and her sisters, they have, they've clearly got something going on that we are hitherto unaware of. Yeah, the fact that none of them look alike and none of them share the same accent. You know, throws yeah. a dubiety straight away, Baz. Um, Sherry gets up in the middle of the night. Her dog is going mental outside number five. The door opens, Heidi goes in. There's a massive neon cross for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is also some kind of creature in the room which did genuinely give me a jump scare. Oh, right. I did get a bit of a fright there. Um, she then has another vision thing and it all goes away. When she comes out of the room, one of the witches is there. Talks to her, saying once that they lead them again, kind of thing. There's a bit. I'm sure there's a quote. She mentions cunting daughters, mm-hmm. which that's a line for the Exorcist. Is it not? Is that not something that a, the cunting mother? I think it is, and isn't it? Is it? I don't know. I thought it was your cunting daughter. Oh no. yeah, yeah, I think that. Yeah, yeah, she says that in regards to the body she's occupying. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't know if that was a nod at that or if he was just plagiarising the fuck out of the exorcist. I don't know. She then, Sherry then wakes up in her room like it was a dream. And I've written here, this film is much scarier than the first two. There's a very different tone to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I found it much scarier than the first two. Like I said, the, the, you know, what, the style of the first two is not something that was ever going to frighten me, whereas this, this does. Um, Wednesday she goes a walk where her dog ends up in a wee church she gets talking to the priest who then goes mental and makes her suck his cock <laughs> and then spews black shit out of his mouth 
That was all kind of weird. That's what happens at churches, isn't it? I've never been in one, so I just assume that's... Well, as if you go to a Catholic church. Um... <laughs> Moving on! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, only kidding. They're not all like that, although a lot of them are. <laughs> um... <laughs> then she wakes up in the church, so it appears like it was another dream, like she actually wasn't forced to fight this um, priest, but I did, I did turn off there and have a, a wee bit of a thrash. Um... She sees some kind of demon outside the church. Uh, the author guy that was there earlier on get the, the interviewed at the radio station is reading an account of Margaret Morgan who was burned for witchcraft. Um, yeah, I, th- I think we get a kind of flashback as he's reading this book and all the other witches are getting burned and Margaret's the kind of main one. Um... And then the author realises that the music on the Lord's record is taken from the last four pages of this book. Mm-hmm. I can't quite remember exactly how. I'm sorry, it was a few days ago I watched this movie. But he figures out that this music was somehow in this book. So it's like a music from that age or from that time kind of thing. Yeah. Um, on the radio show, they announced that the Lords are coming to play in Salem. Uh, they play the record, Heidi Voms. Back home, there's hundreds of rats gathering outside in their hall. Don't know which is fucking anything to do with anything. <laughs> actually, now you mention it, it is a bit kind of shining esque. Yeah, yeah, it is. Kind of things much. happen elsewhere that don't really come to anything, but it's just to say, ooh, there's something weird going on. Um, Thursday, the author goes to see the guy that wrote the book about Margaret Morgan. Um, he tells him that Hawthorne, this Jonathan Hawthorne, was obsessed with Morgan and her coven, and he said they were making the devil's music. And I was like, oh, that's a little bit fucking cliche. Do you know what I mean? I personally thought that was, oh, so that's where the music comes from. Oh, fucking right, whatever. Um, he tells him about Morgan's curse, which affects the women of Salem that are descended from the the lineage of the witches, which is probably what happened there later on. Um, and it looks like Heidi is a descendant of uh, Morgan. Uh, although I think I find out later on that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, Heidi goes to see the Manson DJ guy, starts coughing up blood, phones in an ambulance, demons turn up. Yeah. Demons turn up, they appear to kill him. She sees herself getting cut open and some kind of parasite pulled up. She wakes up screaming, oh, it's another fucking dream. Mm-hmm. Too many of them, I've got to say. Yeah. She's blaming the record for all of this. Uh, which is something I can relate to heavily on a personal note. Why? Thanks for coming in there three seconds too late, Duncan. Um, well, no, and you're, you, I'm like, just like... Please ask me why. Please ask me why. I'm like, I'm like, you're saying it and I'm like... His ba- Have I never told you the story about the album November Coming Fire by Sam Hain? You have. You've actually told us. You've told us this on the, the Halloween shows as well about how you bought this and it's worth a fortune but it made you physically ill when you listened to it. Like nauseous, okay. you said. Yeah, and I had to give it up. I fell ill after I bought it. 
and I completely related my illness to the album and ended up giving it to my pal. And it's now worth uh, how much? Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, but it's, it's impossible to get. Like the original vinyl, November Coming Fire, co- yeah, I don't know, you'd get a lot of money for it. <laughs> um, and he's probably sold it on eBay. Have you ever listened um, to it since? No, uh, Sam Hain stuff is almost impossible to get nowadays. Um, you can get all the Misfits stuff, you can get all the Danzig stuff, but he's just never done anything about re-releasing the Sam Hain stuff. And it's a shame. Mm-hmm. But Brian Baker, for Brad, Bad Religion, played in some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really wish he would. I really, really wish Glenn Danzig would do something about Sam Hain albums. Sorry. A lot of folk might not realise I'm talking about it. It was the band, Sam Hain were the band that Glenn Danzig had in between the Misfits and his own band Danzig. Um, and November Coming Fire was one of their albums. But yeah, I really wish he would release it again. I think you can get kind of box sets and that, like import for America, but they cost far too much. Mm-hmm. And for me, I will not download something illegally, Duncan. He will not. He's a man of his word, he won't do it. Um... Yes, right, so yes, so she's blaming the record. Uh, she's now so fucking freaked out by everything that's going on, she goes to score some heroin <laughs> or, or some fucking thing. No, it's something she can smoke in a pipe. I think it's the old crack cocaine. Yeah. Nice. Which is a good, good time for everyone. <laughs> um, no, no, no bad side effects here. Gonna say, okay, the cocaine. <laughs> it's Friday. She's getting high on her pipe. That's a motherfucker. <laughs> The sisters downstairs come to visit. You probably don't want that happening when you're off your face on the old rock. Do you know what I mean? Um, The author guy, he finds out that Heidi's real name is actually Hawthorne. She's a direct descendant of Jonathan Hawthorne. Um, It looks like these three sisters are the coven. Mm -hmm. Uh, They take Heidi down to room five to meet Satan, as you do when you're high as a motherfucker. (laughs) She walks in. It's a bit like a huge church. Her face is painted. This is the image like, from the film posters and stuff, which is a very striking image, I've got to say. I will give Rob Zombie that. She looks fucking terrifying mm-hmm. um, at this point. Uh, Satan turns up. Satan looks right. <laughs> uh, see, up until this point, I was thinking, Oh, but fair job here, by the way, Rob Zombie. Do you know what I mean? Like you say, cin- cinematically, this is a fucking amazingly shot film. You know what I mean? It looks great. It's very different. It's very gritty. There's obviously been a lot of money plowed out of the cinematography. I thought it looked fucking great, and then this fucking melted, inflatable Satan thing comes out. What the fuck is that? Really? <laughs> now, right here, it looks like the blob, the, the, the shit monster, the Golgothan out of Dogma. <laughs> but like a tiny wee crap red version of it. <laughs> oh my god. And now the Golgothan's kind of cool backstory. Do you know what I mean? <sighs> oh. What he was thinking there. <laughs> I really don't. Um, and yet, on, and, and I've, I've, I've actually written them a note here. Uh, uh, right, Satan turns up, looks shite. Heidi, on the other hand, looks fucking awesome with the face paint and stuff. Now, her visual at this point, the one of them was is great and really effective, really creepy looking. 
Um, and then this fucking wee goblin turns up. <laughs> and then it shoots out these weird umbilical cord things and she grabs a hold of them and it, I don't know, it's like an electric shock. You know, it's awful. <laughs> and then the, the sisters put her to bed and then creepy wee midget Satan turns up next to the bed and then it cuts off again. And I, I just, what, really? What were you thinking? At that point, you, how did you possibly think that was adding to this film? It's a fairly big moment in the movie. And you do something that looks like the cover of that shite Black Sabbath album that nobody listens to. Born again or whatever it was called. You know what I mean? Fucking arsehole. <laughs> so it's Saturday. Not that anybody gives a fuck to me at this point. Because right? basically Friday's killed it for everybody. Oh, uh, I can't breathe. Oh, fuck. Oh. Um, Manson DJ calls her up. I think he's trying to get, get with it. Um, but she blows him off and not in the way he is hoping to um, we see the room the room's trashed the landlady's sitting there and says you love him don't you it doesn't really matter nobody cares um, the author guy goes to see Heidi but he gets intercepted by the sisters who tell her tell him that she's gone out but she's not she's up there strung out to fuck on the old crack cocaine mm-hmm. Uh, then they kind of turn on him. They, they invite him in for tea and that. There is a weird conversational piece about fucking her brains or something like that. Like, yeah. you want to fuck her brains or something like that. With your cock. Yeah, with your fucking mind cock or something weird. Like, I don't know. A bit odd. And then one of them takes him out with a frying pan. You could have just done that at the start. We didn't <laughs> need the fucking brain fucking thing. Um, now, here's a thing. Uh-oh. Like I said, I watched this on the old Shudder. And the first... I actually had to watch this film in two parts, just with that child of mine, just keep me up at night and stuff like that. I'd struggled to make it through this whole movie. And I started quite late because my mother was up staying at the weekend. And I had to let her watch all her fucking shit on the television. <laughs> she went to bed. God bless her. My mother's going like that. If you want to watch something, you just put it on. I'm not putting a Rob Zombie film on in front of I'm going to go, it's a, it's a horror film, Mum, you don't want to. I'll just read my newspaper. Yeah, I know, Mum, you, you say that, right, but for all I know, the opening fucking scene in this film is Sherry Moon Zombie sucking off a dead goat or something. <laughs> You know what I mean? And if it is, they'll actually show you her sucking its dead little goat cock, you know? So I really don't want you in the same room, Mum. <laughs> I managed to clear her upstairs to her bed and I started watching the film. So I got about an hour, 10, hour 20 into it and had to stop. And have you turned your mic off, McLeish? No, I'm honestly... I'm... I'm a fucking state here, honestly. I'm, I'm like, you've no idea. My fucking face is absolutely soaked with tears. I'm not. I don't think I've ever laughed as much ever. So, like, um, yeah. Uh, so, I, I so I stopped watching the film just before this point, 
um, on the first night. Second night, my mum's still here. And uh, it suddenly dawned on me, do you know what? I could just watch it on my laptop in the kitchen with my headphones on. Uh-huh. I let my mother watch fucking casualty or whatever it is that she likes to watch on a Saturday night. That'll keep her out my way. I've only got 20, 25 minutes left to go. Mm-hmm. I'll just go and watch it. Thing. So I came into my kitchen, put all the lights off, and my kitchen was pitch black. So I'm watching it on the laptop, so the screen's about, I don't know, 18 inches from my face or something like that. But I was wearing headphones, which I hadn't been for the entire first viewing because with Shudder you can throw a Chromecast so I could watch it on my TV. Yeah. So um, this last 25 minutes I listened to with headphones on mm-hmm. and it added a whole new dimension that has to be said. The, um, the bit with the frying pan shot myself. <laughs> it just comes out of nowhere and then there's a cross between a kind of bell bong and a thud. <laughs> Just give me the frick of my life. I'll talk about the headphones again shortly, but I was just to put you in the picture of what was happening when I was viewing this. Um, Heidi's upstairs. She basically hears them beat him to death with this frying pan. And and something's going fucking mental in room five. Uh, the Manson dude turns up at Heidi's. The sisters intercept him on the stairs, but he goes up anyway, knocks on the door. Heidi answers. She's all strung out to fuck. Um... The lead sister makes him go and wait outside kind of thing. Heidi must eventually come out, but you don't see it. And then the two of them go to meet Black DJ outside this Lord's gig that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, she kind of gets by them, gets in the door and locks them out. So this is now this Lord's gig thing that's happening. Um inside there, so the sisters, the landlady and her sisters, they're up on stage invoking Satan mm-hmm. basically uh, the original coven like from the 1600s appear um, and it becomes kind of apparent that they're going to sacrifice everybody in the theatre apart from Heidi I think because um, she's important in some kind of way um, and the music starts to play everybody strips off with wildly varying levels of eroticism it has to be said <laughs> um, Heidi's in the middle of the room some kind of demon pope thing turns up with a load of naked women in masks. Um, then that cuts to something else and basically it's the demon pope with like a couple of demon cardinals or demon priests. So they sit wanking off some dildos for a while. <laughs> which has no bearing on fucking anything. It's like watching the world's worst fucking ghost music video. <laughs> it's like if like Ramstein made a video for Ghost, this is exactly what it would have looked like at this point, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and it's interspersed with shots of Heidi riding a goat, which is not as erotic as it sounds. <laughs> um, but that did, did strike a humorous note with the Freemason in me. Oh. As said, um, and uh, she's also getting felt up by the little black metal guy out of Deathgasm. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he's there, but he is. <laughs> he's feeling up Sherry Moon Zombie. She's riding this goat. Um, it's all very surreal at this point. It's got to be said. Uh, 
the original coven then performs some kind of ceremony in Heidi, which mostly involves rubbing her tits. And at this point, I was kind of on board with invoking Satan. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> call me in, girl. Ta- tag me in, girls. Use a wrestling term. It's basically they rub Sherry Moon Zombie's tits for 10 minutes. Um, and she then appears to give birth to a lobster demon. Yep, lobster baby. Yep, that was weird. Um, back to the three sisters. They're delighted the lobster demon. Mm-hmm. Um, Heidi now is in some kind of ceremonial dress. Her eyes are all white like the chick at the exorcist. And she's standing atop a pile of dead women. But weirdly, it kind of feels like a prog rock video. Mm-hmm. Uh, the music being played at this point is kind of reminded me of the Wicker Man. Yep, like the yep. original Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we see Heidi playing We're Dug in a Park. And there's some credits at the end. Over the credits, we get a news report about the dead women being found in the theatre and how they were all descendants of the original inhabitants of Salem and that Heidi's basically missing. Um, and that that's how it ends. Uh, oh. <laughs> I see why folk don't like Lords of Salem. I, all joking aside, I didn't hate Lords of Salem. Mm-hmm. I thought it, it was a really, it was about two thirds of a really creepy occult movie. Yeah. It was badly let down by, I want to say the weird ending, but even more than that, that the stupid shite looking monster things. Mm. And I'm not just talking about the weird looking Satan bit, like the, the lobster demon and that, you know, there was just a few things that involved kind of visual effects and he went in this weird offbeat random route that coupled with the kind of surrealism of the ending I, I just feel it really let the film down badly I don't hate it mm-hmm. I think a lot of people really hate it because of the way well I'm assuming it's because of the way it ends um, I didn't I didn't hear it, but I do think that it it really ruined what I think could have been a pretty decent film. I think if he'd just gone dark as fuck at the end, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? It could really have been the tits, because it did scare me, this film, at points. Um, I mean, if this was old-fashioned Baz V horror and you were asking me that question, I, I would have to think long and hard about what answer I was going to give you, to be quite honest. All right. But the ending kind of fucks that in the ass a little bit, do you know what I mean? Um, it's a very, very different tone to the first two films. Um, and that ties in with what you were saying in that he, he was clearly pursuing a different kind of vision he wanted to try that out. Yeah. And it fits in with kind of what he's done with all of his films up to this point. Um, it scared me a lot more than the first couple Um very briefly, apparently said Haig was in it. I saw that in the credits. I didn't pick up on him in it at all. But. There's, there were so many people that were supposed to be in this movie that I think have been edited out. I think he cast quite a lot of them. I think the final edit... I have still to see the... I, I mean, Blockley bought me the Blu-ray. Um, right. Because Blockley's a fan. Um, right. 
or Lords of Salem, and I think it is the uncut version, and I've not watched it. Maybe Sid appears in that because he does appear in the credits. But the the one the one final thing I will say is that the the soundscape in this is actually very creepy. Yeah. Which I didn't notice until I had to watch the last twenty five minutes or so on headphones. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the part of the film where it just started to get a bit goofy, and the soundscape was unnerving me. Mm-hmm. So. God knows what it'd have been like if I'd actually watched the first kind of part of this movie with the headphones on. Yeah. I think it could have really hit me. I will give them there. Soundscape's actually very good in this film. Yeah, I think... Um, um. I th- like, I watched the... Because I knew you were watching the Shudder version. And like I say, I've got the Blu-ray there. I watched it on Shudder because I thought, I'm going to watch... I don't want to watch an uncut version and then Baz... I, it seems that yeah, Baz has skipped over a bit. Bits yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I watched the same version as you. And I watched it on my computer with my headphones. So completely different experience to how I watched it the first time I watched it, which was very much on a TV in the living room. A bowl of popcorn, Saturday night, with a wife. Let's watch a little Lords of Salem. Let's see how we get on with this bad boy. Um, I, I pretty much... Like, we are scarily on point here, me and you, for this movie, which I genuinely yeah. didn't think we would be at all. Um, the first two thirds of this movie, I think, are excellent. I, yeah. I genuinely think um, his kind of he's paying homage to to um, Polanski's Rosemary's Baby, uh, Kubrick's The Shining. It's all in there, you can see it. There's elements of The Wicker Man, which I'm glad you mentioned. Um, there's elements of you know proper old school witchcraft movies you know satanic movies are all in here I love the mix of black metal in it I think it actually really works um, yeah totally I think visually there's a couple of shots in this movie that are totally jaw dropping um, the scene of her standing in front of the red kind of neon crucifix I think it's an incredible shot and then you know the introduction of uh, essentially like a goat man in the background is kind of I think that is like really really well done I think the way he uses kind of the the static open wide shots which is very uh, Kubrickian I think is is perfect Um, that there are elements here of I think you've like there there are elements of kind of that that wave of 70s cinema which had these kind of psychedelic weird trippy kind of almost like I said it's almost like a fever dream um watching this movie are all through here um there are a couple things that were more obnoxious to me in the first part of the movie which I didn't really I've heard people complain about them before but I've never really I've laughed because I never really thought about it I, I really think the radio station is the most obnoxious radio station ever so like, see the sound effects every three minutes well sorry every three seconds like when they're interviewing that guy and it's yeah every time somebody says something he's got a sound effect for it yeah which to me just is I don't know I understand it's maybe to um, sensationalise what radios and maybe there are small time radio studios over there that have like a like a like a sim bit for everything you know, like a sim board with all the sims in the world but I just it was that bit was really obnoxious and I really struggled to get through when they were doing that interview which I think is a very funny scene anyway I don't think you need all those sound effects I think that guy you know sitting there going because we worships the goat you know all this stuff I think that's kind of funny and absurd without all that stuff so 
Yeah, that's that's a that's a small gripe. Um, Sherry Moon Zombie, I I think she's wildly inconsistent in this movie. I think some parts she's really 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 good. I think the bits where she's playing strung out on drugs, she's absolutely awful. Um, I I don't believe her performance at all. Yet when she's in the first half of the movie, I totally believe her. I actually think she's really good at it. Um, I think she's she's playing and having fun with the character. I also think she is smoking hot in this movie. Um, like you, the last third of this movie, this is what I, it's the most frustrating fucking thing with Rob Zombie. I see it it's like every single Rob Zombie movie suffers this problem, and it's tone. And he can't. It, it's like he has an inability to just let a movie stay in one tone and he has to fuck with it and he he ruins this movie for me I, I mean I, I don't hate it by any stretch of the imagination I don't love it either and the last the last 25 minutes of this movie are why it's just like let's show all these one shot things for shock purposes let's show like priest wank priest wank and dildos is one of the most ludicrous thing is more ludicrous than crab man fucking lobster fucking Satan it's more ludicrous because it, it, like you mentioned it means nothing in the scope of this movie yeah I mean you can pass off shite Satan because they didn't have an effects budget right You there's no like I'll tell you what you do you don't buy the dildos you invest a bit more money in the prosthetic suit for Satan yeah I, I'd actually rather seen like the, the fucking red Satan murderer face scream queens yeah <laughs> turn up at, on the top of that fucking mound thing than that wee goblin thing that turns up it's it's I don't know what it's. I don't know what his thought or rationale behind it is at all. Um, the thing is, you have a like a like a a dark shadow-like creature with kind of furry trousers and cloven hoofs walking about in this movie and other scenes. Just use that. Yeah, absolutely. Just use that. That's your Satan right there. I believe that's Satan. We don't. You don't even need to see to see him. Just put him in shadows. Um, the movie tries to emulate a lot of Rosemary's Baby. It does try out that you mentioned the Exorcist and you're spot on. Even though it is homage with that that line, there's a lot of Exorcist in here. There is a lot of you know freaking. Once again, that is that decade of cinema that he's emulating here in those kind of more serious sort of horror movies, which is why I don't understand the ending. Like. The Shining doesn't have a ludicrous ending. Rosemary's Baby doesn't have a ludicrous ending. The Exorcist doesn't have a ludic- ludicrous ending. Why does Lords of Salem? If that's if that's the style you're trying to emulate, exp- and it's not even that I dislike the ending. I have you've you've we spoke about movies before that have these abstract endings that aren't tied in a, a, a bow, and it's you know what could it mean, and it's all artistic. And I love that shit. That's my fuel. You know what I mean? That's what I, I that that's my diet in horror movies. I love shit like that where it is completely abstract, and you have to try and put your interpretation of the ending on here. I couldn't give a fuck by the end of this movie because I have not a clue what the previous fifteen minutes were about at all. It, mm. it just he loses his shit. He, he creates a Rob Zombie black metal music video at the end of this movie. It's 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 almost tantamount to obnoxious. Like just the way he does it. I, I think it is to go from proving that you are you have the chops to make a really really interesting, well, I think relevant movie because Lords of Salem came out before all this big push for witch movies, which started 
kind of happening. We're still in the kind of demonic possession, devil, witch movie thing, which is still kind of a trend right now in horror movies. Lords of Salem was on the cutting edge of that. It was coming out before there was really a big push for them. Mm -hmm. So you had the opportunity to really set the tone and really go for it and two-thirds of your movie do it on a level which I think is more than admirable. You know, it really kind of, to me, it silenced, it silenced a lot of the criticisms I had about him as a director. And then that, that last 25 minutes kicks in and everything, everything that I've... It's like, it's like my feelings with Green Inferno. It's exactly... I mean, this movie parallels Green Inferno quite a bit in that there is a huge chunk of this movie where I'm like that, you are making me eat my words, Rob Zombie. Just yeah. like Eli Roth did with, and then you get that one scene, <laughs> the munchies <laughs> scene, and then after that, your movie falls apart. Yeah. And that's Lords of Salem to me. Although I enjoy Lords of Salem a lot more than I enjoy Green Inferno. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a movie that just colossally shits the bed. It takes a massive steaming dump right in the mattress and then smears it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so frust- it's so frustrating. And I actually thought you were going to hate this movie because you've talked about movies that have a specific visual style in the past where you've been like, nah. <laughs> nah, fuck you. Um, but you did really enjoy The Shining, so that makes sense. And I've, I've got it in my head that when we finally watch Rosemary's Baby, you're going to really dig that movie. Yeah. Um, I've got that. I've got that in my head. Yeah, is, is it, isn't it just a wee bit frustrating, Buzz? It is. It absolutely is. Um, it's like you say. You can see him almost touching genius. Yeah. And then he fucking blurts his load across your fucking <laughs> chest. And you're like, what the fuck, mate? What? What? Why? Yeah. You know what I mean? As as yeah. And and like I said, so he he went. He left horror no longer doing horror movies and the horror community was like we're kind of alright with that Rob um, and he went away and he went to make this hockey movie which was and I don't think it ever really got off the ground I don't think he could I think ultimately what he said was he couldn't fund it he couldn't get funding for it at all no matter how hard he tried he could not get funding for it and then, and this is a direct Rob... They've done it with the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, but... The... <laughs> so you just invoked a flying V. Is that what you're telling me? Yep. Estevez involved. He's not doing anything <laughs> these days. He could have been there. Um, he is still alive. Emilio Estevez is still alive, isn't he? I would assume so. Yeah, I didn't. I can't I can't remember him dying, so... We're just going to see he is. Maybe he's just nah, retired. Surely, Christ, he'll outlive fucking Charlie. You know what I mean? No, fate is a cruel, cruel mistress. You know for a fact that like Charlie will outlive everyone. Yeah, that's um, true. Actually, well, this is what happens. Uh, some people just are, are built from a material that will not die, and I think it's he is he is basically he is the junkie Wolverine. You know what I mean? Charlie and Lemmy. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, he's gonna he he'll live to Lemmy's age as well. I think that's I think that's the thing. Um, so yeah, I I think. He, he, he couldn't. He struggled. He could not get this hockey movie off the ground. And an exact quote from Rob Zombie: He apparently sat down, and within five minutes, he'd written thirty-one, which is the last movie we're going to do. In five minutes, he wrote the movie in five minutes, and he said, right, "You're you're slanting my view." In no, this no, film. no, not at all, not at all, because this is this is information that was out before the movie came out. He said, "All right, okay." Yep, he said this. He, and this is a direct quote from Rob Zombie, and I'm not saying that as you know an afterthought. Rob Zombie said he wrote 31. He was sitting 
on the on a plane or waiting to, waiting to enter the plane or whatever, and he had a, an epiphany hit him, and he was he was sitting there and he had the idea, he had basically the the full story for thirty one mapped out in five minutes, and he said, and I quote. I bet you it's easier for me to get 31 made than my hockey movie. He pitched it, and that was it. The rest is history. 31 Fair million. play, but it does sound slightly like how they fucking wrote Aki Breaky Harp. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I wrote it in five minutes. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> and you will see what Rob Zombie's return to the horror genre brought. I mean, it was one that it came out last year, and it is one that has... What, even more so than Lords of Salem has polarised horror fans this one was like this one is coming up and you know this as well because we've spoken about this this was my least favourite movie that I saw last year just because I didn't like it um, and I think I'm going to go on record I think you're going to dig it I think this is going to be another way these ones where we meet so in sync on Lords of Salem <laughs> that we're going to go to this final movie and it's going to be a Friday the 13th remake. <laughs> I'd almost I'd almost put money on it and the listeners are going to have to wait and see. They're going to have to wait and see, but not that long. Not as long as me and Baz because we're going to take a break now before recording that fucking episode. But the listeners get it in real time, motherfuckers, real time. So you're going to hear some promos for shows that I love. By the way, your grade for that, that movie review is a motherfucking plus. Kapow! Every day of the week, Buzz, you talk to me about lots of Salem. Every day of the week. Yeah, but we're going to take another break. It's the it's the final break of these movie reviews, thank God. One more movie to go. Promos for shows that we love. The trailer for the final movie on this, Buzz v. Rob Zombie. It's 31 from 2016. Myself and the Buzz are coming back to discuss that movie right after this. As you know, the Doomsday Clock is a symbolic clock face analogizing humankind's proximity to extinction. Start the clock. The end is coming, and so is this podcast, which versus the Doomsday Clock. Rants, reviews, and opinions in 15 minutes, or your money back. Do you desire to add yet another entry in the endless legion of film review podcasts to your playlist? Can you not stand the thought of having any moment of your dull, pointless, waking life intruded upon with the sounds from the real world, and would prefer to listen to a small cast of assholes talk about movies? Then, they must be destroyed on sight! Probably meets your bare minimum requirements. Join Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest hosts as they talk about films from every genre, ranging from the obscure and schlocky to the well-known top dollar classics. Look for... They must be destroyed on sight! On iTunes, Podbean, YouTube, and Facebook. That's... They must be destroyed on sight! Tonight, we are going to play 31. Is it hunting time now? You want to see something 
I should apologize in advance for not sharpening this thing. <laughs> Welcome back. So, all roads have led to here. This is the very last movie review of this Baz v. Rob Zombie. This is his end of year assessment. And it's time at Horror High. Oh, the Baz has been through the ringer. He's been looking at the movies of Rob Zombie. And thus far, you've heard his reviews of House of a Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects, The Haunting World of El Super Bisto. And we just finished Laws of Sale, which means there is only one movie left, Baz. One poor little movie. There is indeed only one. There can be only one. If only this movie was. I was. Island. I was just about to say, and if only we were watching that one. <laughs> so this is this is the final movie. In fact, this is this movie is like very recent, as in only came out about Halloween last year. Um, I think it came out like slightly earlier in America, but we got it about Halloween last year. Um, this is Rob Zombies. 31. Now, Baz, as you remember from the previous review, what I said to you was, there was a bit of a story behind this one. Uh, yep. Rob made his Lords of Salem, said, I am done with horror. Horror yep. has been good to me, but I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. I can yep. make movies and I will make this movie for you and it'll be a bit ice hockey. Yep, it will be Mighty Ducks 3. <laughs> Mighty Ducks 3. And um, it, it, nothing happened for a long time like good year nothing happened uh, he's trying to pin Emilio Estevez doing these days Duncan it's no easy mate he's the he's, he's the fucking shadow <laughs> so he's just kind of, it's like he's not like not like his stepbrother who is anything but a shadow well he's, he's kind of fading away to a shadow he's so. a shattered wreck of a man <laughs> so <laughs> um he was then linked to like a really interesting project with uh, Brett Easton Ellis, the guy that wrote American Psycho. Mm-hmm. And him and Rob Zombie were apparently going to be doing a TV show about Charles Manson. And it's not that Zodiac thing? No, no, it's not that Zodiac. It's not Zodiac, sorry, no, Aquarius. Aquarius. It's not Aquarius. Uh, you know, it's, although Aquarius did come out, which was weird because it was about the same time as Aquarius had been announced, um, and I don't know if it was a case of there was too much attention on Charles Manson, so that got the kibosh, but it went nowhere. Never happened. Um, and I, the- I bet, I bet, I know who he'd have got to play that wee bird that's trying to marry Charlie Manson. <laughs> I wonder who. Yeah, I know who could that possibly. Mm. I mean, you'd be dying your hair this time, Ben. <laughs> but um, so, so basically, <laughs> basically, what happened was uh, he, he announced about this time that he had written another horror script. Details came out later on, but he'd written another horror script, and it was likely that would be his next project, and it would be insane. And the concept was just thirty-one, and then we got a poster, and it had clowns. Uh, with different weapons and just 31 and we were like this looks quite interesting Um, and then more details came out basically Rob himself said and once again I said it in the previous review but I want to stress this and this is not me taking a cheap pot shot at Rob Zombie Rob Zombie did state that it took him five minutes to write this movie and he was like it was just an idea he had sitting in the airport somewhere you know he was like to himself I bet you I could get this financed easier than the movie that I'm really struggling to make with ice hockey, and guess what? That's what happened. 
financed really quick, but it wasn't really. Um, it was only partly financed, and then this man did a crowdfunding scheme, which went tits up, uh, kind of. Um, and Rob Zombie did a crowdfunding scheme yeah. for 31. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't even get me started on that. Don't even get okay. me started. Multi-millionaire does crowdfunding scheme to make movie that he wants to make, right? Don't get me started yeah, on that. Yeah, fair point. Don't get me started on that, Buzz. But anyway... <laughs> um, Seems like you want me to start, you Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, don't, because this show's already five hours long. Um, and we could be here for another hour and a half. Um, I just, I was like... I, my eyes rolled in the back of my head on this one and there was all sorts of manner of different perks and all the rest and then there was an issue to do with whoever he chose to do his crowdfunding scheme I believe it was all resolved and I think everyone that pledged got something which is good because that's the way that system should work but there was no indication of because Rob himself said he put money in there's no indication of exactly how much money Rob did put in uh, he never really said there was no real target for the money he wanted to make either Um so we don't know how much. <laughs> just please, please give me all your money. Pretty much. So I don't, I don't know how much. Well, I don't. I, to the best of my knowledge, I've not went searching recently. There's no indication of how much money he made off the crowd uh, funding scheme, how much the movie actually cost to make, and how much money he put in either. But uh, at the end of that all, thirty-one was made. Uh, then it took a bit of time to come out, and I will just say this last thing before we break into some details. Um, this movie pissed me off. Now, not the movie itself, but Rob Zombie told everyone, check this out day one. Get out there and fucking get digital downloads, all the rest. Check, this is where it's going to be. Go out to the cinema, check it out, blah, 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 blah. The movie came out and people were like, Rob, this was supposed to be a hyper-violent film with blood everywhere and all the rest. And Rob Zombie's answer was, well, the uncut version is, and that comes out in Blu-ray soon, so you should buy that. No. That's where I draw the fucking line in the sand. If you're releasing an inferior product or not your yeah. vision, you don't tell people to fucking spend their hard-earned money after some people had already pledged money into these fucking campaigns to go and see this movie if your excuse when they don't like it is the uncut version's better. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, fair play. I mean, I, I'm a great believer in that most of these directors cut versions, uncut versions that come out are generally worse than the, the you know the original release part because it tends to be fucking scenes that were cut for a reason. We've talked about it yeah. umpteen times. Now, there are exceptions to that, and I accept that, and we've talked about it uh, various times previously. In fact, I think it was Halloween 2, his second remake, not quite guilty of that. Yeah, the first one had, uh, I think we said the first one had about 10 minutes extra, but the the second movie, his version of it is completely different. It's cut in a completely different way. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there are exceptions, but yeah, you shouldn't be setting out to do that. It, particularly off the back of what you're saying about maybe kind of inappropriate crowdfunding Yeah. Like strategies, if you like, and things like that. Yeah. As you say, you know, you've got something like uh, Tex Montana, mm. made by a guy whose previous film cost eight hundred dollars. He's made the film already. He just can't get it fucking released. Could just all chip in, and I'll give away for nothing. That's crowdfunding. Exactly. Do you know? What I mean, I just want some money to make my next film. If you give me enough, I'm going to release this. You can download it. You can do whatever you want with it. Um, you know, that's crowdfunding. You know, indie filmmakers, indie musicians, you know what I mean? Not fucking Rob Zombie. No. 
no, you know the, man's, I mean? the man's the man is a millionaire, and that's that's no understatement. The man is a millionaire. Um, yeah, yeah. He's he's very well off, and I'm not saying that's. I I don't want people to like if John Carpenter tomorrow said I'm doing a crowdfunding for my next movie, I would chip money into it. And I know John Carpenter doesn't need the money. I would fucking chip money into it because I'd want to see, I'd want to see John Carpenter put something out. Rob Zombie's one raised a dubious high from me, and then everything, the levels of dubiety that went through that whole process, did nothing to quell my suspicions that maybe he was at something. And like I say, maybe there is no evidence anywhere that I've ever seen to say that he acted inappropriately or anything was not um, above board. Um, but the way the whole thing was handled was very, 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 very sketchy. And and then the movie came out, and like I say, this one was another one of these ones, Baz, like, mm-hmm. uh, that I had a very strong reaction to, like Green Inferno and <laughs> fucking Tusk, that people like were like, yes, Duncan, we're totally with you, or no, Duncan, you're totally fucking wrong. This is a blast to watch. Um... I, I wasn't as lonely out on the on a limb, uh, like I was with Green Inferno, because there's a lot of people that like that movie, and I just don't fucking like it. Um, but Thirty One has a lot of people who got the enjoyment out. And like I said before, I don't want to be in a position where a movie comes out and it doesn't find an audience. I think every movie has its audience, and that's great. Um, but to me, there are so many. So many glaring holes in this uh, this uh, particular feature, uh, and so many things which I just don't think are done well, or even show remotely a spark to what the filmmaker did in his previous outing or previous outings. Um, and with that in mind, I'm going to shut the fuck up because people are like, "Wait a second, Duncan, this is all good hearing this from you." And we've heard you talk about it on other shows, but we've not heard the Baz talk about it. And this is Baz's show, so shut your fucking trap. So with that in mind, I will shut my fucking trap after I go through some. Some of the Rob Zombie stuff. So this is written and directed by Rob Zombie. The movie stars. Wait for it, wait for it. Who could it star? <laughs> Female lead, Baz. Mm. Mm. I'm, 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 I'm getting a name. It's three words. Sherry Moon Zombie. That's right. Uh, this has got Jeff. Or as I like to know her, Shows Your Fanny. Jeff Daniel Phillips, who he's carried over from the previous film uh, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs Meg Foster Kevin Jackson Malcolm McDowell uh, has the, see some of the names of some of these characters Father Murder Jesus Christ right really Rob Zombie uh, Jane Carson this one Judy Gleason, Richard Brake Pancho Moller David Uri Lou Temple Thorsten Vogues Thorsten Vogues oh, whatever Elizabeth Daly other folk Synopsis for this one is five carnival workers are kidnapped and held hostage in an abandoned hell-like compound where they're forced to participate in a violent game, the goal of which is to survive 12 hours against a gang of sadistic clowns. Now, Baz, I read that synopsis and I get rigid. Yeah. I'm like, oh, do your dirty stuff to me, Rob Zombie, you sexy bastard. Um, (laughs) Actually, can't wait to see that movie. Um... You sat down to watch that movie. Uh, it may or may not be like that synopsis. Uh, please, 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 for the last time of this uh, end of year assessment for Baz V Horror, I'll let the people out there know what you made of Rob Zombie's 31. Alright then, I will. <laughs> um, yeah, first of all, that that uh, 
the synopsis there is bang on. That's exactly what this film is about. There's nothing else. There's no subplots. There's no side text. There's fuck all. It's exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, I apologise in advance. This has been a long show. It's been a long slog getting through these films. My language and my notes for this film is atrocious. <laughs> I will put my hands up. I'm not in the best of moods now. My uh, green ginger wine has run out. Oh, fuck. Um, just about five minutes ago. <laughs> um, on top of that, I'm going. To, there's a confession coming. I watched this on uh, the UK Shudder. Nice. Um, and uh, it's a, a Shudder exclusive over here. Now, hats off to them. You know, it's a fairly big name to pull in for an exclusive, I've got to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you say, it didn't come out that long ago, and there's quite a lot of Rob Zombie stuff's on Shudder over here. So I watched it there. There's all sorts of making of documentaries and bits and bobs kicking about in Shudder for this movie as well. I have not watched any of them. I probably never will. Um, in my notes here, it starts off 31. Opens with a Kafka quote. Mm. Pretentious cunt. <laughs> right? That's word for word, my notes. <laughs> Fucking Kafka. Get to fuck, Rob. <laughs> I'd have had mere fucking respect for you if you'd quoted Paul Stanley or something at the start of this film. Do you know what I mean? One of those weird videos that the kiss made in the 80s. Anyway... The film itself opens with a very kind of arty black and white scene, mm-hmm. which I have described here uh, as being of a face-painted cunt talking to the camera. Did you recognise this guy? No. Right, you've done an impression. It's one of my favourite impressions you've ever done of anyone on this show. <laughs> uh, yeah, you did an impression of this guy um, when we covered... Um, what was it? It was Halloween 2? I think this this uh, this is one of the paramedics. This is the one that has Tourette's. Remember, fuck, 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 Oh, God, fuck, right! Fuck. <laughs> or as oh, you said, he was like... Was you, your impression was, fuck, 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 fuck. Yeah, I remember him now, actually. I would never have realised that was the same guy, in fairness. It is indeed. Um, yeah, so basically, opens with him. He's got his face kind of painted. You know, like, kind of clown kind of grease paint type idea but it's all cracked and coming off and all that he's talking to the camera he introduces himself as Doomhead mm-hmm. it's not the greatest name but it, become, it becomes part of a kind of theme through this film shall we say turns out though he's actually talking to a priest who's tied to a chair he then kills him with an axe this comes back in there later on at one point now I will say it's, it's that whole kind of Tarantino heavy dialogue kind of type scene. Yeah. It's actually all right for an opening scene. Mm-hmm. It kind of grabs you. He's a very striking character. The dialogue's pretty punchy, I've got to say. Yep. Um, and then the bits where you do see the priest, the priest is clearly shitting himself. He's not having the best of days. Um, yeah, I, I didn't actually mind that opening scene. I, I thought it went quite well. Then we're into the opening credits. There's more fucking Southern Rock. I don't know if Skinner or somebody. It's very reminiscent at that point, like the Devil's Rejects. Um, lo and behold, Mad Malky McDee's in this movie. Mm-hmm. His name comes up in the credits. That gave me a kind of minor boner. <laughs> it's set in 1976 and appears to be set in a travelling carnival. A minor right. bo- What's that minor boner? Surely it's upper down. 
No, it's like a kind of... Semi? Semi, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> chubby, but maybe not full-on chubby. <laughs> nah. A partial chubby. Yeah, it's a slightly pulsating chubescence to it, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not, not achieved full girth or length yet, by any means, do you know what I mean? There's no pre-cum yeah. by this point. <laughs> Just a dick twitch. Yeah, basically, yeah, a warm sensation. Um, I'm over-egging it. I'm over-egging it, because uh, I've gone right off Malky McDee since this movie, but anyway. <laughs> we'll get around to that. Um, and then there's the opening scene where you're introduced to the kind of the, the gang, for want of a better term. Um, there are so many of them, right? So I, I didn't approach this movie in the best of moods. <laughs> Sorry, actually, the one thing I was in the middle of telling you something earlier on, then when I was saying it was in Shudder, it's actually taken me four different viewing sessions to get through this film. Um, partially down to as I've explained earlier on, I'm a bit tired at the moment due to my son. Um, partially due to the fact that one of the nights when I was trying to watch it in Shudder, my wife and my daughter were watching stuff on Netflix in the other room. My broadband can't really cope with two streaming services running parallel, so it's stuttering a bit, so I kind of gave up. And then the other night, I was just really losing interest, it's got to be said. So it's taken me quite a wee while to get through this. But I want... I- <laughs> I approached it with a belligerent attitude, and for some reason, pretty much as soon as that black and white opening scene was over, where I started to get annoyed. So I've basically just written a list of names that I'm going to refer to these people as. I made no attempt to find out what their real names are. <laughs> we have Sherry Moon, that should be fairly obvious. Mm-hmm. Fat Driver. <laughs> Rasta Guy. Old Dead Lady. Sideburns, Bimbo, Black Shagger, and Hefty Black Bitch. <laughs> now, I know a lot of that's quite racist, a lot of it's very sexist. I don't care. I'm five films into this. For your fucking listening pleasure, cut me some fucking slack. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Oh, it's early doors for that, McLeish. They pull in. There is quite an amusing bit where Cyburns bursts into the room, basically, and uh, they're kind of all arguing about their show. They're a travelling carnival. They're all arguing about the show. Although I say travelling carnival, it would appear that the women are basically just prostitutes. Um... Sideburn goes into the back room of the wee van thing to try and get something. Black Shaggers in there, giving it fucking plenty to hefty black bitch. Um, who makes no boys? She is nae fucking qualms about Sideburns walking in and putting a monkey mask on. You know what I mean, there are real racial undertones there. Do you know what I mean? Um, they then pull into. A gas station. Lucky Leo's gas station, it's called. Uh-huh. Um, Leo is an objectionable old man. He's been in lots of things as well, the wee guy that plays Leo. Mm-hmm. He's in Sons of Anarchy and all these different... He's certainly he's very recognisable. He never has a main part, but he's very recognisable, the guy that plays Leo. Um, Sherry Flutzman, I've got to say, 
Sherry Moon Zombie is smoking in this film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely smoking. I thought she was showing her age a little bit in Lords of Salem, but still a very fine-looking woman. She appears to have turned back time in this film. <laughs> um, although I did amusingly, I noticed a thing in Shudder, actually, before you fully expand the screen on Shudder, um, the film kind of appears in the middle, and you can see comments at the bottom, and somebody says... The, the only thing that interested me in this film was how Sherry Moon Zombie's hair stayed in that blonde ramen noodle-like state the whole way through. <laughs> Her hair is super curly, it has to be said. Anyway, she's looking super fine in this movie. Mm-hmm. She starts flirting with the toothless hick that is Leo. Now, <laughs> hats off to Leo. Right, he is the eternal optimist. Because, I mean, she's laying it on fairly thick, but you've got to look at her, right, and then just take a wee glimpse at yourself in the window there, Leo. <laughs> Chances are she's not being serious here. Mm. She's maybe just playing me like a cat, playing me a little ball of wool. <laughs> right. So, that, that's right over the bold Leo's head. He's straight up to this. He says, listen, love... <laughs> I've got a mattress out the back there and two bottles of moonshine. You know what I mean? <coughs> he calls it gut warmer. But he's basically just said to her, listen, I have a manky old mattress lying in the dirt out the back of my garage if you would like to go and make sweet, sweet love to me through there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Leo, man, fuck off, Leo, man. She's not been serious, mate. <laughs> Honestly, you've got more chance of shagging me, Leo, than you have of shagging her. Stop your demented pish. Right. A blonde chick appears, who is familiar. I believe she was in one of the other films, maybe The Devil's Rejects. Eh, possibly. She comes on to sideburns. I wasn't sure if it was the woman that played Mama Firefly in the second in The Devil's Rejects. Eh, no, she's not in this movie, so I don't think anyway. I'm saying that. I'm sure blonde girl, who appears later on in the film as well, but I'm sure this blonde chick that comes in and starts flirting with sideburns. Um, I'm sure she's been in one of the films I've just recently watched. Um, hey. and she, you Google it while I keep talking. Like, <laughs> she can put on its side bombs. Oh, Gingerlin, Gingerlin. What? The, the the actress's name is Gingerlin, and she was in The Devil's Rejects. Hmm. What is she playing? The Devil's Rejects. Uh, with a character called Fanny. <laughs> It's don't like I led you into that, and it? Don't, don't say anything. Okay, Americans will not get it anyway. <laughs> um, right. So, so that's the end. So they, they fuck off. Leo doesn't get his hole, and they all just leave. Um, they're driving through the night. They then have to stop because of kind of scarecrow effigies in the road, which is very like uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, it's got to be said. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, you know, they get out to clear it. Lo and behold, they get atta- attacked by these guys in striped tops and face paint. A few of them get killed. Now, I'm pretty sure Fat Driver and Bimbo and Hefty Black Bitch all get killed at that point. Mm-hmm. Some of them may have survived. I can't really remember. But anyway, but there's a few of them get killed. But the kind of core team survive, if you like. Yeah, they come round. They're chained up in this kind of... It's like a cross between a kind of gothic church and a theatre. There's the old bold Malky McDee, dressed like 
some kind of fucking Parisian dandy <laughs> who ended up on the fucking guillotine during the French Revolution. <laughs> it's a baffling visual. And there's a couple of old ladies dressed like a very old Marie Antoinette. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to come back to this because it's one of the things that really irritated me about this film, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> some alchemy D's dressed up to the fucking nines like a fucking Parisian dandy. This is Father um, Murder, Baz. Father Murder. He also has a shit name. Yeah, and I, he's, he's... I am not taking in any names in this apart from the kill of clowns. Oh, it gets better. Uh, he's... His female sidekits are Sister Serpent and Sister Dragon. They can get fucked. Right. <laughs> he basically tells them they're all here to play 31. To the best of my knowledge, at no point in this film is the reason for 31 explained. Like, why is it called 31? Oh, I think it's because it's on Halloween. Right. That's shite. It can fuck off as well. <laughs> the two old ladies can fuck off. <laughs> The name of this film can fuck off. <laughs> Basically, the way to play 31 is you just need to survive 12 hours in this fucking industrial complex thing that they're playing this game in. Odds are given in them all. Mm-hmm. They're, all they're all given numbers. Can't remember who was who. It makes no odds to anything. They're then introduced to Sickhead. Right? Sickhead is the only minorly amusing thing in this. (laughs) He is a slightly effeminate Hispanic dwarf who's dressed as Hitler. (laughs) Hold on to that because it's pretty much downhill for you. (laughs) Basically, tiny gay Spanish Hitler's job now is to kill them all. And he is fucking convinced he's going to kill them all. He's, I mean, he has every faith in his fucking bitch killing abilities. Seems a little bit overconfident, I have to say. Mm-hmm. And this is, I'm sorry, this is terribly prejudiced against small people, but yeah, I just wanted somebody just to do that thing where you put your hand on his forehead <laughs> and hold him at arm's length while he's swinging <laughs> at you. That would have been real. It, it is less effective when he's got a massive swastika painted in his chest, do you know? I mean, he carries a level of malice that that joke doesn't normally acquire, but... Anyway, yeah, so that's sick head. They all then kind of come round separately in this old factory. Um, my notes are sketchy as fuck in this film, I don't even care. <laughs> Sideburns and Rasta guy seem to team up. It's a bit like... It's a bit like a really shite industrial Hunger Games <laughs> with clowns and the Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> you have Sherry Moon shows your fanny, so it, you know it swings and roundabout. Um, they find the sideburns and Rasta guy find a room. It's got a Nazi shrine in it, mm-hmm. plus a head girl apparently. I can't even remember that. It's just in my notes. Black Shagger is the first one to face off against Sickhead. Sadly, there's a metal gate between them, though. Sherry, she's hiding in the toilet from train spotting. <laughs> uh, with a baseball bat. Uh, 
Sickhead turns up, but so does Black Shagger. Sickhead stabs. Sherry lures him away, but he locks her out, goes back, finishes off Black Shagger. Mm-hmm. He then goes after Sherry, but the old dead-looking lady, she takes him, she's got a table leg with a nail in it. So she takes me sick head out, but he's, he's not dead. I mean, in fairness to him, he's tiny and he's a Nazi, but he can <laughs> take a beating like a good one. You know what I mean? Because um, he doesn't die, but Sherry loses her shit. She stabs him to fuck at this point and then finishes him off with a bat. I would have liked to have seen her put the bat up his tiny little anus <laughs> and then leave him about on the end of it. That would be quite good. That's the film you should made, Rob Zombie. Yeah, tight-ass, skin-flint bastard. <laughs> um, put that imagery in your because it's not in this film. It'd be a lot better if I had it, but it's no. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, turns out old Black Shagger's not dead yet. The whole gang's back together, and then he dies in Vasta's arms. Mm. Malky, McD, and these other Napoleonic-looking fuckers are there discussing the kills. And then goes all kind of slow-mo and arty. We've got Malky boy narrating over the top. The gang find a table set for dinner. Uh, Big Rasta dives straight in there. He's not hanging about. It has to be said, his Jamaican patois is honking. Borders on racist, but he's he's black, so as a, you can't really accuse him of being a racist, I suppose. He's certainly very anti-Jamaican. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's an appalling part to uh, They all then decide to start eating, I think, apart from the lady folk. Um, Sherry wants to get better weapons. There's then talk about a church party they went missing, which ties back to the, the, minister, the priest guy we saw getting killed at the start. Mm-hmm. Sherry suddenly tells him, to, tells him to stop eating, pushes back the table, which turns out to be glass, and lo and behold, old Shagger's underneath there with his flesh stripped off him. They're eating Shagger. Oh, no. Uh, which is unfortunate. Um, <laughs> and it, it could have been quite a good scene, apart from these numerous reasons that it's shite, right? <laughs> One, it was so telegraphed, a child could have seen it coming. <laughs> Two, you're eating on the table. Now, I know you've pushed stuff out the way, Sherry, but did nobody just catch a glimpse of, like, a naked organ underneath it or something, you know what I mean? And three, did he not just die about five minutes ago? You know what I mean? You've then walked into this room with table in it. Somehow somebody managed to get his dead body out, past you, into that thing and get him all filleted up. Get to fuck Rob Zombie. <laughs> get to fuck. Malky reads out the new odds. I was trying to keep track of what the odds were doing. It doesn't mean anything. It's a complete waste of time. Don't do it, folks. <laughs> Two new killer clowns turn up. Psychohead and Schizohead. Yep. I've got to say, I did take note of all these names. The head thing is a, a theme. Uh, see, when you think about it, 
you know, you, you made a joke about writing this in five minutes, Rob Zombie. Yeah, you did. You did. You know, I mean, this is the best psychohead and schizohead. Child wrote it. They've got chainsaws. That's about as fucking interesting as things get. <laughs> they introduce themselves. There's quite an amusing bit where they, they basically go on and say, oh, we're going to fuck all your holes. And they rhyme off the holes that they're going to fuck. And then they run off, which is kind of weird, but okay. Uh, old dead looking lady wants to hide. Sherry, she's going all fucking Rambo on them. She wants to hunt these clowns down and kill them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go into another room. There's a sex doll on the floor. But lo and behold, there's somebody inside it. It's a woman called Georgina. The old dead looking lady wants to free her. The rest are all a bit scared in case it's some kind of trap. They hear the clowns coming. Sideburns thinks this woman has alerted them in some kind of way. But the old lady starts releasing her. And then there's something to do with wires and skin. And I've watched it about three times. Are the wires through her skin holding her down or something like that? I thought that's my interpretation. Yeah, it's not actually very clear. It's got to be said, you know, I mean, it could just be a very bad Halloween costume. Um, Some jail bars come crashing down, kind of separating them all. Clowns attack them. Yeah, they, they manage to kill the clowns. There's, they're not in it very long. No. Um, I have to say, one of them gets decapitated in front of Sherry Moon Zombie, and she is completely unperturbed by this. Now, you know, if you're taking this in context and not the mere five minute ramblings of an idiot, then, you know, Alright, you're a circus hooker, Sherry. I'm sure you've seen some bad shit in your time. Mm-hmm. But probably just stuff like genital warts and that. Oh. You've probably not seen too many decapitations <laughs> right in front of you that splatters doing you. But no, she, she takes it all in her stride, it has to be said. Um, sideburns is pretty badly hurt. A lot of the dialogue and the one-liners in this film are utter shite. That's directly out my notes. I can't remember why I wrote that down, but at this point I felt the need to write that. <laughs> Considering that the opening dialogue with Doomhead was kind of alright, it was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Once you're out of the body of the film, it's dog shite. Um, two new protagonists turn up. Oh lordy, we're going to have some fun with this pair. <laughs> I've written here they're like Germanic rejects from the Rocky Horror Picture Show (laughs) or backup dancers from Ramstein (laughs) I think Ramstein got a mention shortly in my notes actually (laughs) Um, yeah basically one's a massive tall cross-dressing cunt Mm -hmm. and the other's a tiny little anime looking chick and it's the one from the gas station earlier on this ginger bird that you're talking about is her Oh no, that's Elizabeth Daly then. So now we've narrowed it down. That's Elizabeth Daly. Is it the one for the gas station earlier? Um, potentially. <laughs> I thought it was. Who's Elizabeth Daly then? Machine. Uh, I'm, currently, was... I'm currently checking right now for you, my friend. Yeah, I'll keep on trucking. I will find out this information for you, my friend. Um. It, regardless of who she is, she stabs sideburns quite badly. Mm-hmm. 
Cherry jumps in and saves him. And she takes the anime girl hostage. Big tall tranny, he badly injures Rasta. But gets killed by the old lady. Rasta dies. Sherry slits the anime's throat. Yeah, we're not going to have as much fun with them as I thought we were. <laughs> it's really just my first line there was quite amusing. <laughs> um, <laughs> she was in The Devil's Rejects. She played a character called Candy. Mm. I think that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, so that was who yeah, she anyway. was. Malky McDee and the world's worst French noble ladies, they're kind of unhappy about the way things are going. Basically, a lot of their clowns are now dead. So they decide to send in Doomhead, who we met earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, he's riding some bitch, but he stops to take the call because he's a professional. He is a professional, Baz, and that's something that I think Rob Zombie gets, you know, hits the nail right in the head there. Is professional people, regardless if they wear makeup or not, or if they're killers, professional people will take that call, Baz. They will take that call. I wouldn't have had to keep riding the bitch. <laughs> I don't want to go to answer phone. Um, he then takes off. We then see him kind of entering the arena, if you like. He gets all tooled up, psychs himself up, which is a bit mental looking. He is probably about the best thing in the film, but yeah. he's, he's not great. Yeah, you know I what I mean. With that, he's, so. he's not compared to characters like Captain Spaulding and Otis and all that. He's not that brilliant, mm-hmm. but he is about the best thing in this movie. Yeah. Um, Malky and his Parisian bitches—they're gambling. Doomhead catches up with the old lady, eviscerates her, and you get the kind of the attempt at this Tarantino-esque kind of dialogue again. It's all right. It's kind of, I just had it up and card got suit. Sideburns and Sherry find her crucified, which is kind of cool. Interestingly, it's, it's a kind of St. Andrew's crucifixion mm-hmm. on the salt tire, the kind of X-shaped rather than the Christian kind of cross. That struck a wee chord with me for about two fucking seconds. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, my, my Apple iPads uh, predictive text things cocked me up here. <laughs> what does it say? Uh, Read what it says. Doomhead Theo's them the doors. <laughs> I think what it is Doomhead tells them the doors to the outside are now open. <laughs> Sherry escapes through a kind of hatch but Sigburns can't fit. He, he makes her go though and he says I'll hold them off. Which she doesn't, because Doomhead basically kills him in about three seconds. Yeah, it wasn't the best idea. No, and I figured, come on, Rob, drag it out a wee bit, mate. Do you know what I mean? This film is lacking in substance enough as it is. At least make your kills a bit kind of epic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've just written here, it's been a long time since I've wanted a film to finish this badly. And I think what popped into my head at this point was this is Rob Zombie's August Underground. Oh, no, but don't say that. Sherry escapes through a tunnel to the outside. Um, she limps into an abandoned house that has a marionette show in it that I think is supposed to mean something. It totally got by me. Doomhead knocks her out. Starts to choke her but stops. Pulls out his wee switchblade, which is his weapon of choice at this point. Mm-hmm. There is a weird kind of Jack the R- Ripper soliloquy thing goes on yep. here. Eh... Uh, and then, but then time runs out, so she's to last the 12 hours, and just before he gets the chance to fucking knife fuck her, 
um, the clacks and things off or, or something and Malky McDee's like right, everybody stop killing cunts mm-hmm. uh, we then hear them saying oh you know we have a winner but he doesn't know what to do with her obviously you kind of don't just want to let her go well, no, no she it's, it's not the most legitimate quiz show that you're running here at this point you know no she might leave you a negative feedback on TripAdvisor exactly Exactly. No one wants that. Um, we then see the gamblers getting changed, you know, like the Malky McDean and his wee sidekicks getting changed into their normal clothes. Oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah, I'll come by in that in a minute. <laughs> Sherry's limping down a big long road. A car, a van thing pulls up. Doomhead gets out. They're playing, um, is it Dream On by... Um, Steven Tyler yeah Aerosmith yeah I quite like that song and it actually fits this scene very well mm-hmm. it's one of only about two good things in this movie um, she you know he, he kind of stalks up behind her she knows he's there she slowly turns and she clenches the fists and all that um, and he pulls out his wee knives and he kind of smiles maniacally at her and then it goes into an old kind of cine camera type film of the her and the other ones dancing about, like taken from earlier, and it finishes like that. It, it, considering what we've just watched, the ending is far from the worst thing about this film. Mm-hmm. The mean? opening bit with Doomhead is all right. I'd go as far to say it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. The, the ending is acceptable just off the back of the fact that it's better than everything else that went in between um this oh this film sucks man <laughs> yeah it's buzz I've, I've written I just I'm frantically taking some notes because I just wanted to finish man there's the film has no direction at all the, the pacing in it is awful you jump straight in to you know, we're in about 10 minutes they're in this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no build-up to it at all. And then it's basically just a straight linear story. We're going to kill them all one by one. She'll be the final girl. You know I mean? It, it, it's like all the kind of worst elements of an 80s slasher almost. But yeah. they've tried to work in kind of hostile-esque torture porn or some fucking thing. Um, there's minimal storyline. And this ties by what you're saying, you know, I wrote it in five minutes. Yep. I entirely believe that. It looks like you wrote it in five minutes, Rob. There's points that barely even make sense. I've written here, was it the victim of bad editing? You can talk about that more when you start to talk, Duncan, because I know you did say he's already said, oh, my, my edit's better or whatever. Yeah. Um, all the characters are completely one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. There's no character development at all of any of them, right? I know it's horror, but I like to think it's modern horror. It came out last year. Rob Zombie knows horror. He's made some good films mm-hmm. with, with some pretty decent characters in it, has got to be said. It's like he just fucking forgot about all of that. Um, I mean, I, I, you do not give a fuck about any of them. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You just want them all to die. You, know, you want there to be an accidental Fukushima-like <laughs> event that fucking just kills them all. <laughs> About 20 minutes into it. Um, right. Malky McDee and his Parisian hookers 
it's like they're trying to do a kind of 120 days of Sodom. Yep. Or like, what was the film? Was it Salo or Salo or oh, something? Salo, that's right, yeah. Uh-huh. Which I think was set in Italy in World War Two, but based on 120 days of Sodom. Yep. It's like they tried to do that, these kind of, you know, over-the-top characters that live for the hedonism of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But there's no explanation to any of it. Maybe that's the point, I don't know. But then why bother seeing them getting changed into their business suits? Yeah, we all know they don't actually live there and dress like that all the time. <laughs> we all figured out they've come here you know, to enjoy this thing once a year or whatever. Yeah. Shite. Just shite. Only good, well, one of the few good one of the few good things and this is how hot Sherry Moon Zombie is in this film I'm sorry mm-hmm. to keep going on about it and I know it makes me shallow but I was clutching at fucking straws at this point um, putting aside El Super Visto which was a fucking cartoon right this is just such a low point I even though I didn't even though I had my issues with Lords of Salem there was bits in Lords of Salem and what he was trying to do I think was really good it kind of failed towards the end. He kind of fucked that film in the ass. 31, you know, you could see the progression of his films. You can just tell he did not give any kind of fuck about this movie. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And the fact that he tried to crowdfund it, the fact that he makes a joke about writing it in five minutes is, is borderline insulting. Yeah. yeah. Have at it, Duncan. That, that's that, that was one of the things I took umbrage with the movie, pretty much, right away. I just realised you're like that. You've just like built me up like one of those like, like one of those wrestling managers. You know, you built me up all the way. And you're like, go for it. And and the first three like words I said umbrage, which deflates any build up, <laughs> any build up at all. Confound it. <laughs> Boulder Dash! <laughs> Boulder Dash. I love it. Poppycock. Um, yeah, I, like... <clears throat> like, I... I kind of... Right, if I'm honest, if I'm totally honest, I came into viewing the movie not exactly optimistic. And I I try where possible to always give the benefit of the doubt. There are certain filmmakers I struggle to give the benefit of the doubt with. But as we've said on this already... Almost every Rob Zombie movie that I've seen on upon first viewing, I actually really like. Um, I think there's elements, or he tries to do something where I'm like that. I appreciate and I understand what you're trying to do, even if you don't succeed at it. I like the fact that you, you went for it. A lot of filmmakers would not try and do it, and they would play it safe. My issue is that when I come back to watch another, you know, another viewing of it, that's when that's when the issues start kind of really showing themselves up um, and I start to find myself picking holes whether it's the dialogue or whether it's the you know the, the way it's edited or something about it when I come back I, I, you know upon second viewing I just I everyone everyone these ones upon second viewing I've, I've disliked less with 31 I just did not like it from the first viewing at all and I see, part of me sees what he's trying to do. I mean, he's 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 always been heavily influenced by 70s exploitation cinema and th- this feels like he is going for one of those really weird kind of grindhouse movies that played at, you know, all these drive-ins up and down the country where it's just like, 
what is this weird movie about these killer clowns? I, I can totally see that. And I think in his head, he thinks that him doing what he's doing in this movie with, with the characters being one-dimensional and all the rest is him playing, you know, paying homage to those movies. And like I've said in the past, I don't think, you know, I don't think you can hide, but in 2016, you cannot hide behind the argument, well, the dialogue wasn't great in the 1970s. You can't hide behind that argument because Rob Zombie, you have, not in all your movies, but you have written dialogue for characters based on movies and genres that you loved before where the dialogue's actually not bad. Like, you're right to me, this movie is bookended in a way where the opening sequence and the final sequence are the best things about this movie. Yeah. Like, literally, five minutes at the start and two minutes at the end. That's that's the best thing about this movie. And everything in the middle is like a really shitty road journey to take you from one to the other, where just, you know, it's... The, the car's too hot, you've got an annoying kid behind you battering the, you know, battering the back of your chair asking you, are you there yet? You know, the aircon's not working, the music's only playing shite, um, you can't switch it. It's just like the worst, most obnoxious journey to get to the end of this movie. See, um, see what you were saying about the, you know, the exploitation movies of the 70s and all that, and his homage to them and all that. Mm-hmm. To me, and Eli Roth did this with Green Inferno, if you're going to do a modern homage to these films, right, we want to see a film of that style, but done with modern techniques, you know, and then, yep. and it's like we said, you know, the first half of Green Inferno is fucking amazing. Yep. This is the cannibal film we all wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you say, if you're going to do one of these exploitation films, pad the characters out a bit. That's what was missing from the originals. So yep. let's see a fucking good one. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no excuse not to make characters likeable in this movie. There is no excuse not to take a bit of time to give any character in this movie a bit of depth at all. And it comes back to the fact that I just don't think Rob Zombie is good at writing scripts at all. I think he's I think he's really bad. You hit the nail on the head where these characters, especially Doomhead, who is point of fact the best thing in this movie. I think he is quite a sinister like looking character. He's very malevolent. Um I think it plays off well that he is completely this narcissistic creature who is just out for for you know he's not even doing it for the money. He's just doing it cuz that's what Doomhead does. He's doing it for the sound of his own voice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, he has he has to wax on lyrically to you as he's fucking cutting your stomach open. Do you know e- what I mean? Exact exactly. And I think he's the the most interesting thing in this movie where I kind of think to myself, why do we have fucking sickhead and deathhead and sexhead and fucking schizohead? Why not just have this kind of labyrinth thing set up and it's just Doomhead? You know, it's just Doomhead all the way through this movie, picking them off one at a time. And we hear more from this character who is easily the most interesting thing in here. Get rid of the fucking, let's gamble on who's going to do next. It's like a really shite running man, this movie. Yeah. Really I, actually, I like the idea of just having Doomhead, actually. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that's all you need. That would have been all right. That, to me, is all you need. He's the best character in this one. Give him to... Why do we spend a, a disproportionate amount of time with fucking effeminate Nazi dwarf Spaniard or Mexican 
Why do we have him in this movie for about half an hour? Running about the place, you know, I fucking kill you, I fucking kill you, all this, like, why do we have that? And we have the equivalent of, what, 15 minutes of Doomhead when he, his dialogue's better written, and he's a better on-screen presence, and he's more menacing. Uh-huh. Why? Why? I, 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 don't, I don't understand that choice at all. I think it's... I think it comes back to, and you mentioned like the the Quentin Tarantino. I think Quentin Tarantino is the great example in this. I genuinely think people like Rob Zombie and people like Eli Roth think they are the Quentin Tarantino of the horror genre. Uh-huh. I uh-huh. think that's how they see themselves. And Tarantino is the perfect example of a guy who looks at 70s exploitation cinema and updates it. Characters yeah. are fully realised. Dialogue is sharp. It's witty. It's well written. Um, regardless what your politics is on Quentin Tarantino's use of the N word, <clears throat> or whether or not you think that he's just basically ripping off ideas, as opposed to crafting them into his stories and, and doing homage, because um, there are plenty of criticisms on Tarantino for both of those things. Tarantino can—he's a fucking good filmmaker. He's a really, really good filmmaker. I tell you one thing—if he is like maybe even moving slightly towards the, the grounds of plagiarism as opposed to you know like paying homage, I'd much rather see that any day of the week than than this. You know what I mean? It's—it's it's, it's so lazy. The dialogue is shit. The introduction to the carnival characters—one of them talks about face fucking. Yeah. Like, literally, one of the first sentences we see with our. Our heroines, our heroes of this movie, they're talking about fate, skull fucking. And I'm like, really? Oh, right. Oh, that's right. Rob Zombie wrote the dialogue for this movie. It's. It, all these characters talk the same. And you can, once again, you can levy that criticism at all Tarantino's characters have Tarantino style dialogue that comes out. At least he picks actors that do it well. Or they can deliver it. Aye. Yeah, you do. I mean, the, the, fucking Leonardo DiCaprio can spew out like monologues of Tarantino dialogue and I sit there and listen to it and say you know that's a really fucking cool character and he's completely different from Christoph Waltz firing out his huge stream of Tarantino dialogue because it fits he writes it for the characters he just doesn't write a bunch of text and then give it to people to write he actually writes it for characters and this doesn't have it um, all the, the the apparent editing of gore out of this movie I'm not quite sure why that happened. Was it to get a cinematic release? And if it did, then you've lost credibility with me, Rob Zombie. Because you, you're the guy who stuck to his guns with House yeah. of the Thousand Corpses. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. would would not compromise that vision at all. Did have to make cuts, but refused to, to let it down. You know, he, he stuck to what he could do. Right, right to the point where... You know, he bought that movie and put it out on fucking self. You know what I mean? Like, Lionsgate obviously bought it, but it stuck to his guns with that one. But you compromised on this one for some reason. Don't get it. Don't, I, I don't get it. Like, House of a Thousand Corpses is 50 times the movie that this movie's trying to be. I don't even particularly like House of a Thousand Corpses. I've seen you off here. Everything that annoys me about House of a Thousand Corpses is in this movie, but it's been fed steroids. Yeah. Um, I just think, I just think it's a... I am not a Rob Zombie hater. People may have listened to this podcast and think Duncan is a Rob Zombie hater. He only likes Devil's Rejects, and that's the one that everyone likes. And that's not true. It is not true at all. I think House of a, House of a Thousand Corpses is an interesting concept, 
I don't think it's necessarily executed great, and I think the ending's dumb as a bag of rocks. But for the most part, the movie itself, for the time period it came out in, was incredibly fucking bold, and it was risky. He really put his whole reputation on the line. I mean, a lesser fucking artist would have come from the music genre and done a very safe movie, you know, to get his foot in the door, and then built up to his... Vi no, Rob Zombie came in and did the movie he wanted to do with House of a Thousand Corpses, and he fucking deserves credit for that, whether you think the movie's great or not. I think The Devil's Rejects is probably the best thing he's done. I think it's, it's the one that actually feels like a movie. Um, yeah. Halloween... We spoke about that before. There's a lot I don't like about Halloween, but it's, I mean, it's, once it's his most successful movie to date. Um, Halloween 2, I think, is a hot mess, I, I, regardless yeah. of how you spin it. I just, I think it, is, it does not know what the fuck it's supposed to be, and no version of that movie has clarified what that movie wants to be. Um, the Haunted World of El Super Beast, though, I think, is once again, it's him doing something different. I think it's one joke too long, but he's doing something different with it, and it shows another level of his artistry. Lords of Salem is a movie where three quarters of that movie, I'm like, this is striking, it's mm -hmm. bold, it has this visual identity that I didn't know Rob Zombie could do, it has, it has a sense of purpose, it's really unsettling in places. It's very, very unlike anything else he's done as well. Uh, yeah, and it's... It is the one departure from that redneck, I'm shagging yeah. my sister type fucking ethos that he has going on yeah it's the only one it's the only one and I, what I get the feeling is he put his heart and soul into Rob's uh, into Lords of Salem he really wanted that movie to be his swan song out of horror and it didn't do well and it, it got a bit it did take a bit of a beating it really really did maybe unfairly it took a bit of a beating I was one of those ones that beat up that movie something rotten because the ending just upset me so much because the rest of the movie was so fucking good um, that it kind of feels like as like this nervous twitch. He's went back to basics. He's like, well, what what do I do? What do I do that people like like from Rob Zombie? Well, I do these kind of hillbilly hick movies where people end up here, and you know what? Like, we'll do. And what was what was that really popular character? Oh, the clown. That's right. I'm good at doing clowns. So we'll make all our characters like versions of clowns. And, yeah. You know, and it's like he's kind of he, he's devolved almost. To try and do, and it feels like someone trying to rip off a Rob Zombie movie. It doesn't feel like a Rob Zombie movie. It feels like a lesser director trying to copy Rob Zombie. <laughs> and I just, I just don't, I just don't get it, man. I think as it, it was, I said it was the worst movie I saw last year. It was not the worst movie I saw last year. And point of fact, that's all worse than this. Um, it was my biggest disappointment, and I think that's what adds to it. You know, that way where someone says to you, "I'm not angry with you. I'm just disappointed." And that's yeah. how stings more. That's kind of I was bummed out after watching this movie because I couldn't think of anything out with one character who's in it for fifteen minutes that I actually thought was a positive. I don't mm. understand why Malcolm McDill's in this movie at all, and no. I don't I don't know what Rob Zombie has over Malcolm McDill, which forced him to be in this movie. Other yeah. than he got paid really well for it, I don't I don't even think he did. Um, it's just, it's like you say, you point, to be honest, Baz, you pointed out every single factor of this movie is pretty much where I, where I land down on. Do, I just, do you know what's slightly disconcerting? Oh, tell me. With this whole episode, I, I don't think you and I have ever agreed as much <laughs> as we have in this episode. <laughs> I think, with a possible exception, I was more critical of El Super Beasto than you were. Mm -hmm. But I think, other than that, I think our feelings towards these films are very similar, actually. Mm. 
yeah, I think I think you're right. I think yeah, it was it was always going to be an interesting thing because uh, it was always going to be interesting from my point of view because Rob Zombie was in as a name that you know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm familiar with. Yeah. Even if you hadn't listened to the music or anything like that, you knew he was a musician. He was in uh-huh. a genre of music that you are familiar. You know, more than familiar with. You like bands in that genre. Yeah. And you knew he'd went across to do horror movies, and you've been taking an interest in horror. And after watching Halloween and Halloween Two, you know, you were kind of like, I'd be interested to check out the rest of this guy's films. You know, regardless how bad Halloween 2 was, in your opinion, you yeah. were still at a position where, no, I'd check out more of what this guy's done. Yeah, because one of the most in- it has been a very interesting franchise to do. Mm-hmm. And primarily because it's completely modern. Mm-hmm. There is no old, shitty... 1981 original, (laughs) you know, I mean, that gets ass raped through the late 80s and possibly the early 90s, and then they come back with a kind of strong remake. Do you know what I mean? It's a completely modern franchise for want of a better term because I know they're not really all connected, but um, yeah. that to me differs from a lot of the stuff that we've done and I did find it really interesting and some of it I've enjoyed a lot do you know what I mean but I just thought this was just an awful way to end it yeah and And that's his fault that's not I'm not saying you should have picked a different one I'm just you know he just really shit the bed in this one do you know what I mean yeah and I I genuinely don't know what his intentions are in terms of of anything else he's not He's not mentioned any new projects. He's he's certainly not, you know, indicated that he wants to make another horror movie. And genuinely, the interviews I have heard of him talking about Thirty One, he's super defensive of it, which makes me think that he knows he did a pretty shitty movie. Yeah, exactly, um, and, exactly. And he's kind of and I, th- there's a there's a huge issue here, I think. And once again, it's not to take pot shots as Cherry Moon Zombie. I, I understand that it's his wife, and he wants to put her in these roles and all the rest. And he and to his credit, he's tried to. I mean, she's went from being you know villain to hero. Um, she's villain in the well first movie, definitely. Second movie, you can argue. Even though she's a bad person, you kind of root for her at the end. Um, she's a good person in El Superbisto, um, as a character goes, but as an anime. In Lords of Salem, she's definitely the victim. Um, and in this movie, she's the victim slash final girl, sort of. Um, and she's not a great actress, though. I, she really, really is not a good actress. And no, but do you know what? I, I don't hate her as much as a lot of other people seem to. I don't think. I don't I, think she's. I don't think she's terrible. She, she doesn't have to be. The thing is, she doesn't have to be a fucking amazing actress to be in these movies. And that's no slight at Rob Zombie. I think if you put an incredible actress in here, it would highlight even more how shitty Rob Zombie's scripts yeah. are. Yeah, it works fine yeah. for her. She can deliver. Yeah, the and she's clearly he's clearly written a lot of characters for her. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And and to me, you know, you're uh, what was it? Was it Baby? Yeah, Baby and, Firefly. You know, what I mean, Baby Firefly, and even the character in this one, you know, it is her. It absolutely, is her. I think you know she carries them off very well, but it's because he's written the characters for her. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know it's it's 
this is quite interesting because, like, see, most of the franchises we've done, Baz. Yeah. This is how I usually feel at the end of the franchises, like when we get that remake, and I'm just like, oh, this movie's uh-huh. fucking. And I feel just generally bummed out, but you, for the most part, out with Halloween, and even mm-hmm. Halloween, even though you didn't like that, you still felt fairly optimistic. Or Evil Dead, where we finished it with, like, this remake is so fucking good. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, when we finish franchises, you tend to see the decline of movies and, and most horror directors as their career goes on you start to see the decline very few of them get better and better and just keep getting better eventually they reach a point where their voice is no longer relevant and that sometimes takes decades um rob zombie to me is a really interesting experiment and in how in the space of essentially 15 years you you can get someone who creates a, a very unique voice in horror where a lot of hopes I mean like I said before a lot of websites and a lot of horror fan sites and all the rest really did say Rob Zombie was going to be the next big thing you know he was going to be he was going to be a future master of horror and all the rest and all this stuff got put towards us that this was what Rob Zombie was going to do and it was just going to be you know the, the future was his for the taking and I think Lords of Salem is the closest we got to see of that you know this kind of this kind of modern auteur of horror, um, but I think I think Rob Zombie's biggest fault is that I think he thinks he's a good filmmaker and a good scriptwriter, and I think he is a good filmmaker to an extent, but he's terrible at writing stories and he's terrible at writing dialogue, and I would love to see what he did with someone else's work, because when he worked on Halloween, even though he redeveloped the script. For the most part, it was working with an established story. Yeah, and characters. Yeah, and that, you know, there was elements in there that I thought, right, right, you fleshed it a bit before, which I wasn't, was said before, I wasn't overly keen on. But there was a lot of it I did think was really, really well done. So, to me, that's what he needs to do. If he wants to do another horror movie, let someone else write you something. Find a book that you really like, a horror novel or something, try and acquire the rights to it and put your own stamp on it. That's what I want to see from Rob Zombie. I think I am about finished with Rob Zombie's voice in horror. I think he's... I think it was an interesting experiment, but I think it's run its course on that level. I think, as a filmmaker, I think he's got plenty to offer, and I would like to see that. I think what he needs is someone... a really good editor beside him to say, why is this scene in this movie? Why why are we spending so long with this? This, to me, the, the biggest crime with 31 is it's this kind of sleazy exploitation movie which should be no the concept of this movie should be no longer than an hour and 20 like max because mm. um, you like you said there's no subplots but no we're not we're not jumping out to oh my friends have went missing let me see if i can track them down that we need all this you know there's none of that at all this is simply characters locked in a maze being hunted down this movie should not be an hour and 40 minutes long that's no. 20 minutes so much take 20 minutes off the midget in this movie you know what I mean 20 minutes yeah, off yeah but well, it's like you say like, like shave 20 minutes off the length of the fucking thing and just have Doomhead yeah you know, what I mean? movie. you know what I mean yeah. much better much better movie Doomhead's the best thing in this movie and I'll give Rob Zombie that if he did one thing good in this movie is he created in my opinion a, another really interesting semi sort of iconic horror character I mean I would love to see a Doomhead movie 
Yeah. You know, you know, like, I, w- I would happily, if he did like a, a Lord's, uh, sorry, Devil's Rejects sort yeah. of style movie yeah, as yeah. a follow up to 31 and it was following Doomhead, I'd be totally on board with that. But as 31 goes as a movie, I'll never watch it again. Never watch it again. I think no, it's. I, I, I think I would struggle very badly to get back. And I can see me watching some of his other films again, and I, I do genuinely mean that, but I don't think I'd go back to this one. Yeah. I, I was all. I had a weird kind of hope or hopefulness if you like before I started this I know a lot of folk had bad mouthed it and I thought well quite often when that happens I sometimes do shit the bed a wee bit on it do you know what I mean and go the other way yeah no I think pretty much everything I read about it was right it's, it's just not very good it's not it's not it's a shame it's a shame but uh, that's the way some uh, movie journeys go where they can't all be amazing all the time um, or there would be no point in doing a fucking podcast they uh, can't all be point break they can't all be point break remake I know what you're saying Baz oh, you. <laughs> right um, so let me give you your grade here sir yep um, your grade for this one is an A plus merit I have never laughed as much I know I've said that already Lords of Salem <laughs> made me a bit piss myself but I am a red puffy mess right now uh, and most of that was just like just from the off just when you gave the characters the nicknames I was away um, so so congratulations from that what we're going to do is we're going to take our final break when we come back we're going to close out the show and ultimately Baz we're going to do an important thing and you're going to rank from least favourite to favourite the Rob Zombie movies oh this could be quite interesting let's see where Baz lands but before we get to that it's time to take our last break of the show when we return after this short, short clip of music. Going to close out the show right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been the very special end of year assessment, Baz v Rob Zombie, where myself and the Baz have looked at the remaining Rob Zombie movies we didn't cover in Baz v Michael Myers. So we took a look at House of a Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects. We took a sneaky little look at Werewolf Women of the SS. Oh, that was a wee bit cheeky, Baz, a wee bit cheeky. Then we did The World of Elsifer Beast, followed up with Lord of Salem and finished off in fine, fine fashion with Rob Zombie's 31 Baz. This has been an epic trek, one of the longest shows we've ever done. It really has, Dalton, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm just so tired. <laughs> so, so, so fucking tired. That's not just because of Rob Zombie, that's because of that hell spawn that I released. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, just in general, I'm fucking gubbed. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, like I said before the break, um, we we like to do this. I, I like lists. I'm a big fan of lists. Yes, I um, you are, Duncan. You do know this is, is unfortunately <laughs> something I've never been able to shake. It's carried around with me, and really the only reason I have a podcast is to get people to do lists. Um, it's like it's like, this is my grand scheme, and uh, I need to ask you. I need to ask you yeah. now, Baz. Having watched all the Rob Zombie movies, and we're throwing the Halloween ones in here as well, obviously the full entire Rob Zombie. You can drop Werewolf Women of the SS if you want. I'm not going to really judge you on that one because it's a fake trailer. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to put that one in. Right. Uh, give me from your least favorite to your favorite. Give me the rankings for Rob Zombie's movies. 
Okay, um, my least favourite. Um, my least favourite is 31. Right, that's no surprise. Yep. <laughs> um, well, no. Uh, see, I was, I was, mm. Is it better than the Haunted World of El Super Beastle? No. Yeah. Right, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Super Beastle is my least favourite. Just because it, it's an... It's just it's a cartoon and it's, it's tawdry and just cheap. Yeah, all right, oh god, there's cartoon people shagging each other. Do you know what I mean? Fuck off. <laughs> El Super Beast is the worst. <laughs> right, that is your least favourite. What's next? Thirty one. Thirty one. There we go. I kind of almost don't include El Super Beast because it's the cartoon type thing. Do you know what I mean? So. If I was doing my list, I wouldn't even include it at all. So, all right. 31, as his films go. As his cinematic, uh, yeah. Cinematic, yeah. live-action movies, has, yeah. as your least favourite one is 31. Yeah. Next. Right, the next two are the ones I've struggled with. Mm. Um, I've been toiling and toiling with this. I know what my favourite one is. Um, but the next two, I am struggling with order. Um... I'm going to say House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, right. Interesting. Are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely am. Yeah, House of a Thousand Corpses is number three. Right, and next? So number two would be Lords of Salem. Right, and you're missing... I said, remember I said put the Halloween movies in here. What are you doing with me? What? I said put the Halloween movies in here, all the Rob Zombie movies. What are you doing to me here? Well, cock and balls. I wasn't <laughs> was putting the Halloween ones in. Ah, you have to put them all in. All of Rob oh, Zombie's movies. Damn it, my That's a cat right. amongst the pigeons here, right? So 31, I imagine, is still at the bottom. Right, right, right back at the start. Oh, here El we go. El Super Bisto. <laughs> it sucks. It's a cartoon. It sucks. El Super Bisto, right? <laughs> 31. Uh-huh. Don't care how many midget Hitlers you've got in this, it's still shite, right? <laughs> Halloween 2. Yep. Yep. House of a Thousand Corpses. Uh-huh. Lords of Salem. Uh-huh. Halloween. Uh-huh. Devil's Rejects. Do you know our lists are almost identical? Yeah, there's only, almost. All, all, having gone through them this time, the only thing I would differ is I would change the order of Halloween and Lords of Salem. You would put Lords of Salem above Halloween, would you? Yeah, it's weird this one because both those movies to me represent very similar journeys just in reverse. Like, So I, I like the first three quarters of... Uh, Lords of Salem but really don't like the end and I really don't like the beginning of Halloween but I quite like where the movie goes after that yeah see I, I didn't mind the beginning of Halloween as much as you did yeah it's, it's a weird mm-hmm. weird thing and when it comes down to it I then base them on just other details and obviously those that know me I'm a bit of a an art house nut and there's an aesthetic and a style to to Lords of Salem in the first three quarters that I really kind of dig yeah, so. see, this is the thing. I um, before a twig that you wanted the Halloween ones in, I was struggling with House of a Thousand Corpses and Lords of Salem because the ending of Lords of Salem really does fuck it in the arse kind of thing. But it, 
I, I'm a lot less art house than you are. I mean, you know that. I, I gen, generally don't particularly like those types of films, but yeah. I, I just thought it, it was just it was, there was a bravery about it. You know, a lot. All of us, even the Halloween ones, have all got the redneck goddamn. Well, certainly the first one. Yeah. You know, I liked the, the intro to it, but. When you th- haven't now seen these from Larry, it's just it's the redneck fucking sister fuckers. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but it's, it's just totally absent from Lords of Salem. It's the one film he really made that was different from the rest of them. Yeah. And, you know, when we talked about House of a Thousand Corpses, and I was actually, I was telling my daughter this as well, I, I do admire him for that, for his principles. And mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't decry him. You know, he's clearly a massive horror fan. Yeah. Um, and has some... Maybe not necessarily original, but he's, he's some very clear ideas about the types of horror films he wants to make. And I think that reached its pinnacle with Lords of Salem. He just... I just don't know what he was playing at the end. I really don't, man. Um, and I just it was shunted above House of a Thousand Corpses for me. Um, I did like House of a Thousand Corpses, but it's not half the film that Devil's Rejects is. Yeah. And they are quite similar. You know, it's just not as good whereas Lords of Salem is out there on its own. Mm-hmm. You know? Can't disagree, can't disagree. Right, ladies and gents, this has been an epic journey. Absolutely fucking epic. I would love to say that the rest of the... Is, in fact, let me just take a couple of seconds to say it's fucking great having you back, Baz. Thank you, it's been a blast uh, being back, folks. Um, not the easiest way to break me. You don't, you don't, you never break me in gently, McLeish. I, I'm just, I don't do know you? I only nah. have one level and I do it. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. I really need to stop doing this. Um, but yeah. It's too late, Duncan. <laughs> it's so late now. I'm so tired. <laughs> but yeah, we, we've, um, it's, it's great having you back. This one has been an epic journey back, but. Um, I would love to say that the rest of your time in 2017 are going to be less arduous than this, but we have so much stuff to do, so, so yeah. much stuff to do this year, and um, I don't know if we have officially spoken about the franchise, so the franchise that won out, I don't think we have formally on here. But no, I don't think we've spoken about it on air, I don't think I've been yeah. on since then, to be honest. Yeah, the runaway success that was uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. Oh, romped home at a canter. It, it, it was, it was, it got almost embarrassing by how much it won by. I think if you combined all the votes for all the other ones, it still wasn't even halfway. Yeah, I, I, which I'm really surprised. I was sure it was going to be Hellraiser because of last year's fiasco. I, I, I don't uh, know. I think, I think that you have spoken about wanting to watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies so much that I think yes. our listeners finally just went you know what give the bass what he wants give the yeah. bass what he wants you yeah. will instantly regret it um, I, have, <laughs> I have no no doubt in my mind uh, that, that to me personally that franchise shits the bed quicker than than um, any other franchise ever um, and I really some of the some of the conversations are going to be legendary like absolutely legendary so the the plan that we're looking for is i mean these shows are not going to be out till till i would say summertime anyway and just the way that we have things all set up and and whatnot um that we'll be looking to franchise late spring early summer no definite dates but then we're probably going to split them up into four shows four recordings yeah 
uh, because once again I've worked out chapters and the chapters that I've worked out kind of work out um, plus I don't know when the new one's out we may be in a fortunate position that we have a release date by then that falls about the same time but failing that we still have plenty to talk about there and there's some great ideas that me and you have batted back and forth about different Baz V horrors this year like looking into Jallo looking into Asian horror um, looking well, into I will be doing another takeover show later on in the year which I'm looking be. forward to immensely yep and we'll be doing another Instagram competition um, yep. which which does remind me we will be doing a live video over the next week or so uh, we will announce the winner of our merch Instagram competition Yep. So um, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But yes, there's tons of content coming up with the Baz this year. So much stuff. There, there is also, there is an episode of, I don't want to say too much about it, but we're going to do a very kind of short episode on a um, a particular DVD that I have picked up. Um, and I really, I don't want to say too much about it, but you're, you're going to want to tune in. It's going to be a little bit different and a little bit shite. <laughs> so uh, please. Oh, and also there's a video game exploits as well. Yes, I, I was going to say I am um, I'm in the process right now of uh, costing up cameras like video cameras. So um, once that's all settled, uh, we will be testing out some um, some streaming of Baz playing some horror games for our YouTube page. Uh, so you'll be able to see the Baz shit himself on camera like visibly shit himself as in soil his underwear um, yeah uh, he's not to... that's not a term that that's actually what will happen it will trust me he's, he's got a weak bladder as it is and some of these movies will uh, some of these computer games sorry are designed to terrify i think um outlast is the one that i'm i'm maybe thinking it's the first one we do i think i'm not yeah. even going to break in gently i think i'm just once again just going to go full throttle baz full yeah throttle. that's that so yeah tons of baz content coming up this year and yeah it's going to be a ton of fun i'd just like to thank i know baz would as well just thanks once again for all the kind words um which came in for the baz during his, his time away from the show you guys are fucking awesome um and i know that they were all very well received they, they were indeed. Um, yeah, th- thanks everybody for your your kind words. It's been a, a rough start to the year, but we're getting there, um, and it meant a lot. Uh, the support I got from everybody uh, in our community meant a lot, and um, it's, it's good to be back. It's good to be back, and it's good. It's good to start building up that. That, that natural wave of oh what the fuck is Baz going to make of this movie is it going to make him shit his pants or is he going to rip it to shreds because there's no other way it's one or the other on this show ladies and gents <laughs> um, so there is a multitude of ways to check out the podcast under the stairs you can check us out on iTunes and if you do please subscribe to us over there that way you get access to the entire back catalogue of our shows and the new ones as and when they drop and it's also Baz I don't know if you know this I happen to enjoy a little iTunes rating. Don't yes, know if I mentioned you do. I don't know if I mentioned it before. What's your favourite rating, Duncan? I, I like five stars. Five stars? Is that your personal favourite? It's my personal favourite. And you know, the more of them we get, the higher up the iTunes charts we get pushed <laughs> for other people to stumble across our show. It's a great way to, to make sure that our show is visible to people that are looking for new shows to listen to. It's just as important as recommending us to your friends or your enemies, depending on what you think of the show. <laughs> uh, just saying. Um, some people have said before that they have played podcasts under the stairs to their pets and they have not ran away and hid. So that's good, I think. 
<laughs> don't know. Um, so yeah, if you could, it's free for you to do. It takes a couple of minutes, but it genuinely benefits this show. Is the best way to support the podcast under the stairs on iTunes is to leave us some feedback over there. You can listen to us on Stitcher Smart Radio and check us out on SoundCloud. Please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash T Putts Cast. The Baz is in charge of our twin prongs of social media sexiness. Baz, what are they and how can they check us out? Uh, they are both at Teapots Cast. One's on Twitter, the other's on Instagram. I do not have it in me to go on about them any more than I <laughs> At Teapots Cast, give us a follow. <laughs> well said. I, I, I like your commitment to keeping this out so short, um, even though it's running along. Uh, but yeah, so um, once again, thank you very much for checking out the podcast Under the Stairs. Your support is always greatly appreciated. You guys are the best fucking listeners out there, the best supporters of what we do, and it feels good to be back, back in the saddle. Back in the saddle. That's is that a that, you just song? literally made that up there. Is it that not an Aerosmith song? Back in the saddle again. All oh, right, I thought it was back in black, and you just changed the words. Back in black, I hit the sack. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> cut loose from the noose. I don't know how he does. No wonder he's in the band. I'm going to fucking kill you. Um, but yeah, uh, Baz, would you like to say goodbye to our listeners, please? Uh, yes. Th- th- thanks again for everything, listeners, uh, recently. And, uh, and I hope you've enjoyed this show. I've put my heart and my soul into it. Uh, and I will see you all very, very soon. Yes. And from myself, wherever you are in the world, whatever you're up to, whatever the time zone is, please take care of yourselves. The podcast under the stairs will be back in one week's time. But until then, this is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs. Signing off.
Yeah, yeah. 